0: This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allows members to request future stories and themes. Thank you for listening. This podcast contains mature content and is intended for an adult audience only. It contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of all stories is fiction with any similarities to real people or events being purely coincidental. This podcast is not intended for anything but entertainment of the listener, and if you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. Endangered Part 9 by LTPC Chapter 10 Cool, clear water lapped around his ears as he floated basking in tropical sunshine. He could feel it, hot on his shuttered eyelids, perfectly warm on his pleasantly full tummy. He breathed deep of the humid air, relaxing as the ripples from cats swimming bobbed him listlessly around the huge pool. The inflatable lounge beneath him struggled to keep his bulk afloat as he half-dozed. A lazy lizard to his core. As it turned out, Colonel Otero's family was incredibly wealthy. Their team was now enjoying their second and last day of his hospitality in what Chris could only describe as a mansion. After the scare he'd had at the village, his encounter with the supernatural, The colonel would not take no for an answer when he insisted that they stay for at least a few days while they recovered. His aging mother was the head of the house, but she was pleased enough to host her son's guests. Even if they were foreigners, her son had impressed their importance upon her, and the matriarch only seemed to emerge at dinner anyway. The colonel was in awe of Chris and showed a keen interest in learning more about the concealed magical world. His own government had told him only the barest details before their arrival. After witnessing the dragon in action, he lamented the poor state of relations between his own country and its beings, expressing a desire to do something about it. Therefore, while they were his guests, he plied them for every scrap of knowledge they could, in good conscience, reveal. And what a place to be a guest. Secluded in the forest on a small rise above Manaus, the eighteen-bedroom mini-palace was as ostentatious as they came. Complete with manicured gardens, a stable, a gigantic pool, sprawling greens, and a full staff of over twenty servants, it boggled the farm-raised young man. Actual servants, wearing black and white uniforms, deferential and attentive. Michelle had had to stop him from confronting Otero about it, explaining that while it might offend his sensibilities, such things were still considered normal in this country. Chris didn't believe it at first, but the family had been with the Oteros for several generations. She also assured him that from what she'd seen, the servants were treated very well. Chris had to admit that they seemed happy enough, laughing and joking in Portuguese as they went about their duties. They even had their own complex of cute houses at the rear of the estate. It was just such a culture shock to be bustled politely but insistently away from the kitchen when all he'd wanted was a glass of water. Said glass was, of course, delivered a few minutes later by a fetching young woman. It was accompanied by a pitcher of ice lemon water, a selection of pastry goodies, and an exquisite sample of diced tropical fruit. Chris lounged in the midday sun, so relaxed that his beer slipped from his loose fingers and upended in the water. Instinctively, his body lunged after it. Too late, he realized his mistake as the protesting inflatable made its escape, skittering out across the water to freedom as he was dumped unceremoniously under the surface. He spluttered to the top, beer bottle in hand, but the beverage ruined. Cat laughed at his predicament, bobbing past him as her lithe, dark body cut through the water with a powerful breaststroke. Get me one as well, would ya? She asked. I'm almost done here. Sure. Chris watched her glide away, distorted by the rippling liquid. The yellow of her boy short bikini looked fantastic against her dark skin. The soldier was in phenomenal shape. He rose dripping up onto the ochre-dyed concrete, surrounded by lush, potted growth. Fragrant, varicolored flowers, ornate bushes, and well-groomed trees bordered the large, curved pool all the way around. It created a relaxing sense of seclusion without hindering the sunlight. Shaped sort of like a boomerang, the pool wrapped around the back quarter of the enormous house. He now walked around the inside curve, headed for the kitchen. Otero said it was built that way so that his mother and father could each have their end and not need to see each other. Pamela rested on a padded deck chair, her crutches beside her, as she read a book and sipped a fresh-squeezed melon juice. He passed her with a friendly nod, and she graced him with a small smile in return. It turned out she had a penchant for tropical fruit, and the catering staff were more than happy to oblige her every fancy. Chris had to agree that she had the right idea, the acai smoothie he'd had with breakfast that morning was out of this world. Further around the pool, his olive-skinned familiar lay sprawled on a thick towel. Her black bikini was a lot smaller than he would have ever imagined her wearing, riding high into the valley of her modest, muscular-looking ass as she basked face down, head cradled in her arms. She hadn't moved in a while, and he suspected she'd fallen asleep. Her short black hair was moist and messy from her earlier swim, lips pursed cutely as she breathed restfully. Trying not to disturb her, he snuck past and down the tiled pathway toward the back of the vast, Spanish-style mansion. A smiling maid noticed his approach and bustled out of the kitchen to meet him, her eyes running appreciatively over his pale physique. He didn't mind, having dosed the entire household with strategic droplets of pheromone-cancellation potion on their first night. The young woman could ogle his mass and definition all she wanted without danger of becoming too dragonstruck. She snatched the bottle right from his hand with a bobbing little bow. Mezuma, She smiled sweetly, her dark eyes twinkling. Two, please. He held up two fingers. Doi's sim. She made a gentle banishing motion which he'd understand meant she would bring it to him. Ab, obrigado he said haltingly, using about the only Portuguese he'd picked up to thank her as she trotted back into the kitchen.IT was oppressively hot. The water had been keeping him nice and fresh, but he wasn't sure if he wanted to go back in just yet. The decision was taken away from him when he heard quiet footsteps padding up behind him. He turned, finding Michelle looking up at him meaningfully. Her skin glistened with a few beads of sweat brought on by the sweltering heat. She looked lovely, not nearly as asleep as he'd assumed then. Without a word, she stepped into his space and ran her fingers down the muscles of his abdomen very boldly. His cock twitched in his wet trunks. Michelle, come on! She took his hand and led him away toward their ground floor guest rooms. He followed in a state of confusion. While his body knew exactly what was about to happen, his mind didn't believe she was really seducing him. Not logical, self-controlled, organized Michelle. Not right here, not now. As the hardwood door of her suite clicked shut behind him, any doubt of her intention evaporated. She had this funny little look on her face as she led him to the king bed and pulled him down on top of her. They just stared for a while, motionless as they weighed what was about to happen. Kiss me. She finally breathed. Raising her head off the sheets to meet him with her delicate lips, that first kiss awoke something inside both of them. Their bodies quickly entwined, releasing subconscious tensions that had been building for months in a few moments of passionate, tongue-dueling, kiss. Her fingers found his damp hair, twining, pulling him closer until they almost bruised each other. They broke apart, breathing heavily, their mouths only inches away as the huge young man loomed over her. He was rock hard, his enormous shaft sticking up rudely out of his waistband to rub against her cool skin. Fuck, she murmured, looking down between their already half-naked bodies to his manhood. Michelle! He bleated as she reached between them for his cock. Jesus, what's brought this on? She paused, just her fingertips daintily brushing against his throbbing, vain mottled member. I? I want sex. She started, hesitant to admit it even to herself. I've been off the pheromone cancellation potion for days now, and it's been driving me crazy. You said we could, if I wanted to. Yeah, but... Are you sure? Yes. I need you. She moaned, bucking her hips up at him as she pulled his penis down onto her tummy. Her soft eyes pleaded him to provide the answers her body needed. I don't know what this is between us, Chris. I'm terrible at relationships. I just want you right now. I want to feel you and me. Oh damn, you've got it bad. He dropped his weight onto her, reclaiming her lips in a softer, searching kiss. He cradled her face with one hand as the other stroked her slim flank, across her hip and up to caress the side of her modest breast through her swimsuit. She sobbed into his mouth, writhing beneath his measured touch. His erection, very neglected for the past two days, spurted a long stream of warm, slippery pre across her tummy and sternum. Are you coming? She whispered, her dilated pupils making her look awestruck. No, thankfully. He smiled, rubbing himself on her skin with hunching thrusts. He just likes you. He reached between them, running his big thumb through the slimy, pungent stuff to collect some. Up to her mouth, he brought it. She frowned, nostrils flaring and turned her head away. Chris, that's gross. MMRM She protested only for a second as he smeared it across her kiss-swollen lips. It hit her pink, inquisitive tongue, and her entire body gave a little shudder. It's sweet. Cinnamon and MMMH salty. He kissed her tenderly, sharing his flavor on her lips. She was dragon-struck all right. That presented a problem, however. Michelle's needy body wasn't going to be satisfied with smooching and petting. She was going to need sex, and she was going to demand his come deep inside her. As he worried her bottom lip between his own, he snaked his hand back down her body, inching toward the warmth of her sex. She didn't protest. In fact, she muled excitement as his hands slipped under her bottoms and into the warm nest of short-trimmed dark curls beneath. Moisture, warmth, and slick, plump flesh greeting his gentle, probing touch. He ran his finger around her engorged labia, spreading her already leaking juices even as he moved to suck and nibble her soft neck. Her nails bit into the bare skin of his broad shoulders as he rubbed up and down her slit, parting large, petal-like inner lips to test the tepid waters. Damn, she was snug. She was snug, and she was completely human. Michelle, I'm sorry we can't. He stroked a little of her stray dark hair behind her ear. I'm too big. It won't work. No, please. Use an enchantment, like you did with Susan. I want this, Chris. I don't know if I can work up the courage a second time. Please just do it. There was so much desire in her needy tone. I can only do so much right now with a spell. He tried to explain as she ground herself onto his probing finger. It takes time to work. Michelle, this is a stupid idea. I'd love to go down on you, but let's wait a while for the sex. No. She begged quietly. A little pain is okay. I've been sore after sex before. He shook his head, not believing what he was about to do. The magic flowed up out of his core anyway, eager to embrace a new brood member, to have her. Sitting back on his haunches, he pushed his fat prick to the side as she stared lustily up at him. The string ties at the sides of her suit bottoms quickly vanished, and the skimpy garment discarded as he focused his mind on performing the spell point one big hand move to cover her slippery mound. The other rested low on her toned belly. It was a delicate process, but he'd had practice now. Given the urgency, Chris felt confident enough to push a little more power into the spell this time. He let his magic flow down into her womanhood, opening her, readying her. It raced to its tasks, increasing her elasticity and muscle tone, promoting elongation of her vagina. He found her Bartholin's glands and zapped them into overdrive. Her cervix was magically reinforced and strengthened to grow new, spongy pleasure centers at its head. In addition, he created the basis for a magical feedback loop between arousal and the production of her tacky, cervical mucus. He'd done his damn research with Susan, and it paid off for them now. Michelle squirmed, her entire nether region heating, twitching, and shuddering under his magical reworking. Her clitoris was screaming for attention, and it was like he somehow sensed her need. His hands took the back of her thighs and pushed them high as he shuffled backwards and began lapping his warm tongue over her pussy. Oh fuck. Yes. Oh yes. She moaned in ecstasy as he wasted no time slipping two thick fingers into her little pink hole. Chris couldn't help smiling as he sucked gently on her labia and tried to coax her eager, juicy quim to accept a third finger. Stupid as this might be, it was going to be fun. As she loosened to admit it, he pushed the flat of his tongue onto her erect little button and shook his head back and forth remorselessly. After only a few seconds, she let out a hoarse scream, a powerful climax bursting inside her. Michelle's whole body arched, locking in perfect agony. Chris had never seen anything quite so exorcism-like. She froze, making husky little grunts in the back of her throat as her legs and tummy twitched. It felt like her vagina heated, becoming slicker around his slowly probing fingers as she came. Her unusual reaction went on for half a minute until he got concerned that she wasn't breathing and let up on her clit. It appeared he damaged the usually restrained woman. With a shuddering gasp, she came back to life quivering all over as she pulled him up to her eager lips. She veritably attacked him, forgetting to breathe, and wrapping leanly muscled arms around his torso. I didn't know, it could be, like that. She finally wheezed. I have to give most of the credit to magic, unfortunately. You're primed like a little volcano, ready to erupt. Feeling very full of himself, he grinned and kissed her nose. I suppose it's my magic though. I don't care what it is. Give me a second to get this damn top off. Michelle began squirming to get at the black strings. Then I need you to fuck me. Chris didn't need to be told twice. As Cat got out of the pool, wondering where the hell he'd gone and why she now had two beers, he shucked his swim trunks, entirely freeing his mammoth rod from its cruel confines. Getting second thoughts? He asked, noting her wide-eyed gaze riveted to his angry, pulsing crown as it splashed more excitement across her skin. We don't have to. The enchantment won't be fully ready for almost a week. No. She smiled softly, looking up into his tender expression as she pulled the loose bikini away from her breasts. She was aching with need. Now, please. Have I told you how beautiful you are? Her breasts captured his attention completely, paler than rest of her torso but still possessing the lovely tone gifted by her Mediterranean heritage. They were perfectly proportioned to her athletic body, small handfuls of soft, tan-lined perfection. He leaned forward to examine her small brown areola and discovered what had caught his attention. Her nipples were inverted, hiding from him. That would undoubtedly require further investigation. I don't believe so. Michelle squirmed under his avid scrutiny, hands self-consciously twisting over her tummy as he looked her over. It was so silly to feel embarrassment at a time like this. But she couldn't help it she felt like hiding herself. Well, you are. He leaned in to kiss and suck at her collarbone, down onto the swell of her right tit. You're perfect. How can you say that? She asked, cocking her head to watch him snuffle and suckle her at her breasts. I live with you. I know the other women you sleep with are prettier. Hell, Lillian is, Lillian isn't Michelle. He interrupted her a little sternly, a hint of the dragon in his voice. Michelle is Michelle, and she's perfect in her own way. Her little smile told him she understood what he meant. The way she pushed his hips backwards and reached to guide his massive head to her weeping slit told him what she wanted. Moisture and warmth greeted him, but he made sure to rub up and down across her glistening labia to get them both ready. Her hand was next to his on his shaft, guiding, exploring. He twitched, adding his own slippery lubrication to the mix as he tapped his heavy member against her erect, eager clitoris. Enough. She pulled him into her slot. Be gentle, but don't you dare stop. Wordlessly, he nudged forward. Michelle winced at the stinging stretch, her lips struggling to envelop even his thick crown. Then in a slick rush, he was inside her heat. Oh, wow. Fuck, you're too big. Her hands scrabbled at his hips, holding him at bay as her entrance throbbed painfully around his girth. I'm sorry, we'll stop. He began to gingerly pull away, but her nails dug into his thighs. I said don't you dare stop. She breathed through the discomfort as she adjusted to his size. Okay, a little more. God, it's got a fearful girth about it. It was exquisite torture being inside Michelle. She was hot and wet, and almost unbearably tight for him, but he couldn't move other than little rocking thrusts. Sometimes he gained ground, sometimes he didn't. She felt incredible wrapped around him either way, but he wanted to fuck, to feel her coming apart beneath him. Having not died yet and with the initial pain fading, Michelle consciously tried to relax. It made a big difference to them both, and he slipped through a few extra inches of warm snugness, finally nudging her limit. Precum gushed from his fat tip as he flexed his love muscle, splattering hotly against her cervix. Oh wow, okay that's deep. She looked between their bodies, a little dismayed to see much of his members still outside her. Fuck me Chris. I can handle it. Okay. You feel great, Michelle, so hot. He whispered encouragement in her ear as he began a slow, gentle pumping. Gah! She cried, coming alive to the wonderful sensations inside her, as he lovingly pulled out and impaled her again. Oh. Oh, ah, Oh. I'm so full, Chris. Fucking. God. Fyuk. He smiled from ear to ear as she cried out to him, reveling in the intense friction as he slid home into her tight pussy. She was huffing and puffing and loving every second of his lovemaking. Her long legs wrapped up around his back, urging him on damn, she was a firecracker. He wasn't going to last if she kept looking up at him pleadingly with those huge brown eyes either. Yes. Like that, just like that. Chris. She squirmed beneath him, reaching to hold his face and kiss him as he filled her completely. He loomed so large above her, so powerful. Such a tender, sweet young man who'd supported her in every endeavor and was there at the end of the day to share her frustration and rub her tired shoulders and... Ugh, he was an incredible lover. Never in her life had she experienced anything on this level of carnal satisfaction. She couldn't wait to feel his seed shooting hot within her, to receive his magic and satisfy the burning need in her core. We should have done this months ago. He grunted in pleasure, as his knob dragged back and forth through her sensitive pink folds, his thick head pressing incessantly across her G-spot. We'll make- Oh fuck! Up for it! She felt out his defined chest, caressed his heaving abdominals as he fucked her so carefully, so gently. Looking up into his intense eyes, she begged for what she needed most at that moment. Give it to me, Chris. I want it, please. Fuck! He growled. It was as if Michelle's plea had a direct line to his cock, swelling him to utmost hardness. There was no point in holding back. She was so tight, and her avid cries of passion were incredibly arousing. Never in his life would he have thought she'd be such a vocal, enthusiastic lover. His abdomen began to shudder intense as he drew in magic, his balls tightening for the climax she was eagerly milking from him. M-M-M-M-H-H-H. More. Please more. Fuck yes. She began shaking, her womanhood squelching obscenely as she squeezed hot around his huge cock. Chris. Ugh. I'm going to come. Go with me, HHH. Jesus, Michelle. He groaned as she clamped down on him like a velvet vice, almost forcing him out of her spasming pussy along with the little trickle of her slippery cum. Her heels beat a giddy tattoo of pleasure on his firm butt. He squeezed his eyes shut tight as he teetered on that beautiful precipice of climax. Then the first shudder of blissful release raced through his entire body as an enormous pulse of hot semen raced upward to burst forth from his throbbing tip. Michelle arched violently again. It couldn't be helped. So vocal before, she was suddenly silent her body rigid as pleasure exploded deep within. He held on, hunching deeper to find the perfect angle. She felt him surge, felt him splash hot against her cervix. It was the most incredible, intimate feeling but she barely had time to enjoy it. An alien, heady rush swept through her. It grew and grew as he spurted, rushing through her nerves, setting off an unstoppable cascade of pleasure. What strength she had left was lost as it roared loud in her ears, through her body, seeping into her very bones. It made her tingle all over and almost want to wriggle away it was so intense. So this was what all the fuss was about. Then he did something, shifted somehow, and his heat bloomed deeper, into a part of her she'd only ever felt during the cramp of her period. A rich, intoxicating satisfaction blossomed deep in her core. This was precisely what she needed all along. Desperately, she tried to cry out, but her body would not respond, swept up in the maelstrom of his magic and her own catatonic tendencies. Ung! Michelle finally gurgled beneath him as he pinned her hips and shot heavy, satisfying pulses against her dilated cervix. It was incredible, and she tried to tell him so. Chris, oh my hum. He sighed in complete satisfaction, throbbing his sticky, magic-rich spend deep into her womb. It squelched and seeped around their coupling, too much for her to reasonably contain. It didn't matter. Emmy wasn't here to police the situation. Only their pleasure, their bond, their magical link mattered in that perfect moment. Right up until Cat barged in. Michelle, have you seen Chris? I. Chris? What the fuck? Knock. He lurched backwards, startled and embarrassed by their sudden audience. It would have been better if he'd stayed on top of Michelle because his enormous, still lazily spitting erection wrenched free of Michelle's inflamed vulva. Everyone saw as it unleashed three more thick white ropes across her mound, thighs, and tummy. One courageous line of white made it all the way to her cheek and into her dark hair, making her twitch away for fear her eye was next. Jesus! Cat yelped in shock, gaping at the huge pool of semen between her boss's legs. Her expression went through a comic dance from surprise to offense to downright astonishment. You're bigger than fucking Billy the Bullcock Rodriguez. What? He blinked at her, dumbfounded by a combination of outrage and pleasure. Cat! Get out! Michelle shouted as she capped the end of his throbbing penis with her palm. Oh, sorry-ah. Your beer's waiting, Chris. Have fun. She backed out slowly, clearly glancing between the two of them. When the door shut, Chris put his forearm over his eyes and groaned, still catching his breath as his cock throbbed with post-orgasm sensitivity. Below him, Michelle's sides began to shake until a peal of laughter broke free. It was contagious, and his rumbling boom joined her as he fell back on top of her slim, cum-splattered body to kiss her. Did you see the look on her face? Michelle finally managed as she swiped his spilled seed with her hungry tongue. Which one? He wheezed, rolling them the side. Mmm. Damn. I can't believe we just did that. She kissed his chest as they settled into a loose hug in the air-conditioned room. I'm a cradle-snatching, cliche boss taking advantage of her young employee. Take all you want. He teased. You were quite demanding there for a bit, I like it. All our little talks made me think you were going to be a dead fish or something. Shut up. No, you didn't. She slapped his brawny arm playfully. Wriggling up the bed a little so they were face to face, she took his hand and clasped it to her chest. Sorry, Chris, this whole thing wasn't very well planned. It was rash, I shouldn't have just stopped taking the potion like that I. Hush. He put a finger to her lips. It's okay. I feel great, but I'm going to be really sore tomorrow, aren't I? She groaned. I'm no expert on such womanly matters, but yeah, I'd say so. Sorry. But we did it. She nuzzled under his chin, breathing deep of his pheromones as his potent magic pooled hot in her womb, a volcanic lake of magic and teeming gametes. We really did it. Better not let people sneak up on us like that again, though. It could be dangerous. Typical Michelle. He chuckled. But point taken. I was a bit distracted. MMH, no excuses. I've never felt so good like this afterwards. She yawned, entwining her legs with his. It's delicious, thank you. Then just lie with me and enjoy it for a while. You deserve to relax, Michelle. Tenderly, he drew her close and reached to pull a sheet over them, knowing they would soon be drowsy. They could give in to a few hours post coital cuddling. Nice as their stay had been, they had to leave their hosts, and the indulgences of his tropical mansion behind. His strength had well and truly recovered now, and Denver beckoned them home. Chris awoke to the rustle of bedding and quiet murmuring. Annabelle and Imi slipped out of his arms. He heard them fossicking for clothing in drawers, or in Imi's case, rustling through the garments she'd strewn on the floor. Snuggling deeper into his pillow with a tired groan, he enjoyed those last precious moments of rest. It felt like he'd barely closed his eyes since they'd all arrived back. Jumping halfway up the continent with five hitchhiking angels was no mean feat the flapping of the ever-growing Sprite's wings signaled the doom of his wonderful dosing. Imi dropped on him like a small sack of potatoes, crawling up to nuzzle her way under the covers he'd pulled over his head. Get up, sleepy. She coaxed with a dainty nibbling of his chin. You promised you'd practice with us today. Does today have to start so early? He complained, rolling onto his back. He rubbed his scratchy eyes and flexed his legs, stretching himself awake. You're the one with the strict schedule, babe. Annabelle flopped down on the bed beside them, dressed in form-fitting workout clothes. We're getting up early just for you. Would it hurt if you didn't fill crystals with Petra for one more day? Emmy teased. I'm sure the magical economy would survive. Petra might not. Annabelle giggled. Leaning forward, she employed a technique she'd learned long ago and blew maddeningly in his ear. Arg! I'm up! I'm up! He protested, rolling off the other side of the bed with Emmy clutched to his chest. The sprite was actually wearing clothes, a tiny set of black spandex shorts and one of Annabelle's ratty old pink t-shirts modified to fit her wings. Damn it woman, I was just shot in the ear. Baby! Emmy tittered. We all know it's healed perfectly. Annabelle rose off the bed and came to stand before him. We're doing this so you don't get shot again, okay? If that bullet had been. No. I don't want to even think about it. That absolutely cannot happen, Chris. I'm sorry, Dee. He opened his arms and scooped her up, too, a three-way dragon hug. They squeezed each other close, reinforcing their love. I can't lose you, master. We're going to train every chance we get. Amy sniffed, on the verge of breaking into tears. Thank you both. Freeing a hand, he stroked the sprite's midnight blue hair tenderly. I promise I'm working on some more defensive abilities. It was a scary experience, and I'm going to learn whatever you can teach me. Good. Annabelle stood on the toes of her sneakers to kiss him, encouraged that he was taking their concerns seriously. Let's go. He hoisted his beloved sprite princess higher in his arms to kiss her too, setting her azure wings trembling. It didn't take him long to get dressed once Simmy could be persuaded to let him go. He would likely go to the gym for his usual schedule after they were done with whatever mysterious lesson the two beauties had concocted. The dueling chamber was one of the deepest structures of the compound, situated next to the extremely well-guarded and magically defended nexus. The nexus was apparently the magical heart of the compound whatever was inside held most of the magical structure's spells. Neither Annabelle or Emmy could tell him what that might involve though, Rayla was the only person allowed inside. They passed three separate checkpoints on their way down, each guarded by a member of night shift security who operated the various impassable or simply deadly magical barricades. Timothy Garrel's office even had to be negotiated on the final corridor. The elemental stuck his head out the door as he saw them approach and wished them a cheery good morning. The various guards welcomed. Annabelle and Emmy back like old friends. They made respectful, if surprised comment on Chris's appearance though. Not many used the chamber but apparently his first and her small lover had become regulars, and the guards were happy to have even a single visitor on such a boring shift. The entire room is coated in a foot of enchanted copper. Annabelle explained what she'd been told as best she could as they approached the last checkpoint. It absorbs stray magic spells, whatever touches it really. They get channeled into some sort of magical scrapping spell and pass through into the nexus to help power it. At least, that's how Rayla explains it to five-year-olds. Not many beings can afford to practice their magic at full intensity, so it doesn't seem much use these days. Emmy added. It's always been abandoned when we came to practice. No one's fought a real duel here for almost sixty years. They turned right just before the final portal to the Nexus, encountering a heavy metal door. It was old, a swirling, motley mix of brown, red, and blue-green copper, languishing in various states of corrosion. The handle was a wooden wheel which Annabelle began unwinding. Try not to touch the metal. She warned as it swung inward. It pulls energy away pretty quickly. So this is how you've been spending my magic. He mused as one by one, they stepped across the threshold onto a scarred wooden floor. I wonder why Arvel never brought me down here. The room was a vast dome, easily 25 meters across and half as high. A single, massive light globe spluttered to life as unknown mechanisms detected their presence. The only other feature was a white ring of what looked like sand or tiny stones surrounding the center of the chamber. Chris assumed it marked the boundary of the dueling circle. It was large enough so that there were only a few meters between it and the sloped walls. Despite his expertise in ether theory, that chocolate elf is not an accomplished combatant. Imi scowled. I've told him before that you need a broader, practical education and a quick magical repertoire. He's so infatuated with your natural control over the ether that he gets distracted. Oh. Chris looked around at the pocked, gouged, and scratched metal walls. The copper must have seen some things in its time. Hey, I've been practicing a little magic, though. I can summon fire, and I once froze a bucket of water. I've been reading about other spells, too. But you haven't been throwing your entire essence into that magic, have you? Amy raised a finger like a learned sage. You haven't unleashed with all your might? No, that's dangerous. He protested. Not in here. Annabelle took his hand and drew him over to the edge of the ring. Watch us. His beautiful mate stepped confidently over the threshold, the fingers of one hand interlaced with the other. The top of the growing sprite's head almost came up to his first hip now. He knew it wouldn't be too long before he awoke in the middle of the night with the little princess trying to mount him. As one, they glanced back to make sure he was watching before Emmy muttered something under her breath. A white shimmering race down her free arm. It shot from the sprite's outstretched fingertip as a brilliant cascade of web lightning. The magic branched through the air instantly. Grounding against the far side of the chamber in multiple, resounding strikes. He took a hurried step backward, shocked at the intensity of the magic she'd just unleashed. A livid afterimage of those powerful tendrils burnt into his retina. Such a spell could have easily fried a small pitchfork-bearing mob, very handy. Yet the sprite had just let loose, and the dueling chamber took it stoically. A wide jet of unnaturally purple-edged flames blossomed across the room as he recovered. His hand automatically moved to shield his eyes this time, but it wasn't necessary. Annabelle stood tall. Hand in hand with her friend as her outstretched arm unleashed the torrent of scintillating fire dot on her slim forearm. Bartholomew dug his claws in and roared, spurting flames across her skin that flowed harmlessly over her and leapt into existence from her outstretched palm. His first raked the magical flamethrower back and forth across the wall, darkening it momentarily before it faded back to its sickly blend of potmarked green and red. Above them all, the colossal light orb flared and sputtered in sympathy before returning to normal as the flames died. Amy has been teaching me defensive shields, too. Annabelle turned to her shocked fiancé with a satisfied smile. It's a little tricky but we've worked out a couple of methods to practice in reasonable safety. I noticed at the nightclub. He approved, stepping into the circle to sweep them both up off their feet. This is incredible, Annabelle. I didn't realize how accomplished you're becoming. That fire, there was a lot of magic behind it. I said I would become strong for you. She nudged him playfully. Though to be fair, Bartholomew is doing the work. I'm just the evil mastermind with an irresistible vagina. And I'm the plucky sidekick who teaches them magic. Immy chirped proudly as his brawny arm squeezed against her waist. It's like a ferida. No! No fairies. You are far from a sidekick, my wise little spot. What else have you been practicing? He asked. All sorts of things. Emmy practically radiated under his praise and began counting off on her little blue fingers. Lots of different barriers, a little basic dispelling, simple runes, some enchanting, and a few offensive spells. Bartholomew does best with fire. Annabelle explained. I like lighting. It's fast and crackly. She got excited and zapped me through my shield spell the other day. Now it's her favorite. It's always been my favorite. The sprite protested. Chris looked between them, his pride overflowing. He'd been so busy, so distracted over the last few months, but they'd forged ahead. Annabelle was becoming a magic user, just like she'd wished. His emotions were a little conflicted, he was very happy for her, but it was tinted with disappointment that he'd missed all the practice sessions they'd obviously shared. No wonder they'd grown inseparable. Show me what to do, he said, freeing his magic to rush eagerly through his body. Emmy's eyes fluttered for a moment as she basked in his upwelling of clean, tasty magic. Have you managed to make a kinetic shield before? She blinked up at him, taking his hand and leading to the very center of the room. I know you've read some theory. Try it. Chris did try. He tried very hard. The problem for him was maintaining the necessary concentration. His brand of magic was based on feeding energy to focused intentions. That was all very well when you wanted to do something emotionally charged, something fast and powerful, something the mind could easily comprehend. Scorch that enemy, sure. Heal someone you cared for, okay. Teleport to that place right over there, no problem. Even blessing a small child with luck and fortune was not too far of a stretch, so long as the thoughts were simple and didn't have to be held. Trying to keep his mind focused as he willed a sphere of protective magic around himself was a problem. Forming it was okay, not great, but manageable. But then the spell had to be maintained, the intention focused, logical, and controlled continuously. A stray thought could ruin him, and he hadn't even had anything fired at him while ET.ASME and Annabelle watched him struggle, he tried adding extra magic. It worked to begin with. But as soon as his mind wandered, it was even more likely to slip away from him. Next, he tried channeling his anger and frustration. That usually produced excellent results when he fought, but instead of a shield, he created a nova of kinetic force. His audience of two was thrown to the wooden floor in a tangle, a blue wing snarling in Annabelle's long, braided hair. That trick might have come in handy against those animated corpses. Stop this at once! Rayla burst into the room, breathing heavily. Rayla? He was genuinely confused. Get out, dragon! You're going to break my nexus! Behind her in the hallway, a few beings in black security uniform vied for a better look. What? I now please! She entreated, rushing forward to grab his hand. The dark-skinned elf began pulling him urgently toward the door, ignoring Emmy and Annabelle as they gingerly took apart the brunette's plait. Chris went along with her, quickly led from the dueling chamber, and down the hallway away before she rounded on him, relief clear on her beautifully regal face. What did I do? He frowned, noting how disheveled her usually perfect white hair was. Damn, she was in her nightgown again, her tall, slim figure shrouded only in sleek, dark cloth. He must have rousted her out of bed. Do. What were you thinking? I. Her pointed ears drooped minutely as she exhaled, trying to let go of her temper. It was the dragon she was speaking to, not some scuttling underling. I'm sorry, Chris. There is no real harm done, I think. A close thing, though. What happened? Annabelle burst out of the chamber behind them, Emmy peeking over her shoulder from piggyback. He was rapidly overloading the enchantments protecting the compound. The territory leader rounded on the culprits. You and your royal strumpet are one thing. I suppose I should thank you for the energy you've donated this last month. But he, he cannot throw around his magic like that, not around my delicate arcane mechanisms. Rayla, I'm sorry. We didn't know. Annabelle apologized, genuine remorse clear in her expression. We were just trying to make Chris practice some practical defensive magic. And how did that go? The elf inquired, her perfect snowy eyebrow rising. Not well, I think. No. Chris sighed. I don't understand, you saw my ether orb magic. Why can't I hold a simple barrier? So, you finally confront the limitations of your magic. Rayla nodded thoughtfully. Your mastery of the ether is not in question, but intention has never been a good match for such spells, the untrained mind is much too fickle. Runes are the best for shields, enchanted items second. I taught Bartholomew the runes for shielding. Immy admitted a little sheepishly. Ah, uh, so you do have some sense in that head of yours. Then use it, sprite. You should have anticipated he would not easily make a barrier spell. Only the most disciplined learned to split their mind, but I did not rush down here to give a lecture. Once again you've ruined my sleep, dragon. I'm going back to bed. But split the mind? He puzzled. What does that even mean? The elf smiled ruefully at the large young man, her ears flicking in amusement. Ask me again in a thousand years. You might be ready to start learning then. For now, if you want defensive spells, make a few trinkets, some enchanted armor. If you're industrious, you could consider protecting your new human friends, too. I hadn't even thought about that option. He admitted, brightening as his brain raced to new possibilities. Thank you, Rayla. You're welcome, dragon. But I ban you from this level. Your mates may continue to practice here, but you must find somewhere suitably desolate for ones such as yourself. She cocked her head meaningfully on the last words, managing to look decidedly avian. I. Yes. Thank you, Rayla. Annabelle added. We're sorry. All is well, disaster averted. Chris, I will see you later this morning, no? Good day. With a grace practiced over thousands of years, she swiveled and glided away. Well, that didn't go as planned. Huffed Emmy as they moved aside to let the security crew out. Now he's banned. It's okay. I learned something valuable, and Rayla gave me a great idea. He said. Why don't we go up to the gym for a while? Squats? Immy asked over Annabelle's shoulder. Squats and cardio. His first agreed, hitching her blue, winged limpet higher on her back as she led the way up the corridor. Every day is an ass day, isn't that right, Immy? Yeah. Chris shook his head, ogling their exquisitely proportioned rumps stacked one on top of each other in the clingy fabric of workout pants. That specific arrangement set his imagination wandering and his cock hardening. it was still very early, so they snuck in 40 minutes of workout before Chris had to leave for his appointment with Petra. Michelle showed up halfway through but was strangely taciturn. Managing to stay on the opposite side of the massive facility to him with uncanny accuracy It was like she was trying to ignore that they made love To be honest, it hurt him a little that he didn't bother showering when he was done The mature dragoness loved it when he came to her street with sweat and extra musky As he pinned her to the wall and lovingly ravaged her Immy and Annabelle showered and prepared for their day at the culinary academy The budding chef consulted her diary for her meal plan She began ordering ingredients on the bench top And assembled the top of the line food processor Chris had given her as a gift three weeks ago it was her pride and joy, along with her Japanese knives. Into the blender went onion, tomato, fresh coriander, garlic, and chili. Amy showed up and was put to work making fresh tortillas. Susan emerged and showered as she began heating the fragrant puree and opening a can of refried beans. That turned into two cans, better safe than sorry with Chris. The fresh tortillas smelled delicious as they browned in a skillet under the Sprite's vigilant watch. The aroma of frying chorizo and eggs soon joined them. It was all coming to a frenzied climax of activity. A rush to have the components of her carefully planned meal prepared on time. As Annabelle worked to bring everything together to a perfect moment, Chris did the same. Petra groaned in bliss, her loose platinum hair sweaty and clinging to her heaving breasts as he spurted deep within her. With arms wrapped up around his neck, she gripped an empty quartz crystal in each hand, doing her best to relax and let his magic flow through her. She was his vessel, the chalice for his magic, and she loved it. With a smile of pure joy she thumped her head back into the wall and keened. He roared with her, seating her overfilled loins again and again. That's the five-minute mark. Annabelle's head cocked to the sound of the dragon's passion. Start grating that cheese, please, Immy. Okay, mistress. The sprite chirped happily. As the busy pair began plating out breakfast into shallow bowls, the dragon's brood assembled. Susan skirted around them to put on a large pot of coffee. Slipping a little stiffly into a chair at the dining room table, Michelle began catching up on the email she'd ignored whilst in Brazil. Lillian was absent. Her meeting on the West Coast was keeping her longer than expected. The messages she'd sent Chris on Maginette suggested that their reunion this evening was something to look forward to. Finally, Chris and Petra arrived rosy-cheeked and still damp from their brief shared shower. Claire and all her red-haired beauty brought up the rear. It's like they're running on clockwork. Annabelle smiled. More like cockwork. Emmy giggled as she ran across the bench top, sprinkling cheese, avocado, and a dollop of sour cream into each bowl. I'll show you cockwork, you little minx. He strode into the kitchen and swept his miniature mate into a heated kiss. Standing on the kitchen bench in her tiny apron, Emmy was just the perfect height for it. That's exactly what she wants, you big dummy. Now, unhand my assistant. Annabelle laughed at their antics. What do you have for me to devour this morning, D? It smells amazing. It's huevos rancheros. Emmy supplied. Could you please take that big stack of tortillas to the table, master? The coffee, too, please, honey bun. Susan piped from the dining room. Chris was more than happy to help in any way he could and carefully brought the desired items to the table before returning to help with the warm bowls of spicy goodness. It amazed him every time he saw Annabelle at work, and he loved to support her passion for cooking in any way he could. It wasn't just for the fulfillment of his bottomless tummy either. His first took genuine enjoyment from making an excellent meal and learning new dishes, new ways to cook. Annabelle was simply incredible, and he lavished her passion with praise, appliances, and extravagant ingredients. He didn't care that half his paycheck from the BIA seemed to disappear into their stomachs. It was absolutely worth it. As the plates arrived, they didn't stand on ceremony. They knew Annabelle would join them as soon as she was ready, and she didn't want them waiting for her while things got cold. M-M-H-H-H-M-M! He groaned as he scooped his first piece of soft, warm flatbread into the hot soup salsa and dug in. Oh my god! Annabelle, I think this is my new favorite breakfast. Heck, you could have this for lunch and dinner, too. Thank you, Annabelle. This is amazing. Claire agreed as she combined egg, salsa, chorizo, and sour cream in a dainty forkful. A chorus of agreement and praise ran around the table. The chef took a happy bow, and her blue assistant did a little jig before they high-fived and sat down with the others. Tell us all about your trip, Michelle. Susan prompted. Was it terrifying? I think I would have fainted if I'd seen one of those bodies, let alone if it got up and tried to kill me. Chris rose from his desk as the elevator chimed, his magical senses releasing an answering ping off her presence. Rayla swept out, her human guise in place. Keen eyes brushed over the faces that turned to note her appearance on the top floor of the BIA office. Her gray gaze found him with raptor-like efficiency. She honed in, flanked by two burly shifters. Her elegance never ceased to amaze him, and the dark overcoat she wore over her refined blue gown did nothing to hide it. With perfect dark brown skin, flowing silvery white hair, and her patented elfin glide, she was a creature of beauty obviously out of place in the pack of humanity. This facade belonged on a catwalk and just seemed unsuitable anywhere else that a few of the newer BIA recruits looked around nervously, seeking reassurances from the more experienced members that the presence of the somewhat legendary Lady Nolakis was anticipated, or at least didn't herald their imminent doom. So this is where you work? She drawled, clearly unimpressed with his spartan little cubicle. A bit beneath your station, don't you think? Her bodyguards waited patiently in the background, giving the elf and dragon a little space. It's okay. He shrugged. I don't really do that much here. If there's no work to do, I'll go train or just hide in the ether. Pretending to be busy. I see. And what's this? The elf snatched up the sheet of paper he'd been scribbling on. Interesting. Yes, it might work if you knew anything at all about runecraft. A promising start, though. You wouldn't be interested in helping me, would you? He asked. I'm thinking I'll have to make at least twenty. One could be yours, if you helped. I could be persuaded. She smiled, giving him back the sketch. It depicted a series of gems and laid in narrow bands of rune-etched metal. The fixtures holding each individual stone had small loops on each side, through which a chain ran. Five such gemstones were attached to the chains, one on top of the other to create a spell. He'd gotten the idea from the incredible curtain the goblins had installed to protect his mate's grotto. I hope you know an amenable dwarf. Such fine metalwork will not be easy. I'm not sure how the clansmiths would like working for a dragon. That again. I don't get it. Chris confessed. Beings have very long memories, that is all. Dark and light elves still don't get along almost three thousand years later. Not that we were ever particularly friendly. Sprites and fairies, werewolves and centaurs, everyone holds a grudge of some sort. Wait, there are centaurs? Not anymore, they were wiped out. She explained with a flourish of her long-fingered hands. When does this meeting begin? I have to adjudicate a dispute over the bulk purchase of some of the crystals you've flooded the market with. Oh. He didn't know what to say about that. The energy crystals were flying out the door of Eddard's apothecary and fetching a decent price while doing so. Previously, Rayla had mentioned that it was promoting magic and trade in the territory. He hadn't given thought to possible downsides. Rayla, Chris, everyone. Michelle said as she stuck her head out of her corner office. Please come into the briefing room. We're all set up. They navigated the cubicle side by side, the graceful elf and the enormous dragon. Michelle's team formed up behind as they passed, Pamela bringing up the rear on her crutches. Her wound was healing well. Susan had taken a few drops of his blood that morning and used it to make a potent restorative draft for her as soon as she'd gotten to work. Combined with his multiple treatments of saliva during their luxurious days at the Otero family mansion, she hadn't even needed a cast. Chris was amazed. Her leg had been ruined. Another week or so and she'd be back to her usual capable, prickly self, according to Dr. Chan. The large briefing room was once again underutilized. Only eight chairs taken once the head of the surveillance department, Carlos Ramica, joined them. Finally, the big video conference screen flickered on, and the president himself looked out at them. Well then, let's get this underway. Robert Falconer began. Thank you all for your hard work, especially the team that went down to that hellhole and took care of it for us. You've earned us a lot of points back with the Brazilians. I'd also like to personally thank you, Lady Nalakis. This office is the first in the country to be established and operational thanks to your stewardship. You're welcome. Rayla inclined her head. On to business then. Michelle nudged. Mr. President, you've read the action report I sent you. Did you get a chance to view some of the footage? I did, Agent Hammond. It's sobering stuff. I wouldn't like to think about that sort of thing happening in a major population center. Good thing you brought young Christopher along with you. Yes, we are fortunate to have him on our side. But what do you think of my proposal? The extra manpower and assets could be vital if we're going to be policing more than just our own country. Chris wondered what Michelle had hatched. He glanced at Lisa and Kat seated stiffly across the table. He got a little shrug from Lisa. This was new to her too apparently. Kat, on the other hand, didn't meet his eyes at all, glancing pointedly at the stark white of the drop ceiling. Oh. The Joint Chiefs are already ahead of you on that. They've had their Special Forces teams upskilling to deal with beings for months. I agree though, your input on their projects could be valuable. They might not like you stepping on their toes, but they're big boys. I'll see that you get a seat at the table. And the other thing? I've got good intel that we are leaking like a sieve. Certain individuals and corporations are risking this entire thing. For what? A quick dollar? If this gets to the public, we lose the narrative and all the credibility that goes with it. We have to at least try to push the revelation forward. I agree. Rayla startled Chris when she spoke in Michelle's support, as if he hadn't already been surprised enough by her bold suggestion. Not only are you risking your ability to manage your own population, but you'll also make it clear to beings everywhere that you can't or don't intend to hold your own people accountable. I personally find it offensive that so little was done to punish Riker Pharmaceutical for their blatantly criminal behavior. If there are more such incidents, the being population will find out. They will call for war. Chris looked straight ahead, his pulse rising rapidly. He was in a room with trained spies, soldiers, and law enforcement, and he had a dirty little Mediterranean secret to keep. He dared not even glance at Michelle. I wish it were as simple as just bringing the date forward, ladies, I really do. The president took off his reading glasses and rocked back in his chair. But we all know that wouldn't magically solve our problems. Sorry, no pun intended. Huh, my daughter would find me for that one. What I meant is that we simply aren't ready, and our allies around the world are dragging the chain. I can raise the issue at the upcoming summit at the United Nations, but it won't get traction. Half of my own government will oppose it anyway. Then you must loosen our leashes, Mr. President. Rayla advised with a sly little smile. Beings are no use to you hamstrung as we are now. We could help take care of all sorts of little problems for you, if you let us. It would reflect very poorly if I unleash beings on anyone who gets in the way. He contemplated carefully. I certainly won't give you license to use the memory charm. Um. Rayla let out a little grunt of disgust. A pity you have such an irrational dislike for such a useful spell. You spend huge sums on incarcerating criminals that could easily be reconditioned to a docile, skilled workforce. But that is beside the point. We have other, less distasteful cards we can play. Our young dragon here can devour entire buildings and launch them out of orbit. I'm sure there are more subtle ways we can come up with to discourage your privateering corporate wrongdoers. Chris was really starting to suspect the two women were colluding now. Clever girls. I agree. Michelle said, adding her support before the president could think to object. It amounts to intimidation but there are plenty of ways we can magically convey the message to back off. Who's going to say boo? They'll sound crazy if they try to convince people they're being harassed by a dragon or a vampire. All right, you've convinced me. The president surrendered. I get it. If they don't play by the rules, we won't either. I don't want to know any further details, but please be circumspect about it. What do we know about the cause of the incident in Brazil? Chris? Michelle prompted, starting him from imagined ways to terrorize greedy executives for approving kidnapping and murder. A perfect sphere missing from the engine block in their cars was his best idea so far. Well, it was Roddick. He recovered. I thought that was obvious. According to Agent Hammond's report, you somehow smelled or tasted his corrupt magic, is that correct? The president asked, a slightly salted eyebrow rising. No one saw the man on the scene, and evidence suggests that the handprint wasn't human at all. How do we really know he was responsible? He was there. Chris rumbled, doing his best to remain respectful. I did smell him, or his magic at least. I'm not trying to insinuate you're wrong, Christopher. Robert's expression softened. Just that we need to be sure. You'll forgive me if sense of smell isn't what I usually get presented with as evidence of wrongdoing. Sam shifted nervously beside him, she knew the leader of the nation's scrutiny was not aimed at her but the young man beside her. It was intimidating nonetheless. I would trust the dragon on this. Rayla spoke in his support. Chris has faced Roddick before, and a dragon's senses are very keen. I have reviewed the footage also, and I believe we may be dealing with some sort of very ancient entity. The magic was truly heinous, I have never seen its like. Chris' eyes narrowed, she definitely knew something. He'd suspected for a while but the way she walked on eggshells around the issue now just confirmed it. The elf must have sensed his ire because her long, ears gave a telling little twitch, and her gray eyes shot to him guiltily for a microsecond. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear. The president sighed. I don't think this was an isolated occurrence either, Michelle said. I've reanalyzed some of the incidents that our systems picked up in Central America. There have been several cases of multiple murders or disappearances of entire households or farmsteads. In all cases, the bodies were found in an advanced state of decay or burned. At the time, they looked mundane. But after what I saw in Brazil, I now suspect they could be Roddick's work, simply allowed to run its course for a few more days before they were discovered. Shit, he's working his way down the continent. Robert said. Exactly. Why? There was a pause, people began glancing at each other until more and more pairs of eyes settled on Chris. Well, I don't know. He shot a reproachful look at the elf who had apparently abandoned him on the subject. They would have to have another little chat about honesty soon, and they'd been making such good progress. Whatever it is he's up to, we have to stop him. It can't be good. The Brazilians have set up border checkpoints, but I'm not confident they'll do any good. Michelle moved them along. All we have to distribute is his description and that he's extremely dangerous. Our best case in that scenario is that he's recognized and causes enough damage in his attempt to escape that it puts him back on our radar. Though what happens then is anyone's guess. The Senate has their own ongoing investigation. Relya addressed the President. That may be our best chance to stop him, but they have their own problems to deal with. He hasn't been their top priority since he disappeared after the incident in Harrisburg. He hasn't been ours either. The president admitted. We've been distracted trying to prepare for the revelation. Which was his plan all along? Lisa spoke unexpectedly, sitting straighter in her chair. I've read the files. Whatever he's planning, he engineered this whole situation to distract us from whatever he's doing now. I agree, Lisa. Chris nodded approvingly to the brunette. We need to devote more resources to this, Michelle. Robert Falconer agreed. Put some people on it if you can spare them. Anything you can do to help, Lady Rayla, would be greatly appreciated. Of course. The dark elf inclined her graceful neck. Okay, I've got to get going in a minute. The president wrapped up, looking at his watch. One final thing, I'd like Chris at the upcoming UN Summit. It's a secret, but key leaders will be ratifying the draft terms of the revelation. I know the synod delegation will be there, but to be frank, I'd like someone I can trust nearby. It's too delicate not to take precautions against trouble. Bring whoever you like, it will be a good chance to meet in person. What do you say, Chris? Oh, yes, of course, sir. Are you sure it's not a little too public? He asked. The logic of having him there was sound but he was nervous about the publicity of such a high-profile meeting. There was bound to be a lot of press coverage. It's the perfect chance to foreshadow your appearance in the media. Michelle assured him. It will be fine. Folks, I've got to go. The president glanced up off camera as someone gestured for his attention. Thank you for your time and especially your hard work and bravery. Keep me updated. A curious mix of goodbyes, salutes, and nods bid the man farewell before the connection cut off. Very well. Michelle collected a few documents she'd put out on the desk and began packing them into her laptop case. Back to it, people. I'll update your assignments over the next few hours. Everyone else rose and began filling slowly out of the room, conscious of the tension between the dragon and the elf. Rayla. Chris finally spoke, controlling any trace of emotion. I wouldn't mind a chance to discuss the events in Brazil. There must be something you can add to my understanding of the magic involved. Anything at all you can shed light on would be appreciated. When you have time, of course. Yes. Yes, of course, dragon. I'll check my schedule. Good day. The elf beat a dignified, if slightly hasty retreat. The dragon was onto her, and this was not the place for that particular discussion. Chris let out a little growl of frustration as she slid away. He moved to leave as well when Michelle stopped him. Chris, please come see me in my office for lunch. Cat looked up from her screen as Chris hulkied his way past her desk. She couldn't look at him the same way after what she'd seen. After, she shivered. His enormous, glistening cock wrenching free of Michelle, bucking, firing a pearly salvo to arc and splatter and enough. His butt looked damn fine in that pair of jeans as he walked to the door of Michelle's corner office and knocked. It had looked even better naked and working. Come in, Chris. Michelle opened the door and ushered him inside with a smile that he smiled back, noting her demeanor seemed less aloof. The soft click as she quietly locked the door widened his grin. Have a seat, she said without turning, her attention on rolling the blinds down across the window that looked out over her pen of investigators, data miners, hackers, and soldiers. Instead, he took three silent steps so he stood directly behind her. She was too busy trying to peep through a tiny gap to see if anyone had noticed her unusual behavior. You've been avoiding me. He whispered warm against her neck, delighting in his predatory nature. To her credit, she didn't jump or squeal or even turn her head. She quivered, like a hare in hiding, ready to leap away if the hounds came too close. He leaned closer, running his nose into her short black hair, scenting her. His large hands settled gently on her hips over her snug-fitting suit pants. Chris, Aik. He spun her, sweeping her up into a hug without warning, easily lifting her into his arms. She looked slightly down at him now as he carefully squeezed her, unable to help the tenderness that grew in her expressive brown eyes. Her hands automatically fell on his neck, caressing as they communicated with just their looks and touches. Why the cold shoulder? He finally asked, raising the question that had been bothering him ever since Brazil. I? Chris? She paused, tracing a finger over the shell of his ear. We need to be professional. I can't have a public relationship with you. I see. He didn't, of course. One incredible, steamy encounter, and it was like they'd gone back to square one with their friendship. He slowly set Michelle down on her feet. No, you don't. She smiled sadly. Laying her head on his deliciously muscled chest instead of stepping out of his loosening embrace Her arms attempted to encircle him in return and failed as she breathed in his spicy musk I can't jeopardize all i've worked toward here for the sake of a little pda I can't kiss you hug you or even glance at you funny around my colleagues chris even if I might want to It's bad enough that cat knows what we're up to She said she'd keep her mouth shut But if it got out it could be grounds to transfer me or bust me down a few levels I need to be the one holding the reins on this agency They would seriously bust your ass over us He frowned Humans were fucking crazy. With a start, he realized his unconscious change in perspective. The dragon was winning out. Maybe. She sighed. Someone ambitious might call my leadership into question over it, certainly. It is unprofessional. I'm technically your direct superior. Questionable. He chuckled down at her. You know what I mean. She bumped her chin into his pectoral as a beautiful smile finally settled on her lips that he wanted to kiss her, but his stomach gurgled in protest, sounding like some caged abyssal horror. It was feeding time. Michelle actually started in fright, feeling the rumble through their embrace. Come on, let's go get something to eat before I'm devoured from the inside. Kiss me first. She leaned up on her toes, needing to reassure him. But I thought, are we in public? Soft, warm, and breathy, her lips met his eagerly. They molded perfectly, drawing a rumbling purr from his chest as she teased him with a pulling nip of her teeth. His hands roamed up her back against the cotton of her shirt as their tongues finally met in slippery passion. He watched her eyelids flutter, an avid little noise rising in her throat. When they finally parted, both were grinning stupidly. They emerged from her office spaced appropriately apart and took the elevator down to the street. It was cool, but the sun was out. It wasn't too windy, all in all, not a bad late autumn day. Look at them all. He gestured to the oblivious pedestrians they passed, intent on their destinations, their phones, or their walking partners. Mostly their phones. It's all going to come crashing down around them in a few more months. It needs to be sooner, she replied. Some of them could use a shake-up. But it shouldn't be as bad as all that. There are so few beings compared to humans, most people will never even meet one. That's a disturbing thought. Chris admitted, pausing to let a group of students pass unhindered by his broad shoulders. We need to make a good impression then. It'll be too easy to dehumanize us. You'll be fine. She teased, poking his side. You make a good impression on everyone. Even the president loves you. Huh, and look where that's landed me. He grumbled. Stuck in a government job with a terrible boss who's always taking advantage of me. You're lucky we're in public. He smiled. So, how exactly is this going to work, Michelle? It's simple, anything outside the house is completely professional but when I get home, we're fuck buddies? Fuck buddies? He laughed heartily, causing a few heads to turn his way in disapproval. And what about what just happened up in your office? Momentary lapse in judgment. She replied with mock contrition. Won't happen again. Is that so? He challenged as they arrived at their destination. Yup. But when I get home tonight, I'm going to ride your face until you've got carpet burn. You owe me after the number that monster of yours pulled on me. Michelle, I shut up. I loved every minute of it. She shot back. He held the door open for her, his grin wide and lecherous. A delicious warm smell wafted out onto the street. The dragon's stomach protested the tantalizing odors of the Japanese kitchen loudly, hurrying them both inside. Chris had been there before and fallen in love with their crumbed pork cutlet. He asked the waiter if they could have a booth at the back and were soon perusing the menu. Haley and I have been scheming up some ideas. He said as the server left with their order. Lisa told me about your quarry incident. Be careful, please. I will. He paused to take a sip of water. I just wanted to let you know in case someone notices when I start playing around. Nothing too dramatic, I hope. She frowned across the booth. There's a lot at risk. I know, but I feel like I need to make a start. There's a lot that needs fixing. Speaking of which, do you have anyone on your naughty list yet? That was quite the crafty little play you organized with Rayla. I almost feel sorry for Robert with you two ganging up like that. It's just politics. She shrugged, that impishly smile on her enticing lips. If I'm going to play, I'll play smart. The president might seem all full of confidence, but I think the footage of Brazil gave him a bit of a wake-up call. If he won't try to move up the revelation, I'll capitalize on his fears to get us more slack. We need more leeway for using magic, and if I don't get firmly inside the military's pants now, they'll start competing with us. You're incredible, you know? He rested his chin in his hands, staring puppy-like into her eyes. Stop that. Now I've been searching through the data I collected from you-know-who's computers. A couple of his acquaintances could use a lump of coal and a switching if you get my drift. I think I do. He agreed. A visit from Dragon Santa then. Can I wear a costume? Oh God. Michelle laughed please don't what it could be a good disguise i don't think i'd be able to look at a santa again after seeing one with big cream and purple wings talons and a dragonified face you'd look like a jolly devil see perfect for what we've got planned there's a bigger problem though i think i need to start traveling to different spots around the globe in order to build a library of places i can jump to it's a serious limitation if we have to keep relying on the jet to go places even if i do love the thing you're right that would be very useful she reached across the dark wood of the table to squeeze his hand. But please, Chris, don't take on too much. I'll be fine. He winked back at her, full of burgeoning love and anticipation for the delights of her eager athleticism. He was wondering if they might get away with leaning across to share a kiss when their food arrived. Said arrival spelled the death of their conversation, for the ravenous dragon attacked dish after dish until nothing was left. Michelle couldn't help wondering if it was his prodigious appetite that kept him overflowing with magic. All that food had to be going somewhere. In the ether, the depths of the compound were one of the liveliest natural environments he'd encountered yet. Maybe not so much with the scuttling, hovering, or lurking critters he was beginning to recognize elsewhere, but with magic, every corridor, wall, and door was touched by arcane energy. Complex chains of runic symbols for strength and integrity graced the ceiling with almost mathematical precision every forty or so paces. Unknown spells surrounded door frames with elegant script, whether as simple magical locking mechanisms or to incinerate intruders, he couldn't guess. Anything in between seemed possible. A few plant-like denizens clung to the walls or found purchase in corners here and there, but overall... The ether environment was very well tended. He stalked his prey through the crowded corridors at the end of the working day, the drow who was still keeping secrets. The evidence of magic all around him drove home the elf's hard work and dedication to building her underground empire. He paused his hunt, leaning against a ghostly wall as two witches passed obliviously in the other direction, their heads bent together in hushed whispering. There was no real need to step out of the way, but it seemed a little rude to pass directly through the shadow of another being when there was no pressing reason. Rayla was an enigma to him. When it came down to it, he knew almost nothing about her history. Sure, she was nearly 2,000 years old, everyone knew that. But where had she grown up? What magic did she favor? Did she have a family? How long had she been Lady of the Midwest? These and many other meaningful questions had never come up before. The realization spread a thoughtful frown across his brow. What had he learned so far? She was undoubtedly cold, calculating, and a skilled navigator of politics and psychology. Her ruthlessness and temper were legendary, and it was known that she collected useful beings to surround herself. Her relationship with Lillian showed that her scruples were somewhat lacking once someone was under her control or in her debt. Was he falling into her web? No, he thought not. If anything, their power dynamic was shifting in his favor. He thought he'd been making good progress cracking the shell of her defenses. Beneath, he suspected he would find a very lonely, unfulfilled woman despite all her collected wealth and power. The anger he'd worked up over the afternoon scribbling at his desk and writing up his after-action reports slowly drained. He would not pounce on Rayla from the ether, demanding answers. She deserved a chance to explain her deceit in this matter. He owed her more respect after the hospitality she'd shown him dot he merged back into the norm with a quiet pop, causing the conspiring witches to turn, delivering their best affronted glares. He ignored them, retracing his steps. Whatever she was up to down here in the lower levels was her business. He would wait rather than interrupt her. Not somewhere he could be ignored or put off though, he needed answers now. The corridor leading to her study was a dead end as far as he knew, branching from a busier passageway that led to the offices of a few of her administrators. So, he took a post at the junction and waited. After perhaps ten minutes he sat, finding a comfortable position with his back against the cold stone wall. Dot a state of restful alertness slowly enveloped him. His eyes closed, and his mind slowed. He didn't sleep, his senses were still alert to the occasional passerby. Several paused, startled by the strange sight and the need to navigate the draconian obstruction to be about their business. It amused him to imagine how they gathered courage before scampering by like there was any real possibility that he might lash out. Some just turned and went back the way they come, as if his very presence was an impassable barrier. How absurd. Humor got the better of him eventually, to the detriment of one unfortunate member of the custodial staff. A young feline shifter by the smell of her. It had taken minutes of shuffling nervously from foot to foot to finally work herself up to get around him with her cart of supplies. Boop! He said quietly just as she got by. Her resulting shriek and headlong flight brought him entirely too much simple joy. Had she really convinced herself that he was asleep, he suspected word of his vigil would spread around the compound soon enough. At some point, Arville slipped out of the nearby study. So, that explains the absence of my sweet briathorn tea. The elf observed with a dry chuckle. Must you block half the corridor like some overbearing gargle? I'm afraid so. Chris opened one eye and grinned up at the brown-skinned elf. Your cousin has been keeping something from me, and I intend to have some answers. Plus, I'm having too much fun to stop now. Unless, of course, you'd like to tell me what you've discovered about Radek? Ah, I see. No, I think I'll let her deal with this. He said warily, edging around the dragon just like the others. What's the matter, Arvel? Nothing, nothing, my boy. He laughed shakily. The elf actually seemed nervous. Must be off to the kitchens for my tea, though. Helps with my headaches, you know. Too much reading. As you were, I'm sure my cousin will arrive shortly. Sure. Chris smiled, playing his part perfectly. I'm not going anywhere. Almost silent footsteps on the lush carpet heralded Rayla's arrival when she did eventually appear. A quiet sigh of exasperation confirmed her identity. He stood to face her. Did you really need to terrorize my staff, dragon? She tutted her mild annoyance, one hand on her slim hip. She was still wearing the lovely flowing gown he'd seen her in that morning the blue fabric molding to her tall figure wonderfully. Did you really need to lie to me? He countered. You've known something about Roddick this whole time, I'm sure of it. I didn't lie. chin rose defiantly, and she took on a practiced, haughty air as she began walking toward him. He shook his head at her antics. It was almost as if she was the one offended by his accusation. Enough! He barked, drawing her up a few meters away from him. They squared off in the corridor, as he moved to block her path. No more games, Rayla? Lying by omission is still lying, no matter how you justify it. I thought we were making progress on trusting each other. But you have been holding back your cards this whole time. Tell me everything. Explain it to me like I'm a child if you have to. What do you know about Roddick, and why have you kept me in the dark? Chris, it's not that easy. Stop. He closed his eyes, breathing deep to stem his growing frustration. If you value our relationship, stop. This is your last chance. Come clean about Roddick, about anything else you think might concern me or mine. I am a simple man. I won't deal in lies or deceits or with anyone who tries to sell them to me. She studied his face, finding something akin to sadness there. Disappointment? Her reasons for keeping her suspicions to herself seemed almost petty now, if she'd lost the trust of this dragon, this. Devine. Despite her best intentions, perhaps she had erred. Very well, come with me. She brushed past him, a slender black padded finger tracing lightly across his strapping forearm. He turned to follow, surprised that she breezed straight past her study and down the corridor. Her gently swaying hips were naturally enticing to his eyes, but he tried to keep his mind focused, he needed all his mental fortitude to wrangle with this eel of a woman. Around a sharp bend, the passageway ended abruptly in a rough hewn wooden door. Conspicuous runes were charred into the thick planks of cedar, contrastingly dark against the beautiful reddish grain full of knots and imperfections. There was no door handle to admit them, but Rayla placed her palm on the wood and caressed downward. It shivered under her almost sensual touch, swinging open without so much as a push. Chris paused on the threshold as she walked confidently into a small, intimate room that was apparently her personal quarters. He hadn't expected this. Come in. She turned, beckoning him past a fireplace that began to crackle with renewed life, perhaps sensing the presence of its mistress. Have a seat. I'm going to change into something more comfortable. My feet are sore. Apparently nonchalant about leaving him in her little living room, she opened another door and disappeared. Whether on purpose or not, that door stayed open even as the one behind him swung silently shut. Beyond, he caught a glimpse of a huge four-poster bed, draped with thick blinds. She disappeared behind an ornate changing screen, and he looked away in embarrassment. The little living room was a curious window into her private life. It was not at all what he'd expected. What had he expected? Certainly not tiny, efficient, dark, warm, and homely? A well-worn leather armchair sat next to the open fire, a soft blue blanket draped across its seat and backrest. Beside the chair, a box of cutwood waited ready for the fireplace. Thought of course, a bookshelf dominated the entire room and was filled to overflowing with what he assumed were her most treasured texts. So great was her love for the tomes that they were crammed into every available space, stacked almost perilously on the mantelpiece, and even stockpiled on the floor. The small table in the middle of the room was half covered with them as well. They teetered precariously in huge model piles, rising like uneven skyscrapers, towering over dark alleys below. It was a wonder the thing hadn't collapsed under the weight. The other end of the table was clearly her workspace. Several books stood propped open or positioned on reading stands where she'd left them dot a solitary light orb glowed softly in the low, domed ceiling. Its light could be supplemented by various unlit candles placed haphazardly around the room. There was just one of everything, he realized. One armchair, one seat at the table, one set of utensils laid neatly beside the tiny sink in the far corner. Curiosity forced him to move over and examine the little kitchenette. He frowned. It could barely be called that. Just a sink, an earthen mug, a kettle for the fire— and a few shelves of dried herbs, jars of sweets. What a solitary existence she led. There was another narrow doorway beside against the wall here, with a handle this time. Internally, the debate only raged for a few moments. Curiosity got the better of him again, and he reached for it. It's mostly just books. Rayla said from behind him. He whirled, red embarrassment rising in his cheeks. Sorry, I was. This isn't at all what I imagined. She was barefoot, in her loose silken nightclothes once again. No matter. Excuse the mess. She motioned to the books on the table. I'm going to prepare a warm drink. Would you like one? I have. Oh. I have only one cup, sorry. No, it's fine. I came for answers, not beverages. Very well. She said, brushing past him in the confined space that he stepped back, almost tripping himself with the wooden chair positioned by her table reading station. The brass kettle was soon filled with water, and she turned back to the fire, hooking it over a sooty rod, so it was suspended over the dancing flames. You don't have electricity down here. He noted aloud, thinking more to himself than meaning to speak the words. Appliances are too loud. She replied, running a finger disapprovingly through the thin layer of dust encroaching on the wooden mantelpiece. They disturb me when I'm reading or trying to sleep. My quarters are actually modeled after the rooms I grew up with in my house's keep. Their familiarity is comforting. Your keep? I would like to see how the drow live one day. Ha! I don't think you'll be invited to any elven strongholds after the way you dealt with House Lefate. Although. She considered him across the table piled with books. My matriarch might consider you a hero for putting them in their place. Chris winced. I may have gotten a little carried away. Is there likely to be any backlash against me? Susan has prepared a restorative potion with some of my own blood. I was wondering if you could arrange some to be delivered to the elf whose tongue I, liberated. Have a seat, dragon. We may be here a while. She gestured to the small chair even as she took the much more comfortable armchair for herself. It was her room after all. Hmm, I could arrange for the delivery of the potion. Your reptilian nature would indeed be excellent for growing things back. I warn you though, it might not be accepted. I have heard that House Lefayde is furious. Partly with you. Mostly with themselves, I think. They are ruined politically. The Synod has turned on Ermir at the behest of the vampires. He is in custody awaiting trial. They voted yesterday to administer Truth's syrup. I think he will find himself in Atlantis prison for at least 50 years, but who knows what else they'll discover during questioning. It remains to be seen if you will be shackled with reparations for the damages to Lefate's property. I doubt it, seeing as you didn't kill anyone with that explosion. That was lucky, you have quite the temper. We share that at least. Indeed we do. He nodded. Well, I'll count myself lucky if things work out as you said. I would watch my back if I were you. She warned. We talked about long memories this morning. Elves have some of the longest. Do not be surprised if you find a dagger protruding from your back in a thousand years and a lefate assassin whispering their regards in your ear. Chris growled, his anger rising at the very notion. Peace, I am simply warning you to be vigilant. Now, you put on that performance out there because you want the truth about Radek? Yes. He calmed himself. I don't have truth for you, dragon. She sighed, glancing away from his intense gaze. How was he going to react? He was touched by the old gods after all. What? I have only a suspicion, though it grows closer to a certainty with every scrap of information we gather. A suspicion? He asked incredulously, running a frustrated hand through his hair. I find that hard to believe. You've been holding something back on the subject for a while. The synod has been too reserved about the root of their problems, too. Tell me, Rayla. He may be a demon. She said quietly, shrugging her slender shoulders. A demon? Maybe? His disappointment at the elf's elusiveness drained away. What do you mean a suspicion, is he or isn't he? Do you need a dictionary dragon? a little of her own temper flared. One does not simply cry demon without proof. The last confirmed presence of one was over four centuries ago, a minor entity at that. Nor has the synod been inactive. Some of their best are trying to hunt him, the only one who found his trail so far died horribly. You are the only being who has survived an encounter with Roddick. Others seem to die or simply fall under his thrall. At this stage, he is either an incredibly gifted, ancient, and psychotic mage or, a demon. Oh. Yes oh. Given what I know of your involvement with higher powers and that hideous magic I saw in the footage from Brazil, I lean ever more heavily toward demon. Too many coincidences. Then why did you keep it a secret from me? He asked, disturbed and exasperated at the same time. Because before a few days ago, I was convincing myself that it couldn't be true. She answered in a short tone. You do not even understand the significance of a demonic presence, do you? What exactly would you have done with this unverified, potentially explosive information, hmm? I don't know. He said honestly. And how do you think beings would react if they found out the revelation was orchestrated, being forced on us by a bloody damn demon? Not well, I assume. The kettle bubbled up with a hiss, water overflowing the spout to douse the rosy embers below with a hiss. The distraction took the steam out of the elf's own boiler. For a few minutes, they were both silent. Chris battled a mounting sense of panic, foreboding, and helplessness as he began connecting the dots. Rayla took the hot kettle carefully back to the sink, setting it aside for a moment as she spooned a calming mix of dried herbs into her small teapot. A spoonful of honey followed before she poured the hot water over the top, releasing the pleasant scent of jasmine into the room. It would be an unmitigated disaster. She turned, finding him with his head in his hands, brought low by yet another burden it seemed. Arg. What does it mean? He croaked, his voice thick with pent-up emotion. Why me? What am I supposed to do? Oh, dragon! She took the few steps to close the distance between them, pulling his head into her tummy, holding him. She hadn't meant for him to suffer from this. For a few moments, she just enjoyed touching him for the first time, running her fingers over his thick neck through his short, messy hair. Finally, as his breathing became steady once more, she tugged lightly on his ears until he raised his face to look up at her. If he is a demon, we will find the creature and kill it, of course. As simple as that? He chuckled wryly, his chin still resting on the thin silk covering her sylph-like lower abdomen. The simple plans are always the best, she said, patting his head almost maternally. Catching herself, she stepped away before they fell any further down the slippery mountainside of intimacy. Her tea was nearly ready. The moment was not lost on Chris. Rayla could be gentle it seemed, and he had needed the comfort. The scent of her body and the lilac-infused soap she'd used that morning still tingled in his nostrils. Thank you, Rayla. It's overwhelming to think that I must be connected to this somehow, that it's my responsibility to deal with Radek. I suppose in some ways I felt it, but I just wish I knew what I was doing. Is that too much to ask from whatever chose to change me, to give me this power? They regarded each other in cautious silence for a few heartbeats until she flicked an errant strand of white hair over her long ear and turned to pour herself a steaming, fragrant cup. With her back turned, she voiced her thoughts. If there's anything I have learned for certain about the Divine, it is that they are just as fallible as the rest of us, Chris. She spoke softly, pouring into her lone, fire-clay mug. Though their power outstripped our understanding, they still fought a war, still killed and died, still made mistakes, still had stupid laws which lead to the meaningless deaths of thousands of us. And it would appear the Great Barrier still lets terrible things slip through every now and then. We might have worshipped them in the zealous youth of our time on this planet, but they were never omnipotent. You have a wonderful power, a rare gift to be sure. But dealing with a demon loose in our world is not your responsibility alone. I will help you and others will too. Thank you. That is at least a little reassuring. He breathed, some of the weight of responsibility lifting, if only for a few moments. Not the part about Davina being fallible though. What were they fighting over? What even are demons? She put the mug to her dark lips and took a careful sip, considering her answer. I am almost certain the few demons to find a way through the barrier over the last few thousand years have been lowly creatures. Though powerful by our standards, they must pale in comparison to the entities that battled with the old gods. I cannot say why they fought. I had hoped you might shed some light there. But alas, it seems that is not to be. Whatever demons are, they obsess with growing, with gaining power by consuming all around them, including each other. I have read that on the battlefield. It was not uncommon for a demon general to devour an officer who couldn't complete his tasks. They disposed of their wounded in a similarly inhumane way. But there is the heart of what makes a demon. They consume energy, especially life and the concentration of magic associated with such high complexity. I have been told that sentients are especially nutritious. The village. He murmured. Yes, indeed. That is why I am now almost certain that Radek is a demon. I think they were reaped, like a crop of ripe grain. Rayla shuddered at the thought, blowing on the surface of her tea. Well? What do we do about it? He asked, almost accidentally knocking one of her books off the table with a frustrated swipe of his hand. Ah, there lies a non-trivial problem. All investigations pertaining to demonic activity are the strict purview of the synod. More specifically, that fairy bitch, Queen Magdalene. Strictly speaking, what you did down there was interfering with her investigation. Nothing will come of it because you didn't go down there to hunt him but I'm required to pass on all the information you gathered. You've got to be kidding me. So what? Now we sit back and do nothing? I didn't say that. The elf grinned wickedly, her ears twitching. But we must be cautious with our plan. For a start, we will use your familiar to hunt him. The humans have some impressive technology. I think they might surprise us. Magdalene cannot reasonably stop them without revealing that they suspect he is a demon. Who knows what trouble that would cause. I don't even want to think about it. Chris rubbed at his temples. The word is too religiously charged we're already going to be branded as devil-spawn by half the world as it is. Exactly. The reaction amongst the being population would be no less disastrous. In the past, the lower classes have been known to band together and openly run down demons out of fear, regardless of human collateral damage or the synod's orders. Shit, do we have options? I have another, less diplomatic, avenue we might explore. I would need your help to break into certain vaults to obtain rare texts that might contain spells to locate demons, amongst other things. That would be our last resort though, the consequences would be dire. There is still a good chance that the Synod can handle him themselves, though it doesn't help that they're so distracted of late. You haven't helped either. Magdalene was one of Aramor's firmest allies, and now she is busy maneuvering to keep her seat. What a mess. He slowly stood, his head coming close to the slightly domed ceiling. Suddenly the desire to get home was strong inside him, to seek reassurance and normalcy in the love of his brood. You've given me a lot to think about. Think nothing of it. Rayla almost purred, taking another languid sip from her comfortable seat as he moved toward the door. You see why I have been discreet then? Our suspicions about his nature mustn't become common knowledge. Yes, I understand. You need to consider telling Michelle, though. She'll be much more effective if she knows what she's looking for. I have considered it, but wouldn't she be obliged to report this to her superiors? Rayla asked. Maybe. He sighed resignedly. She certainly wouldn't appreciate being put in that position. She'll be furious if she's lied to, though. I was. I'm sorry. Her head bowed in contrition, fine white hair flowing down from behind her ears to partially obscure her elegant face. Yet another gesture of deference which was probably rare for her, he thought. When I first decided to conceal my thoughts on the matter, I considered them hardly more than a fearful fancy. It seems so improbable, the arrival of any demon through the barrier is easily detected. The synod's hunters converge in a short, sometimes bloody struggle ensues before the demon is dispatched. I still have no idea how Roddick slipped past our detection. I guess we'll have to ask him one day. Be serious, Chris. What will you do, now that you have the burden of this knowledge? I truly don't know, probably nothing. Though the idea of marshalling an army of beings and sweeping down the continent until we've flushed him into the sea does seem appealing. For now, I think I'll go home and find a way to distract myself. A dragon through and through. Rayla smiled. It might be nice to entertain him a while longer and move to other topics, but he was ready to leave. A flick of her wrist opened the thick door to the corridor outside. You have done all that could possibly be expected of you so far. Be at peace, Chris. Simply continue to gather knowledge and strength so that you may act if the opportunity presents itself. Thank you. He turned in the portal. Sorry about the drama before, I didn't. Still friends? Of course. He did not return to the domestic bliss he so desperately sought after the frustrating conversation with Rayla. Ray's voices in the apartment put him on alert as soon as he phased into his bedroom. Though muffled, a heated argument appeared to be underway in the borrowed hotel suite he knew that he shouldn't, but it didn't stop him creeping silently to the door, listening all the while. It's not that big a deal. Susan said, clearly trying to calm the situation. I'll just miss out this cycle. No one else will get put out. No. Annabelle growled, followed by a dull thump that Chris would swear was her foot stomping the floor in outrage. So Annabelle was adorably angry then, that couldn't be good. Lillian, you're throwing your weight around again. This will be the third time you've broken the schedule. It's just not fair for everyone. Mother and I agree. Claire spoke firmly in his first defense. You don't understand, Annabelle. I need this, I need him. The vampire growled, her voice containing much more darkness than Chris expected. I will have him tonight. You will have to stop me by force. Here we go. He muttered, turning the door handle to step quickly inside before things soured any further. All eyes turned to him. So many pretty faces set in relief, worry, love, concern, mischief, longing, and finally, feral hunger. Lillian practically launched herself across the table at him, eyes black and full of promised death. It took all his mental fortitude to stand firm, bracing himself to receive the jarring impact that came half a second later. She coiled around him like a python, her pencil skirt ripping up the seams as her lush thighs encircled his waist. The fabric was no match for her undead strength, and he didn't bother resisting her lest he meet the same fate. Her warm lips found his neck, followed by her fangs. Strong arms slipping around his shoulders, the vampire squeezed him like an almost empty tube of toothpaste. She moaned in satisfaction as he splashed hot and nourishing across her tongue. Miss me, beautiful? He teased, kissing into the chestnut hair flowing over her neck as she fed. Chris chuckled when she didn't respond, putting his hands under her large thighs for support as he finally spared a glance around at the other women in the room, realizing that both Haley and Michelle were witness to the spectacle. Well, thank goodness you arrived. She was becoming downright scary. Claire sounded both relieved, and a little humorous. "'She's done this before?' Chris asked, rubbing a hand up and down his thirsty vampire's spine as she fed slowly, contentedly. At least she was learning constraint there. The strange experience was much more pleasant when she didn't latch on like an industrial vacuum cleaner. "'I heard some of the argument you guys were pretty loud.' "'Yeah, she's jumped the queue a few times.' Annabelle moved closer to the pair cautiously. "'I've never seen her as bad as that though, her eyes were almost black. "'She must be quite hungry.' Petra agreed, looking stunning as ever as she sat at the kitchen bar in a dark blue dress that couldn't make up its mind if it wanted to be a negligee or not. You should have just agreed with her. Susan tutted from the kitchen. It's not worth the risk. Vampires can go a little crazy when they're starving. She's probably right, Annabelle. Chris agreed, even as said vampire harumphed quietly against his skin, showing she was at least still attending the conversation. Lillian's need is almost medical when she's truly hungry, she does require some special access at times. Okay, I understand that. But I'm just worried that we are beginning to form a pattern of her bullying her way into extra nights with you. That's also a valid point. He admitted. And we're going to have to find a solution somehow. I can't have my vampire challenging my first. I think I should be in charge of punishment. Immy cackled from a bar stool, her slender blue legs coming nowhere near the floor. Who said anything about punishment? Chris wondered to himself. You know what? Annabelle grinned wickedly. I think I like that idea. You can crack the proverbial whip for me, Immy. There's not going to be anything proverbial about it. Amy grinned wickedly as she eyed the greedy vampire. Oh, God. Claire laughed. You're screwed, Lillian. I'd better be soon if this dragon knows what's good for him. She finally spoke up, nibbling rather firmly at the bulge of his trapezius, the muscle tense as he supported her weight. Ouch. Okay, okay. He set her down and pointed toward the waiting darkness of his bedroom. Go. I'll be there in a minute. She didn't go quickly, making a show of clinging to him before finally allowing him to peel away. The strut she employed in her seemingly reluctant departure was beyond ridiculous but it still captured his attention like a moth to a flame. The smoldering look she shot over her shoulder as she disappeared set his cock throbbing, pleading to chase after the lusty goddess without delay. He looked guiltily back to the other ladies. They'd all seen his eyes follow the vampire. Ah. Uh, no punishments just yet. Sorry, Ami. He recovered. Did anyone find out how her trip went? She had to kill someone, but she managed to rein in the hotheads. Michelle spoke up from the living room. So, that's about as well as expected. You'd better hurry, dinner is almost ready. Annabelle sighed, still a little testy about Lillian's disrespect. I suppose I should just keep yours in the oven? You're the best. Sorry, D. He took her in his arms and kissed her forehead. Duty calls. More like booty calls. She countered sarcastically. Claire's beautiful laughter seemed to melt the darker mood that hung over the women after the confrontation. She joined their embrace, hugging both he and Annabelle from the side. Emerald eyes glittered delightedly as her hand expertly found his cloth trap direction. Let's not pretend you don't love pounding the shit out of that fat-ass vampire. Shin raised, she met his startled look and reached down to his Temescence provocatively. Guilty. He gasped, trying to focus on anything but her teasing. Then don't let her fuck up your pussy ecosystem. My easy. Ecosystem? He stuttered. Yes. She abandoned his throbbing member and turned to his first. Annabelle, I love you like a- a sister? A great friend? I don't know, we're brood buddies, right? Absolutely. I don't. Lillian's not the same. The young dragoness shrugged, looking back up to Chris to see if he understood. It was tricky to explain. She slipped out of their arms, moving to stand with her mother and stealing a sip of the fresh-squeezed juice she was drinking before continuing. I don't get the same good vibes from her, and I certainly wouldn't want our kids around when she has a vamp tantrum. She wondered what her mate had to say about that. At least he appeared to be taking a thoughtful moment or two to consider his response. His brow furrowed as he finally elevated his gaze to meet both dragoness concerned looks. The approaching meteoric impact of fatherhood weighed heavily on him, a responsibility from which there was no hiding. I think you'd be surprised, she's very protective. I'll talk to her though, she was out of line today. But you also need to cut her some slack, she's going through a lot. We know, and it's not too bad. Annabelle consoled, watching the emotions play across his handsome features. We're all new at this, Lillian especially. She deserves our patience and support. Petra agreed, nudging her daughter playfully. It wasn't so long ago that you were the one causing a stir, remember dear? It's true. The redhead admitted, her hand resting peacefully on her slightly rounded tummy as her mind raced back to that first glorious afternoon when they'd coupled for hours on end. Bridges? Annabelle asked almost teasingly, Fucking Bridges. He smiled ruefully, the upwelling of love he felt for these women making his eyes water for a happy moment. Try giving Lillian a good spanking. Susan tittered, completely shattering his love-struck musing. Your father used to do things to his vampire lover that would have had me avoiding chairs for weeks, but the woman seemed to love every second of it if her screams were any way to judge. A spanking eye? Chris recovered, catching Annabelle around the waist without warning and lifting her off the ground. She shrieked happily as he swept her into the kitchen. A spanking might work on a good, God-fearing, Laramie girl. Ah. Ha ha, no, don't. Stop. His first half-protested, half-giggled, slapping at his chest as he manhandled her threateningly. He was all bark, though, and she landed breathlessly on her feet only moments later. She sniffed, the first sense of caramelization drew her focus to the fragrant pots bubbling on her stovetop, and she moved to stir them. My point is that I hardly think a good spanking is going to resolve the behavioral problems of a 500-year-old vampire courtesan. He flashed a knowing look at Petra, meeting her twinkling green eyes. So far my experience indicates that she finds it quite pleasurable, so it's just as likely to reinforce bad behavior. It's all about application. Petra devouring him with her gaze. Some women respond well to a firm hand and a short leash in the bedroom, even finding it brings a certain peace of mind for the rest of the day. If you know what I mean, lover? The corners of her eyes were so beautiful when she smiled like that, worrying her plump lower lip between white teeth. I think I know exactly what you mean, minx. Don't forget to remind me next time the opportunity presents itself. M.H.H., I can't wait. The blonde dragoness shifted restlessly in her seat. Would anyone else like to volunteer? He asked cheekily, meeting each woman's eyes in turn. Susan demurred, blushing furiously, and Annabelle just shook her ass at him and waggled a disapproving finger over her shoulder as she tended to dinner. Me. Me, 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 me. Emmy almost launched herself into the ceiling with her frantic flapping. Of course you, little one. He laughed. That was assumed. I'd like to try, Claire admitted, so long as you're not too rough. Hey, you should try giving Lillian some itch. It always makes me all warm and cuddly inside for days. I agree. It's a delightful sensation, for a dragoness at least. A frustrated shriek of impatience echoed through the wall, and Petra laughed. I think you'd better go see to your vampire before she tears your bedroom apart. He decided to sally forth before the lusty creature burst free, and he was forced to suffer the indignity of his brood's instruction as she took him on the kitchen floor. Have fun, babe. Annabelle called after him. But please try to make it quick, we were all going to watch a movie after dinner. Chris was almost at the bedroom door when he remembered the two other women. It was only fair that he go check on them too, especially Haley who'd only just begun to hang around the suite in the evenings. Haley, Michelle, sorry about all this. Are you okay? He asked as he walked back into the living room. I'm fine. Michelle looked up from her tablet, brushing an errant lock of dark hair behind her ear. That was moderately entertaining, but I guess we'll have to find some other time for that activity we discussed earlier. I look forward to it. He smiled, turning to the petite blonde and her stack of research papers. Haley? A little shaken. She admitted. A finger holding her place in the additional figures section of an article about the availability of water on Mars. I swear Lillian's eyes could have sucked the blood right out of me. I don't think it's wise for you two to be away from each other for more than a few days if that's the result. You're absolutely correct. We should have thought about what might happen if either of us was delayed. At the very least, Lillian should have a small bank of my blood put away for emergencies. What are you reading about there? Oh, it's nothing much. Haley put the article down entirely to beam up at him. Just a new study. Nerdy space stuff, you know me. You'd better go see to Lillian. She doesn't strike me as the patient sort. You're right about that too, beautiful. He leaned in and kissed her forehead affectionately. Lillian was a vision, waiting naked for him on the bed, pale skin glowing in the light coming through from the bathroom. Powerful, lithe, and possessing a seemingly bottomless well of sensual confidence, she reminded him of a lazy, big cat waiting to pounce, yet a darker thing still dwelt in her core. It was there, right behind her laser-focused eyes. The lovely warm hazel color might have returned with her light feeding, but he knew her inner beast lay close to the surface. Good, pound she did, as soon as he abandoned his clothes. She practically threw him onto the bed with her telekinetic power. The warmth of her smooth thigh on his skin as she straddled him was delightful, making his cock throb and leak. Alabaster curves jiggled delightfully as she settled slowly, purposefully into his lap. Chris watched in awe as her engorged, dewy womanhood spread open with her powerful legs. Finally, the heat of her sex settled onto the thick root of his erection. Bathing his weighty balls in the first slippery moisture she dripped out he propped himself up and they kissed a little but he couldn't resist pushing her backward in his lap to worship her bounteous breasts. The large, pebbled areola that topped those pale mountains of soft perfection deserved extra attention. And so, he lapped, sucked, and even grated his teeth gently against her sensitive flesh until her light brown nipples were swollen, and she moaned his name in protest. His calloused hands roamed the sexy curves of her lower back, running up her flanks so his thumbs could tease the bulging side slopes of snowy tit. All the while, her smooth, ripe womanhood squirmed up and down along the underside of his throbbing cock, her hips hunching languidly. She looked him straight in the eyes, a fog filled exhalation of excitement on her lips. They both gasped in delight when, with a helping hand, his angry red cock head finally slipped into her clinging, buttery frill. With practiced ease, she hitched her hips, sitting deeper into his lap as he slid home. Barely half of him was inside when her womanhood seemed to boil over with pleasure. Fuck yes. She hissed quietly, eyelids fluttering as the sudden climax began to roll over her. Chris watched in awe as her thighs quivered, her powerful muscles tensing and spasming as she cried out wordlessly. His throbbing cock was in heaven as she came, awash in her hot nectar. Her inner muscles squeezed him, seeming to urge him deeper. With a grunt, he wrapped his arms around her hourglass waist and forced her downward until her fluttering quim swallowed him completely. It earned him a few scratches across his shoulders, but the weight of her pliant, warm ass finally settled in his lap more than made up for it. Eye to eye, Chris leaned forward across her pillow breasts to kiss her again. His beautiful, pregnant vampire. But the hungry fiend had other, tastier things to wrap her lips around. As they began to fuck slowly at first, she latched onto the strong, excited pulse of his jugular once more. They rocked together his iron-hard cock locked in her slippery, steaming embrace. She surrounded him, sucking him deeper with every caress of hot, pink flesh. They were the perfect sexual match, made for each other, and she cried out as he filled her to the brim. When she threw her head back and began an almost guttural keening, he knew her second orgasm was a monster. He held still as she thrashed above him, pulling his head into her cleavage in a credible attempt to drown him in soft, sweaty jiggling dot he grinned up at her as a gush of warmth spread over his churning testicles and into his lap. Locked in a death grip by her strong arms and rippling womanhood, he let his own fangs grow and carefully sank the very tips into the pale skin just above her pebbled areola. His itch rushed into her bloodstream, its fame magic seeming to extend her climax almost torturously until she pushed him away and rolled to the side. His raging cock was rudely abandoned with an audible squelch, glistening and streaked with her fluids. She curled into a ball beside him and shook, overstimulated as enormous aftershocks of pleasure raced through her inundated nerves. Chris wasn't anywhere near done with her though, and his throbbing penis demanded its immediate return to her molten embrace. She offered no resistance when he stood and dragged her across the sheets to the corner of the bed. Covering her body with his own, he kissed and nuzzled at her flushed breasts and soft neck as she recovered. Let her out, Lillian. He whispered when her brown eyes finally regained focus. Smoothing back her long, flowing hair, he took her face in his hands and pressed their noses together. For the rest of the night, I want you to release her. Let go, and let me take care of you. Chris, I, it's okay, my love. He soothed, thumb brushing across her flushed cheek. It's part of who you are, and I love every bit. Let her out, please. He watched as she hesitantly accepted his request, her beautiful eyes darkening. There seemed to be an internal struggle going on because she twitched beneath him, tensing momentarily before a shudder ran through her lush frame, and the beast was back. Hello, beautiful. He smiled down at the vampire's, expressive eyes replaced with bottomless black once again. Thank you, young one. She nudged up into his face like an affectionate feline, her wicked black claws tracing carefully across his back. It's nice to come out and play. Well? He chuckled, spreading her legs and raising his hips to slot the huge tip of his manhood back into the frilly wet of her coral-flushed inner labia. He didn't sink deeper despite the inviting wiggle of her hips, just thrust minutely back and forth between her puffy, stretched lips. We can play. But when we're done, you're going to stay with me, and we're going back out there to watch a movie with the girls. And you're going to play nice. One of her eyebrows cocked upward as he spoke, a challenging smirk growing on her lips. Is that so, little dragon? Well, I don't. Fuck! He thrust into her savagely. Spearing her to the bed and mashing downward to grind his spongy helmet against her cervix You will do this for me He growled, circling his hips, stirring his throbbing cock inside her You will respect my mates Yes She croaked, her sneer melting into a lidded expression, exultant and loving Squirming beneath him, she raised her long legs until her knees almost touched her shoulders He couldn't help flexing his pulsing erection inside her, as she aligned their hips He was saddled to do some serious deep trenching And it appeared that was exactly what she wanted With only token resistance, he gathered her to lone hands above her head and held them there, as he reared back and sank slowly, but undeniably back to her core. Ung-da! Feed me that big dick, that's just what I need. Hold me down and take me! His members slid against every sensitive fold, stretching her delightfully. Those deep blue eyes of his, so intense and loving, seemed to fill her wicked, vampiric soul just as thoroughly as the pillar of male godhood dominating her greedy, juicy cunt. Her breath rushed out of her heaving, swaying chest as he began to rut. Leisurely, powerful thrusts at first building quickly to use every ounce of his inhuman strength. His heavy scrotum slapped wetly against her upturned ass, the room filling with the heady fug of messy, unrestrained sex. Gone was the vampire's smirk of superiority. The ancient courtesan's cheeks were rosy, flushed as she moaned out her approval of his lusty efforts. He was beginning to breathe heavily under the pleasurable assault of plowing his beefy cock in and out of her soft heat. He savored sinking to the root, mashing her swollen little pleasure bean at the base of his cock. He loved when their smooth pubic mounds collided as he plumbed her depths. She seemed to like that too, squirming and hunching her hips to meet his every lunge. With savage, pounding thrusts, he fucked Lillian hard and fast. It made her enormous breasts ripple and sway hypnotically, her nipples grazing his skin whenever he wasn't trying to capture them between his lips. Their bodies slapped together loudly, drowning out all but the vampire's loudest screams of approval. He was rough in ways he would never be with his other women, abusing her undead strength and resilience as he gripped her hips and thighs for purchase. His cock was in heaven, racing to orgasm as he plowed through his mate's velvet fro like a prize stallion. She it, I'm squirming again. Lillian squealed, legs kicking uncontrollably, and toes curling as her powerful body tried to throw him off. She was drowning in pleasure, but he was not to be denied his own release. That's it. He coaxed hotly in her ear as she flooded around his cock. Let it all out. I'm going to come soon. Tell me you want it, my dirty little piglet. I fucking need it. She cried, closing her eyes as she shook, helplessly lost in bliss. Grinning like a man Chris arched backward, sluicing out of her depths until her labia strained pink and taut against his sensitive coronal ridge. Pushing through the spasms of her climax, he sank back to kiss the barrier protecting her burgeoning womb. Even now, his seed was rising. His thick knob bucked, hardening further as his abdomen began to tense and shudder. he plunged to the hilt one final time as his precious seed erupted, blasting white against her tender, squeezing flesh. Lillian gurgled incoherently as he shot rope after thick rope against her deepest limit, grunting deep satisfaction. Chris had to fight to keep his eyes open, hunching his hips with every blissful pulse racing up his bucking cock. He tenderly cradled Lillian's jaw, pricking his thumb on her fang to let his blood well up for her. Releasing her trapped hands, he lovingly ran his own through her sweaty hair, as he unloaded his creamy jism and flooded her with magic. He watched her succumb, the vampiric embodiment of his mate, and reached deep for their connections. Blood, magic, life, and love. Forcing his magical awareness within her, he sought out every one of the teeming, microscopic creatures that made her what she was. I love you, Lilian Kozlov. He spoke to every atom that made her, sealing the words with his magic as it sped through her veins. Her eyelids fluttered over black orbs, tears welling up as she twisted in a grimace of euphoria. It was as if his rushing magic carried the weight of his pure, overflowing love. She sucked greedily at his thumb as the warmth of his seed pooled and overflowed within her. It was unbelievable, waves of pure acceptance, of love, washed through her wickedness, her terrible crimes, and all her dark desires. It was too much, how could anyone feel this for her? Something pounded in her ears, vampiric instinct told her to crawl away, but her body didn't respond. His love inundated her completely, dragging her down into darkness as he hovered above her, those blue eyes sparkling and knowing satisfaction. The cocky little shit. Lillian came to blearily, weak and sweaty, as he hauled her hips up into the air. He was still hard and enormous inside her of course, not bothering to leave her throbbing vagina to recover for even a few seconds, as he rolled her into position on her front. What did you do to me, young one? She groaned. Her body felt floppy and useless, like a wet noodle. It was all she could manage to turn her head and look back at him as he slid all the way home, dislodging a torrent of white seed to flow down her shaking thighs onto the already soiled sheets. I did exactly what you needed, my beautiful mate. He settled his weight on her back and began kissing the damp skin of her neck. With satisfied grunts, he hunched softly into her, nudging her limit with the head of his enormous member. You're mine, vampire. But I can't be only yours. I know. She whimpered as he reached beneath to capture her massive swaying tits. Cradling and pawing them, he began to seriously fuck her abused little quim once more. With a knowing growl, he trapped her sensitive nipples between his fingers, squeezing until her head shot up and her hips bucked back into his groin. She could feel the soft skin of his bulging, hairless sack mashing against her overstimulated clit. Despite my mates, don't I still love you? He whispered in her ear as he plundered her with short, violent jabs. Don't I give you more than a vampire could ever dream? Yes. Her inner beast cried joyously as he released the swinging breast to tenderly gather her hair with one hand. Didn't I free you? Put life inside your womb? He asked more harshly, tugging her up into an intense arch as he sank his fangs into her shoulder, pumping more of his maddening itch into her racing blood. Yes. She gasped as his cock sawed hard against her incredibly sensitive G-spot, plunging her into a small orgasm. You're, oh, da, you're a fucking god. I'm no god. He chuckled breathlessly, delivering a satisfying sweat to her vast, quivering rump as he began pounding into her again with most of his incredible length. But you'd better start showing my first the respect she deserves. She loves you, you know. I'm sorry. The vampire shuddered, helpless as a kitten as he took her roughly. Her scalp tingled delightfully, giving her just the right amount of pain as she lolled in his grip. I'll be good, I promise. I know you will. He brushed his lips against her ear. Because if you don't, there will be no more magic for you. No more of my seed. I'll feed you blood. I'll still fuck you but every time I want to climax, I'll make sure Amy is right there, and she'll get every drop that should be yours. No. Oh, yes. He smacked her huge ass again, eliciting a high-pitched squeal. So learn to respect and love your brewmates. You'll be rewarded if you please me. With that final promise, the dragon shoved her forward, burying her face in the rumpled bedding. He proceeded to demonstrate his mastery of her pleasure. There was something primally satisfying in the sight of her reddened labia wrapped tightly around the thickness of his glistening, cum-streaked shaft. They really were a perfect match. Her breathy cries were music to his ears. And the small, tender rosebud on full display as he squeezed her jostling butt cheeks gave him a wicked idea. With a dastardly leer that might have given even her paws if she'd seen it, he flattened her into the bed with his weight. His cock snugly ensconced, he bounced his hips punishingly into the springy cushion of her spectacular, jiggling ass. One hand worked back into her tousled chestnut hair, tugging her head to the side so he could have her sweet mouth as well. His other hand wormed beneath her soft tummy to their tepid junction, skillfully caressing her throbbing love bean. Taking great pleasure of his own, he despoiled the shaken vampirist through two more mind-shattering climaxes. He ransacked her to exhaustion, until she could barely speak or move. All the while, he forced the knowledge of his love into her very being until it was all her vampire mind could hold. Finally, he took mercy, unleashing his precious load into her, accompanied by a throaty growl of satisfaction. Assuming it was all over as his scalding seed jetted thick and creamy in her aching core, Lillian's body and mind began to unout from their pleasured tangle. She'd never been fucked quite like that. Both human and vampire were reeling. Dot a gentle zenith of magical bliss still flowed through her, as he emptied himself, one long strand after another. But she was done. She whimpered in relief as his hands slipped away from her inflamed clitoris. Throat sore and hoarse from screaming, she knew her ass would be covered in his big red handprints. It was intoxicating and a little frightening to be so used, and yet so loved at the same time. She moaned out a weak, wordless protest as he withdrew his huge slab of meat well before he was finished. Trails of warmth blossomed over her smarting ass and up her back. She squirmed coyly, cooing over her shoulder with fearsome black eyes as his semen rained hot on her sweat-slicked skin. The little blue gnat would no doubt smell it on her, and be furious at such a debaucherous waste of his essence. Uncough. Her head shot up as he pressed the enormous, pulsing head of his cock to the winking knot of her unprepared butthole. Sure, it's okay. He soothed as his seed drenched her tight sphincter. He had a firm grip on her waist and used it to gently nose that hot, blunt tip into her rosebud. In response, her indignant little hole nipped and spasmed in complaint at the unexpected invader. I'm not going in, relax. You're going to have to earn that. Fuck, Chris. She breathed as he pulled her onto him just a little more. It was barely enough to open her, but suddenly the heat of his pulsing semen blossomed deep and satisfying in her bowels, just how she loved It was too much. She wouldn't have thought it possible, but pleasure overwhelmed her once more. Hmm. <laughs> he chuckled darkly against her neck as he emptied his last into her. There might be something to this after all. In contrast to the way he'd fucked her, Lillian was pampered gently in the aftermath of their rutting. True to his word, he told her to keep her dazed inner beast at the forefront of her being as he gently carried her into the shower. It was wonderful to just lean back against his powerful body as he washed her from head to toe his seed leaking reluctantly from her body. She was sore and inflamed, he had used her and loved her, it was fantastic. She felt like a princess when he was finally done, but it didn't end there. Stealing one of Annabelle's hairbrushes, he wrapped them both in fluffy bathrobes and pulled her out into the living room. The other's women were halfway through some comedy movie, and she felt unusually self-conscious as they joined them. Apparently he felt none of her trepidation, guiding her into his lap on one end of a sofa to begin carefully brushing snarls out of her dark hair. She still felt weak her pussy-thrumming heady satisfaction, and her limbs heavy and tired from their sex. Relax, he whispered, running a hand up and down her flank until she snuggled against his side, allowing herself to enjoy his doting ministrations. The brush continued to work delightfully against her scalp and through her cooling, damp hair. Damn, I want some of whatever she's had. Claire murmured in good-natured jealousy. Amen. Susan nodded. That looks simply divine. Lillian didn't respond or tease, she just smiled and let it all slip past her, washed away by the waves of loving satisfaction rolling off her mate. After a few minutes for everyone to settle back down and get back to watching the movie, Chris beckoned Annabelle to join them. Are you okay, Lillian? She asked quietly as he made room and she snuggled against his other side. I'm sorry. Lillian whispered as Annabelle gently took her hand and began to massage, careful of the black talons still protruding from each digit. Their faces were barely a few inches apart as they rested on his broad chest. They could both hear the steady thumping of his heart beneath their ears. It's okay. Annabelle smiled, wondering what he'd done to the vampire to create such a reversal of attitude. I know it can't be easy adjusting to the pregnancy, to being with him. It isn't. The vampire confessed, surprising herself with a candid admission. I'm growing so quickly now, and something's changing in me. I can feel it. I'm sated one moment and ravenous the next. I don't know if it's the pregnancy or whatever his magic is doing to me. Chris kissed her still moist tresses in reassurance, and hugged her tight against his flank. We'll work it out. Annabelle promised with boundless conviction. We're all here for you, you know? Every one of us will do whatever we can to support you. That's how the magic works, how we grow strong together. I don't care if you're a vampire or you think you're evil or whatever. We love each other, and our dragon. Thank you. Lillian husked turning her face into his chest to hide her tears. She didn't deserve any of this, least of all this young woman's care and affection. She'd done such terrible things in her long life. How could this odd brand of domestic bliss be her redemption? She felt Annabelle shift, sprawling across Chris to embrace her. The tears really began to flow then, and she voiced a muted sob as she somehow started to feel the waves of love and acceptance coming not only from him, but from Annabelle too. They seeped into her filling the dark void she'd so carefully cultivated for hundreds of years until it shattered under the weight of irrepressible truth. She was truly loved once more. The scenery of arid desolation scrolling past his window slowed, awaking Roddick from his idle musings as the bus braked for yet one or another stop. At least it was air-conditioned, the seats comfortable, and the cabin free of filthy, stinking livestock. Other than the seven other passengers, of course, parched brown and scattered here and there with the bastions of termites, his view of the prairie outside reminded him of his time in another desert. He watched the shimmering heat rising from the baked, dusty soil, battering the already desiccated grass and scattered trees that waited patiently for the return of a kinder season. The corner of his lip twitched into a sneer. The memory came back to him too easily. Sand. Sand everywhere. So fine, so tiny that it was in every agonizing breath of that acrid, pathetically thin excuse for air. His first battle. Back then he'd been such a puny thing, coughing up heaving breaths full of sand dust as he dodged this way and that, seeking only to live in the maelstrom of the front lines. Never mind the lust to kill, to devour. Just survive this one day and live a little longer. The chaos of open battle among the ranks of his larger brothers and sisters had not suited him. Still, he'd survived. He and only two other neophytes had feasted that night under the tearful gaze of the world's broken fortress moons, their domed cities burning as the favored legion raped and devoured their way through the hapless population. That had been a long time ago now. A flicker of apprehension caressed the edge of his awareness, his uncanny senses jolting him to alertness rather like a hungry spider to the first tremor of its silk. The bus rocked slightly, coming to a halt in the road. He sighed settling back into his seat as a heat-tormented soldier walked underneath his window at the back of the bus. Another checkpoint then, no matter. It was easy enough to make these pitiful creatures see only what he needed them to. Sliding open, the door admitted two sweaty men in uniform, armed and stern. The driver smiled obsequiously, bobbing his head almost as fluidly as the absurd figurine half-melted to the dashboard. Roddick reached for his power, preparing to enthrall the two men as they slowly walked down the aisle, displaying a penchant for diligence unseen at the previous roadblocks. He started suddenly as his magic slipped past the first guard, "'finding no purchase in the dark-haired man's mind whatsoever. "'A flicker of power brushed against his awareness, "'and he jumped from his seat, "'cursing himself for a complacent fool. "'He'd been found. Pair, the lead soldier shouted, "'dropping the documents he'd been inspecting "'to scramble for his holstered pistol. "'Anger rose in him, mostly directed at his own stupidity, "'but finding a convenient outlet "'in the form of the snarling soldier. "'Arcing scarlet from one extended fingertip, "'his power took the man square in the chest, "'crumpling, liquefying his innards. "'The man only managed a sickly gurgle "'as he melted to the floor. The finger of power crashed through him and into his startled companion even as he chambered the first bullet of his assault rifles magazine. Too slow, the screaming started, as it always did. It was a beautiful chorus to his ears, promising power and rich satiation. His mouth watered in automatic anticipation, but there was no time to linger. He needed to escape. Those men had been protected from his mind's touch. There were beings here. The briefcase was already in his hand, but he knew he needed access to his precious stores if he was to escape this ambush unscathed. Despite that, he loathed wasting such power. He bent to unlock it unintentionally saving his life in the process as something punched through the bus window. The safety glass transformed into a mosaic of cracks as the missile passed directly through the space his head had occupied moments before. He caught only a glimpse of the massive bolt, steel-tipped and perfectly fletched as it whistled overhead before crashing straight through the opposite window in an explosion of glittering shards. Understandably rattled, Roddick peeked around an unshattered window, searching for his attacker as he hastily threw open the briefcase. He grabbed at a careless fistful of leathery cards, crumpling them to gray dust. His eyes flicked to movement even as the heady power of six human lives rushed into him dot on a small rise across an almost barren pasture inhabited only by two bony steers, a dark figure stepped gracefully from behind a stooped tree. Shouldering what appeared to be a comically huge arbalest, his ambusher stood with her hand on a cocked hip, regarding him in return. Even from a distance of over two hundred yards the tall, feminine figure clad in midnight black from head to toe was known to him by reputation if nothing else. She began loping unhurriedly down toward the road, a display of nonchalance that galled his ego. So. He growled in frustration as his ears drew his attention back to the shouts of converging soldiers. They send the huntress. Where then is the hound? This was far more dire a situation than could have reasonably been anticipated. For a moment, his survival instinct urged him to flee right now, to vanish into the ether and start again on another continent. Perhaps Africa? But time was getting short now, and he couldn't so easily recoup the cost of such a journey, let alone the risk of his passage being accurately traced. No doubt it would if they'd already gotten this close to him. No, No, that wouldn't do. What he needed now was to evade, to regroup, and to sow discord. Just by a little more time. It appeared his relatively peaceful sojourn of the last few months was over. Time to throw a few more spanners into the works then, he still had several doozies left. First, though, he needed to survive. The power coursing through this husk of a human form gave him confidence. But he regretted the need to keep the farce intact a little longer. How he would enjoy the freedom of his true form in a moment like this, his full power unleashed against such a worthy foe. It would be too wasteful of his precious skin. It was almost flattering that the huntress had been sent for him though it made perfect sense. So, he rose to meet the challenge. Unmindful of the fate of his fine leather shoes, Radek Kami stepped through the muck of the two ruined bodies in the aisle. He left the other passengers to their screaming. This could work to his advantage if he survived. The huntress had involved far too many witnesses, she'd given him an audience. Let them try to cover this up once he was done. If they could, bullets started flying as soon as his foot hit the tar pavement. He hardened himself, reaching uncaringly into his breast pocket as the angry projectiles bounced and ricocheted harmlessly, not even marring his suit. He pulled an ornately inscribed little vial into view, its liquid contents brown and thick. A vicious shake riled the half-crazed beast inside, an indistinct shape thrashing furiously in the dirty water. His little Australian insurance policy. He chuckled, there was nothing little about it. Wary of his ambushes, he glanced up and down the road, taking note of the soldiers as they tried to find cover behind cars whose panicked drivers wanted nothing but to get away from the sudden madness. His eyes fell on an olive-skinned teen, gawking from the back seat of the car in front of his bus, her phone held up to record. Such incredible technology they developed. The girl looked on in horror as a decorated soldier dropped his empty rifle to the road and charged forward with a cry of impotent disbelief. The unremarkable graying man just smiled at her, refusing to acknowledge the man who now pressed a pistol point-blank to his temple. The soldier shouted some clichéd obscenity, and pulled the trigger. Roddick simply smiled wider, watching her mouth open in a muted scream as the man's pistol exploded, scattering three fingers and a goodly chunk of thumb to the soft, hot breeze. Finally, he returned his attention to the soldier. It must be said, the man showed admirable bravery as he recovered from the loss of his hand and unsheathed a long blade from his hip. An approaching how warned him to make his disposal of the human quick, but he couldn't refuse the opportunity to create such damning footage. He took hold of the man's good arm almost gently, watching the hatred in his darting eyes drain to fear as a small surge of localized corruption let him merely pull the limb easily from its socket. Roddick swung, again and again, bludgeoning the blubbering man down onto the pavement with the meaty end of his own appendage. When he was done he must have looked frightful, Blood splattered over his face and charcoal suit as he stood over the unconscious soldier. He made sure to look back at the girl's camera and wink. Panic ensued. People ran screaming from their vehicles into the rocky brush at the side of the road, unmindful of the path of bullets as the few soldiers who kept their wits resumed their useless barrage with fresh magazines. An enterprising driver broke rank, gunning it up the wrong side of the road in a battered old truck, intent on ramming his way through the suited man. Roddick sent it flipping end over end into the ditch from thirty yards away with a contemptuous backhand motion. The power required for such a dramatic feat was perhaps a waste but he couldn't deny the satisfaction it bought him. The huntress' appearance from a dry hedgerow didn't startle him. Indeed, he was waiting for her. She cut an appealing figure in her black leather armor, aiming that monstrous contraption almost lazily at his head. He dodged to the side as a dull twang announced the release of another thick bolt. It buzzed past angrily, the squat projectile penetrating the front of the bus with ease. You'll have to be quicker than that. He sneered. Too late. Roddick realized his mistake. A flicker of a smile on red lips inside her dark cow warned him, but he'd already stepped firmly into the jaws of her trap. Another shaft streaked down from the sky, shattering his clavicle, two ribs, and skewering his lung like a kebab. He grunted in pain and surprise, blood gurgling up into his mouth as his ruined lung collapsed. Already, a searing coolness was spreading from the shaft, sucking up his magic. It must be enchanted. When had the uncanny bitch shot that one? Quick enough, demon? She lilted. Her smile drawing taut a jagged pink scar across her otherwise perfect jaw. Already her arbalest was cocking itself, the thick bar of the metal lathe pulled to unbelievable tension by magical leverage. The bus rocked behind Roddick groaning in protest as something large vaulted onto the roof, eliciting a few more startled cries from its cowering occupants. He staggered forward, his grip of the magic seeping away. The two hunters watched warily for a moment. Cornered prey could be deadly, despite a fearsome wound. Impatience won, and the huge, gray-muzzled wolf pounced, quarter of a ton of muscle and bone and flashing teeth lunging for the kill. His smoky fur was still sleek and luxurious despite his age. Riddled with jagged lines and patches of white scarfer, it proclaimed him the survivor of many a savage fight. Great dagger-like teeth snapped shut in a rush of warm, doggy breath, chomping loudly on thin air as the man barely managed to dodge away. Roddick swung the briefcase like a club, ignoring the wailing agony in his chest. Backed by a large chunk of his diminishing power, the blow took the wolf before his hind legs even touched the ground. It sent the beast toppling into the dust with a muted yelp and a couple of broken ribs of his own. He lashed out blindly at the huntress before she had a chance to retaliate, a coruscating sheet of unnatural red flame twisting toward her along the ground like a huge serpent. It was almost all he had left that cursed arrow sucking greedily every time he used his powers. She was quick though, leaping into a high somersault, the fluidity of which announced her elfin heritage like a blazing neon sign. A retaliatory bolt nearly took off his ear, fired in a split second her feet touched the ground. With the unnatural flame giving chase across the dusty soil, she took off into a bounding run, maintaining distance even as she skillfully reloaded her mighty crossbow from a quiver strapped to her hip dot he could hear the wolf scrabbling back onto its massive paws, a menacing growl promising vengeance for the blow he dealt. It was risky to turn his back on the huntress but he needed to put the hound out of action before he was overwhelmed and torn to pieces. Roddick threw the vial at it with a final surge of power and will, sending the creature inside mad with bloodlust. Kill them both. He wheezed, reaching to grip the icy end of the bolt protruding from his chest now that he had a hand free. Death is your freedom now. The vial shattered in a billow of acrid brown smoke. The canny wolf leapt back with an alarmed chuff, his sensitive snout ruined by the cloying stench. Something grumbled inside the cloud, snuffling and rasping in disorientation. The respite didn't last long, though. Whatever it was let out a shrill trumpet of rage and charged out of the dissipating fog with the awkward, yet terrifying power of a bull-elephant seal. The huntress almost stumbled on a loose rock, not believing her eyes as the shaggy green monstrosity bore down on Balgraf. Such a mistake would have been fatal with that cursed fire hot on her heels. But she recovered, notching yet another bolt as she looped back across the road to assist her mate. She'd never seen a bunyip before, but she recognized it from illustrations. The incredibly rare and usually placid aquatic sub was a long, long way from home. Its face was a flattened, blocky thing. Dominated by two huge downward pointing tusks, it possessed a vast, salivating moth full of half rotten, shark like teeth. Long, rank hair sprouted all along its back in a mane, dangling green and matted over the shorter, darker brown coat covering the rest of its enormous bulk. A crocodilian tail sprouted from its narrowing rear end, furred rather than scaled. The thing was huge, easily larger than a hippopotamus, and apparently just as bad tempered. Its stumpy front legs were thick as the tires of the bus, bulging with muscle and tipped with wicked six inch poison claws. Rather than running, it churned its entire body like a lizard back legs almost dragging uselessly behind as it clawed forward, displaying an alarming burst of short-range speed. Its big, droopy ears flailed about comically, but its wide-set, baleful eyes were full to the brim with rage and madness. The demon had tortured this poor creature, broken it to use as his own. It was despicable, and she knew without a doubt that it would be a kindness to put it down. But how? They were ill-equipped to handle both adversaries at the same time, and the bunyip couldn't be ignored. Holding the nullifying ice magic lodged in the demon's chest was no small feat. His magic was vast and every morsel her spell dissipated struggled to break the enchantment. Her first snapshot bolt didn't even penetrate its tough hide. By the looks of it, the wolf's teeth were now useless as well, serving only to enrage the thrashing monster further. At least Balver's wolf form was proving too nimble for it so far, darting in to snap at exposed flesh only to retreat as the lumbering brute rounded on him. It might have worked, if he had a pack of fellow wolves to back him up. The sheer power behind the bunyips' every motion was astonishing. All it would take was a moment's distraction or a little bad luck, and her mate would be crushed and gored to death in seconds. She couldn't stop to concentrate for any magic-guided shot lest the malevolent trail of fire catch her or her tenuous grip on the arrow falter. What a mess. Why couldn't that first shot just have taken the demon through the neck like it was supposed to? Radek screamed, and the three-quarter-inch-wide bolt clattered to the road, glistening with frozen blood. He leaned against the side of the bus, lightheaded and gasping for air. The barbed head had torn savagely on the way out, but now at least his power flooded back into the open wound. The bus lurched up on two wheels against his back, threatening to topple sideways and crush him. The bunyip was trying to pin the Bang wolf against the opposite side with yet another clumsy charge. The battle sounded ferocious, full of roars, growls, snapping teeth and the heavy, reverberating thumps of the bunyip's massive front paws. Yes, it was serving well as a distraction. Now he just had to make good his escape. A soldier ran blindly past him, terror written plain on his face as the simple image of the world he'd known his whole life was shattered in the space of a few violent minutes. Roddick reached out for the back of his neck, slurping down the delicacy of a tortured soul with a visible shiver of delight. The man crumpled twitching nerves crying out for guidance from his empty head. Down the road, a fleeing car veered into a fence post with a loud crash, the driver so shaken and relieved to escape that they lost control. Little point in subtlety now. He nodded to himself, pushing into motion. One step, then the next, then another, the increasingly battered briefcase at his side. Running now, his power seemed to surge anew inside him, tempting him with the foolhardy notion to return and finish off his hunters. Instead, he fled the scene of his embarrassing ambush on inhumanly swift feet. Due west he ran for the endless range of mountains rising skyward and ultimately, the coast on the other side. It's time they paid. He grumbled, knowing full well that the rest of his journey would be fraught with danger, pursuit and worst of all, lacking the blessed comfort of air conditioning in the approaching summer's heat. Rage twisted crimson and bitter in his gut as he ran. Set free now that he had barely escaped such an unworthy end, it burst from him in a harsh scream, high-pitched and alien in tone. Filthy livestock! We'll see who's laughing when your blood turns the seas pink. Me, me! M. Cock! lungs spat up a foul. Flemy ball of mucus and dark, congealed blood, cutting his diatribe short. Pausing to spit it out at the base of a termite mound, he wheezed up a little more. Glancing around suspiciously as he panted, the only witness to his humility were a pair of ear doves bobbing nervously in the upper branches of a nearby tree. Perhaps the olive-brown birds were too dumb to recognize the danger, or maybe they sought to stay with their nest. Mostly out of spite, Radek overwhelmed their tiny minds with a harsh wave of his corrupting energy. The hapless pair stiffened and fell through the branches to flop and twitch in the rank grass, shrilling their pain and dismay. he went to retrieve them, Intent on eating them or at least making them suffer for being party to his failure But as he stood over the wretched creatures a particularly delicious idea tickled his mind out of nowhere Stunned he stood dumbly for several moments wondering at the strange nature of inspiration To kill two birds with one stone so the saying went Well his stroke of genius involved two birds at least and it had a certain poetic ring to it Kneeling to collect one dove in each hand he pushed his power deeper into their bodies stilling their struggles Almost tenderly he stroked their fragile minds infusing his will and whispering his instructions With a crooked smile of anticipation, he watched their dark eyes flash crimson as they flapped free of his grip and raced northward with demonic speed. Mood much improved, Roddick scuttled westward, intent on his vengeful plans. I didn't know that's how vampires get their power. Petra cocked her head at Emmy over the breakfast table. I thought it was to do with age. That's what she's saying. Haley spoke up to explain. It's strongly correlated to age, but it's actually the replication of the magical parasite which is responsible for a vampire's strength. Usually, this is linked to their age, but Chris has upset the balance. So basically, Chris' magic is making Lillian's vampiric essence go into overdrive, right? Claire asked around a spoonful of crunchy homemade granola. With wet red hair wrapped artfully in a towel, her cheeks and neck were still flushed with the morning's passion. Chris thought she looked like the epitome of beauty, vitality, and young motherhood. Yeah, and the parasite is multiplying fast on such a rich diet. Amy confirmed. I had a good look at her while she was sleeping. I'm just glad she'll be more open to the magic now. Annabelle smiled softly. You all know what I mean, right? This is something special we have, isn't it? I'm so happy to have ever met you all in the first place. Now we're family and I feel so fortunate because of it. I don't care if that's magic. A murmur of appreciation swept around his brood as he listened, halfway through devouring a toasted cheese sandwich at the kitchen bench. He wasn't stuffing himself with his usual gusto because he needed to save room for his morning's activities with Haley. I agree. Our relationship is something to cherish, Petra said. A dragon's brood is like a magical choir. We all benefit when everyone is in harmony and singing their hearts out. Does that make Chris the conductor? Emmy asked waving his big stick around all over the place. He almost choked, inhaling breadcrumbs as they all turned his way. It was too bad he'd seen Lillian off early to the compound to meet with Rayla. She'd have loved to see his distress. Apparently, there was some vampire business to be discussed in the wake of Lakshmi's failed challenge. I believe that analogy is right on the money, Immy. Susan teased her young lover. I thoroughly enjoyed my visit from the conductor this morning. We heard, Annabelle said wryly, making the dark-haired witch blush fetchingly in turn. It's strange. Michelle nodded thoughtfully after taking a sip of coffee. Chris and I haven't, you know, done it that much, but I've noticed I'm happy just to see any of you at the end of the day. I'm not saying that I wasn't before, but it's different. I think I know exactly what you mean. Annabelle agreed. That sounds nice. Haley sighed. I hope it's like that for me too. I'm sure it will be, dear. Petra touched her arm affectionately as the others nodded agreement. You're a lovely young woman, and it's obvious Chris is quite smitten with you. You're already part of the family as far as I'm concerned. Thanks. The were bison bubbled contentedly. Chris, I'm almost finished. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. He scarfed the last few mouthfuls as she excused herself from the table and came into the kitchen to tidy her bowl and utensils into the dishwasher. Where would you like to go today, Angel? I sort of like that spot in the desert. She smiled at his endearment. That burrowing owl family was so adorable. Chris followed her with his eyes as she scampered over to the entranceway to retrieve her backpack before rushing to his side. Haley was truly as cute as they came, and bustier than was reasonable for a girl of her svelte stature. Owls, here we come. He took her hand as he prepared to phase. Be safe, please, honey. Susan entreated. Where's the fun in that? He teased. But I'll try. Okay, have a great day, my lovelies. I'll see you all this evening. Their farewells echoed back to him as he slipped his magic over Haley and pictured the dry creek bed near where the little owls had made their subterranean home. It was a perfectly remote spot for them to experiment. It didn't feel nice to lie. Well, it wasn't lying really, but his promise to Susan was about to be broken in spirit, if not practice. Something told him that he was ready, and he was about to put that feeling to the test with a serious leap of faith. A series of serious leaps, really and his magic quivered in eager anticipation. The disorienting, bodiless sensation of his jump was replaced with a cold breeze against his neck. The dry, earthy, and altogether wholesome scent of the desert filled his nostrils, and he inhaled deeply before he opened his eyes. Haley shivered, pressing her bust of form into his side. It was chilly this early in the morning, and the sun hadn't yet risen over the low canyon walls which made the spot perfect for hiding their more spectacular failures. The loose stones of the washed-out water channel crunched satisfyingly under their hiking boots as they surveyed their cactus-dominated surroundings. Chris noted that whilst clear of obstacles and thus an excellent place to jump in, if there'd been heavy rain they might have found themselves dumped in the midst of a raging flash flood. Perhaps not the best then. Aren't you cold? Haley looked up at him, almost reproachfully. It's not so bad. He shrugged. I'm used to working outside in much colder weather than this. Besides, I'm a lot bigger than you, thermally efficient and all that. No kidding. She put her backpack on the ground and extracted a padded-down jacket. Her jeans would keep her warm enough for now, but she stamped her feet and rubbed her hands over her arms to stave off the chill. You're not getting anywhere near my tits until it warms up. I can light a fire. He offered sincerely, wrapping an arm around her. No, I know it'll warm up soon. Go check the coast is clear and I'll walk around a little to warm up. I can go see if the owls are feeling friendly. Actually, he said, hesitant to voice his plan, but knowing her involvement was crucial. I was thinking it's time we take this to the next level. We've established a good number of parameters about these orbs of mine. Watch this. He raised his arm concentrating in the ether as he summoned a tiny sphere of blackness and raked it back and forth through a nearby lump of brown sandstone. The rock crumbled with a series of protesting cracks and pops as it was magically diced. When the half-inch wide orb was full, he began shoving in energy from his magical reserves. Soon, the molecules inside were starting to vibrate and disassociate in their excitement. He shot the orb high out over the expanse of cacti and woody shrub before releasing his iron grip on that section of the ether. The resulting detonation could have been mistaken for a professional pyrotechnic display or perhaps a very unusual lightning strike. A sharp crack echoed across the valley as violent white tendrils laced fleetingly through the air, errant charged particles making their escape to a more stable state. At the center of the disturbance, a shower of yellow sparks lingered for a second as the molten brew of rock shattered in the fresh air and fell earthward. Partial ionization. Haley murmured, nodding thoughtfully. Show off. Yes, ma'am. He smiled broadly. That wasn't even trying that hard in either compression or temperature. I can already filter elements and control all sorts of tricky reactions. I think it's time we try for the real thing. At some stage, we have to switch focus to working out how to effectively contain and harvest the fusion reaction. That could be the hard part for all we know. Therefore we should try to see if it's even viable as soon as possible. Today, actually. Today? Well, I guess I can see the benefit. She agreed cautiously. Have you considered the risks? I figure the main problems are safety and detection. Chris reasoned. What if my orb can't sustain the extreme temperature and pressure? We could end up in all sorts of trouble. You want to skip straight to hot fusion? She scowled up at him. What about my muon net? too complicated for now, I think. Besides, we don't have the materials ready. You said it yourself that the true grail of fusion would be to replicate the proton-proton chain, and my orbs might just be able to do it. If we pull that off, muon-assisted cold fusion should be a piece of cake. Imagine it, Haley. Let me see your damn tongue, I swear it's silver. Her stern look was being ruined by her small bouncing motion as she rose onto the balls of her feet. The first test will be very hazardous. If your orb breaches there will be all sorts of radiation and high-speed particles, maybe a huge electromagnetic pulse. Let's not forget the worst-case scenario. A cascade. She shuddered and looked up at him searchingly. I almost feel crazy for even suggesting the idea to you in the medical center. Crazy or not, my brilliant little bison, you've convinced me of the potential benefits. Look, there's your proof right there. Chris pointed up at the sun rising through the crisp, cloudless blue sky, radiating warmth and life-giving energy across the desert. There's nothing magical going on there, even if I might have thought so before I met you. That's very sweet. She hummed. Reaching her arms up toward his neck in a gesture he'd come to understand meant she wanted to kiss that he was, of course, more than willing to comply. But such a maneuver required a more equitable vertical disparity. Sinking slowly to his knees in the rocky soil, he let his hands roam her trim hips as she leaned down and pressed her lips to his. Kissing Haley was a delightful exercise, so soft, warm, and eager. Those beautiful cornflower blue eyes of hers twinkled as she slipped her pink little tongue boldly into his mouth. Her sweet scent washed over him, igniting a fierce desire as their lingual muscles danced. It was getting harder and harder to show restraint. So, other than making me incredibly horny with sexy science, what's your plan? She asked as she leaned away to regard him, hands running through the short hairs at the back of his neck. If you thought that was sexy, you're in trouble, Minnie Moo. He chuckled, darting forward to peck her adorable nose. Don't tease me, Chris. She admonished with a wee tug of his hair. You're so confident about it all of a sudden. Out with it, what are you thinking? Are you sure you don't want to try my muon idea first? I've got confidence your idea for a muon trap could work, but it's about three layers of added complexity. He reasoned taking far too much enjoyment from her endearing impatience. It came to me last night, the perfect place to really finish our experiments. somewhere far removed from population centers, no wildlife to worry about, just a couple of defunct old vehicles and, just tell me. She punched his muscular shoulder. No one's been there for decades as far as I know. He continued, ignoring her attempted battery. Chris, I'm about five seconds away from turning into a thousand-pound buffalo and goring you. All right. He grinned. Standing, he brushed the dirt from his knees with excessive slothfulness as she scowled on. Miss Sybin, how would like to be the first woman on the moon? Her eyes widened, flickering over his face for a sign he was sincere. Words failed her, her lips parting in a failed attempt to speak before she clamped her mouth shut. I'm serious. He laughed, holding out a hand to her. I think I can get us there inside an orb, no space suits required. I just need you to help me come up with the conditions that will make it safe for us. I figure if a squirrel can handle it we have to at least try to, squee. She launched herself into his arms, peppering his face with kisses. That's more like it. He rumbled heartily and hugged her close. You're the best fucking boyfriend in the galaxy. She almost deafened him in her excitement. Only the galaxy? He joked, pulling away from her with mock hurt. There are a lot of galaxies. She shrugged with failed nonchalance, still obviously giddy. I can't jump to conclusions. Huh? He snorted. I suppose it is only the moon. It took over three hours of careful planning before they were ready to embark on their historic attempt. Haley scribbled list after list in her notebook as the sun rose overhead and warmed the Arizona wilderness. Chris watched, contributing when he could, but ultimately happy to sit back and let her remarkable mind attack the problem from every angle. Every now and then, he would catch her staring skyward at the faint, pocked visage of their destination hovering high above. Her obvious joy at the prospect, despite the inherent danger involved, brought a conspiratorial smile to his face every time. Perhaps it was foolish, but he felt flushed with righteous confidence. It took only a few minutes to confirm the instinct that if he willed it so, one of his orbs could safely accommodate him inside. Interestingly, he discovered that the width-less horizon of the ether zones were impenetrable to him in both directions unless he specifically willed it otherwise. Once again, the orb conformed to both his subconscious expectations and understood his abstract thoughts. This reassured him against one of his key concerns for their upcoming voyage, that they might accidentally tumble out and be exposed to vacuum. He had plans of his own to test in that regard, but Haley would be a goner in seconds. Making an orb sustainably habitable in space was complicated though. Of course, he left the tricky calculations to Haley and her many lists. Ideal gas composition and partial pressure temperature regulation, particle and radiation deflection, and even meteorite shielding, all and many more were accounted for, and triple-checked .at her insistence, he attempted to manifest an ether orb nested inside another. This proved impossible, and almost brought their escapade to a premature end. The problem was that without access to spacesuits, or at the very least compressed air tanks, they were going to run out of oxygen inside the orb too quickly. Especially if Chris went as a dragon, which was the agreed plan. His flight magic was pretty neat, and in space, it might just save their lives. Not if a second orb was required to carry reserve air for them. The prospect of failure drove him to try something he hadn't considered at all before. He could already summon more than one orb, he tried up to fifteen before. They were easily maintained once created, and it was changing their conditions and making them move that required effort and concentration. But what happened if two orbs were forced to touch? Could matter or energy transfer between the two if the parameters matched? The answer, they discovered, was yes. Therefore, Haley's modified idea of a second orb, filled with condensed, liquid oxygen was back in play. That way they could realistically carry enough oxygen to survive for days if something happened to them in transit. Incredible as that prospect might seem, he needed a half-hour lesson on the more advanced characteristics of gas interaction and the idea of alveolar pressure in order for Haley to be confident that he wouldn't straight-up kill them when he tried to refresh their oxygen. Their backup plan was that Chris could strip oxygen from the moon rocks once they arrived. It would be a waste product in their collection of hydrogen anyway. They took an indulgent half-hour break to take care of her needs once it warmed a little. Haley's milk was as sweet, creamy, and delicious as ever. He was in genuine danger of becoming obsessed with the raised, puffy pink, comb-like nipples atop her incredible, bronze breasts. She squirmed softly in his lap and held him to her bosom as he greedily drained her, running her fingers over his broad shoulders. Every now and then, her petite body shuddered as he stroked up and down her flanks or gently massaged her small, sexy ass through her jeans. She would coo contentedly as a surge of milk let down under his suction, their eyes meeting and restrained, mutually acknowledged lust. he wanted very much to give her pleasure, so he tentatively stroked her thighs and tender womanhood through her pants. Haley really liked what he was doing to her, but begged him to stop in the end because she didn't want to spoil her underwear for the rest of the day with excess moisture. Chris thought it was silly to deny herself pleasure for such a mundane reason, but kissed her and made sure she knew there was no pressure to rush things before they reluctantly separated back to their tasks. Already the boldness of their plan had yielded significant dividends in the form of knowledge. There was nothing further to be gained by resting on his laurels. If they wanted to make a difference, the envelope must be pushed. He was incredibly grateful that his partner in crime shared that sentiment as well as a mind capable of backing up his sometimes blind tenacity with a healthy dose of realism and cold logic. His only true qualms about embarking on this mission involved his mates. They were going to be livid when they found out, and fair enough, too. What he had planned was irresponsible given his domestic commitments. It didn't stop him, just made him feel guilty. This was a significant risk to be sure, but he hoped that if they managed to pull this off, the world might be a better place for all of them one day. At least that's what he told himself as he stripped off his clothes and prepared to transform. Haley gasped at his dangling tackle, Cheeks darkening as she muttered something about needing more practice that he let it slip and embraced the dragon dwelling in his core, body shimmering he felt it rise and swell, uncoil, and then finally exploding into its full, majestic form. At forty-five feet from head to tail, the dimensions of his manhood were instantly forgotten as she was confronted with the startling reality of his nature. His great adder-like head snaked down to sniff at her, hot breath heavy with smoky spice. She stood dead still, marveling at the reflected sunlight on his purple and cream-colored scales, the raw, coiled power evident in every serpentine movement. This would certainly take a little getting used to, Entranced, she reached out and tentatively patted his brilliantly scaled snout. He replied with a deep, happy chuff and a wet, four-tongued lick. She laughed, and he pranced around her like a playful kitten, trampling hapless cacti and setting the inquisitive owls upstream to a concerned hooting. His sinuous spiked tail and clawed forewings looked vicious, but she knew it was his head that was positively deadly in battle. In the pit of her stomach, instinct sparked a smoldering fire in her young loins. Such a mate was sure to satisfy, protect, and provide for those he cherished. You're beautiful she whispered in awe, taking in the elegance and deadly power. And really, really huge. Not so bad yourself. The huge serpent rumbled appreciatively in a timbre that defied even her father's deepest bellow. The oxygen is beginning to condense to liquid. I only need to create our orb. Please read me the properties one by one, if you're ready. Haley gulped nervously, glancing down at the notebook in her quivering hands before taking one final look at the faint moon so high above them. It didn't seem real, that they were actually about to try this. This was her chance though her chance to begin fulfilling dreams she'd lamented as impossible before she met him. She wasn't about to let a few butterflies in her stomach stop her now. Yes. Visible wavelength photons, 60% permeable, 100% transmission. Haley stated confidently, her chin rising as she met the dragon's appraising stare. He smiled, flashing a maw of brilliantly white, knife-like teeth. An enormous sphere shimmered into existence behind him, suspended in mid-air a foot above the rocky ground. Her first instruction had an astonishing effect. The surface of the orb seemed to shimmer with reflected light, yet within, she could still see a darker version of the desert landscape that lay beyond. That is truly strange. The dragon observed, bobbing his head from side to side. Like the spawn of a depressed snow globe and a disco ball. Back to work. She laughed at his ridiculous yet apt observation. It was exactly the sort of thing Chris would say, and it was comforting to be reminded he was still there. Gamma, impenetrable. X, impenetrable. Ultraviolet, impenetrable. Infrared and all larger wavelengths transmit. Helium-4 nuclei, impenetrable. The list of required properties was long, but eventually— Haley watched the dragon pad tentatively inside, coiling until every inch of his spiked tail was safely contained. He settled, turning to beckon her with a foreleg. One small step. She sighed, hoisting her backpack. She experienced a moment of terror when she first touched the orb's surface. It seemed to take her hand in an unbreakable grip, absolutely refusing to budge as she tried to tug away. Her panic and the resulting struggle sank her arm up to the elbow as she began to hyperventilate. It was the warm flick of a serpentine tongue on that hand which returned her reason. She looked up and saw the dragon had his head pressed hard into the other side barely inches away. Even as a dragon, his concern for her was clear and once she calmed, her mistake was quickly apparent. The orb wasn't supposed to let her out. Sorry, that was stupid of me. She apologized moments later when she stepped up and entirely inside. There's no need, he said, rearranging his bulk to give her some room in the bottom of the rounded orb. He ended up offering her one of his front legs as a seat, and she caught her breath leaning back against the thick base of his neck. I was thinking of releasing it, but it would have been such a waste. I'm glad you didn't. Have you begun venting the nitrogen? Yes he said, a note of humor in his deep voice. Ready, set, go. Oh, shit. An unrelenting force pressed down on her, squishing her back into the dragon. The last of her butterflies vanished, and indeed her whole stomach seemed to drop away under their acceleration. Something in her backpack pressed uncomfortably into her shoulder blade, and she squirmed to get away from it. A water bottle? Ah, crap. We only brought a little water and no food. It's fine. If we're not back by evening, safe and sound, I'm probably as good as dead anyway. Look outside, Haley. Gravity fought her savagely making sitting up a struggle, but he helped her with a delicate nudge. When she focused her gaze out of their bubble, the dim view of the canyon was already fading away far below. She could even see the black sphere containing their air supply bobbing in their wake. Fucking lift off. She gasped excitedly, switching her view heavenward. All she could see was blue sky, but as she sat cradled against him, it steadily grew darker and darker as they began to rise out of the atmosphere. Glancing to the sides, the planet's curve became more pronounced, and soon enough she could see both east and west coasts. This is awesome. His coiled body was tense as he spent magic to fight the combined efforts of drag and gravity trying to keep them earthbound. In his mind's eye, the churning purple orb that held them safe slipped effortlessly through the ether at his touch. The actuality was much different, and the sphere was waylaid by the unnatural properties he'd forced upon that small section of the universe. All the way up, gravity clawed at him, and the atmosphere had to be shunted aside with increasing force as they gained speed. The pressure eased as they soared higher above the planet through thinning air. He ruffled his wings, stretching in what limited way he could as these tensions eased, and they rocketed out into the expanding void above them. Easing his magical push, he allowed the orb to continue with the momentum they'd already gathered. A bowling ball sent on its way down a freshly oiled lane. As his magic faded, they were suddenly weightless, still shooting upward and toward the eastern horizon. Haley's excited squeal echoed around the orb as she slowly floated up past his head, flailing and laughing joyously. Hold on to my neck. He offered humorously, twisting his head up to her, as he braced himself against the sides of the orb with his wings and tail. I don't want to accidentally crush you against the side. I can't believe we're doing this, it's so beautiful. She clung to him turning to look back at the swirls of white clouds on the canvas of green and blue below. It was a similar image that captured her imagination at a tender age, drawing her to pursue her scientific education rather than finding a niche in being society. Now she saw it with her own eyes and the sense of wonder she felt was overwhelming. Yes it is. The dragon agreed, swiveling to regard Earth. Worth fighting for, certainly. Is that what we're doing? She puzzled, looking up at the creamy underside of his rounded arrowhead jaw. He sighed, cocking his head so one bright gold lace eye could focus directly on his blonde companion. He shouldn't let his unease about Radek or the growing fragility of the revelation taint this incredible moment for her. No, I guess not, he purred. It's just that lately it feels like all I've done is fight. So, thanks for giving me something productive to do. You're welcome, she bubbled. Wrenching her gaze from the browns, tans, and rich greens of the African continent, she spun with careful handholds to find their destination. Unfortunately, we can't linger. It might look small from here, but it's easily as broad as the States, just really far away. So, onward chauffeur, to the moon please. And hopefully home in time for dinner. He scowled in concentration as he resumed propelling them, and their sense of weight seemed to magically return. Wait here. Michelle breathed heavily, glancing to Lisa as they came to a halt outside Rayla's study. The elf's urgent summons was ambiguous, but Michelle deemed it prudent that they run to get there. When a glowing blue glyph materializes out of thin air in your office and barks out a haughty command, what's to lose in arriving as quickly as possible? Lisa shot her a reproachful look, smoothing back short brown hair that was just starting to become sweat damp at the roots. Running across cold downtown streets and through the compound tunnels in her suit only to be told to wait at the door felt suspiciously like the sort of bullshit she'd endured in her first few months at the bureau. Sorry. Michelle nodded her acceptance of the silent rebuke as Samantha came huffing and puffing around the final corner and started up the corridor toward them. I have no idea what this is about, but I can almost guarantee her mood won't be good. Without waiting for Sam to catch up, she rapped twice on the heavy wooden door and slipped into the dark room as unobtrusively as possible. Lisa only caught fragments of muttered words before the door closed again. Nothing she could make out for sure but the mood inside seemed grim. Thankfully, there were three tall-backed, purposefully uncomfortable-looking chairs in the corridor, meant to disquiet the elf's guests as they waited for her audience no doubt. The new BIA agent didn't care in the slightest and slumped into one as her wind returned. Damn it! wheezed Sam as she crashed down beside her colleague, gulping down air. I'm out of shape. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Lisa glanced over at her reassuringly. Sure, Sam could stand to lose 15 or so pounds to be in peak physical condition, but she mostly kept up on the way over. Besides, her figure was beautifully full, curved, and womanly. She looked great for a thirty-five-year-old mom. You didn't have any problem throwing me around like a rag doll this morning. Believe it or not, I'm out of shape with my judo, too. Sam sat back, closing her eyes as she wicked sweat away from her brow with her sleeve. Michelle went in? Yeah, I'm dying to know what's going on in there. Lisa frowned in frustration at her exclusion. Beings take a while to warm up. Sam noted to console her fellow angel. I've noticed they don't care one bit for your human accolades or qualifications. You have to earn their trust through actions in their world. Michelle has earned their trust, we'll get there eventually. Inside Rayla's study, Michelle waited politely in the dense shadows at the rear of the room. The fireplace crackled happily, providing dim illumination and a sense of almost primal conspiracy in the darkness. It was obvious that an intense discussion was winding down, and she wasn't about to interrupt I on human interactions, being ignored like that would probably be considered an insult. She'd seen that mistake over and over again when dealing with beings, especially amongst powerful men who are used to obsequious courtesy in human society. It was stupid to assign importance to petty social niceties or to bluster with self-importance in the presence of ancient, magical creatures. So much could be learned by simply listening quietly around beings. Come now, Timothy. Lillian almost scoffed at the elemental in her trademark teasing accent. I can't believe you didn't piece at least some of it together before now. I've been focused on other things. Rayla's head of security shrugged. It feels like I've been pulled in a thousand directions these last months. You're telling me you knew? Suspected. Lillian nodded. Of course you don't go throwing those sort of suspicious around without proof. If I'd actually been in Brazil, I think it would have been obvious. The signs are clear enough. Arville agreed from his position leaning against the end of an ornate bookshelf. Your work to keep the peace amongst the crafting syndicates was inspired though, Timothy, don't let Lillian tease you for missing it. Harumph. Grunted a very pale elf that Michelle had never seen before. He sat in a position directly across the crackling hearth from Rayla. This seemed to indicate some respect if both Lillian and Timothy, Rayla's de facto generals, were forced to stand. That in itself was very interesting, but how did he relate to the incident in Brazil? You have something useful to add, Enverin? Rayla's upper lip twitched, almost forming a sneer as the fair-skinned elf's inarticulate disapproval. She caught herself, though. No point in grubbing for proof that a wolf is a wolf while it drags off more of the flock every night. Enverin spoke with a thin voice, scratching out his words around damaged vocal cords. You go out and hunt the cur. How, enlightened? Rayla sighed in exacerbation. Acknowledging Michelle for the first time, she found her excuse to change subject as the wizened elf took breath to Babylon. Ah, Michelle. Meet Enverin, our other resident class one being. I'm sorry to say we're pulling him away from his peaceful retirement for today. Recently, events do seem to have developed an ugly tendency to precipitate. Michelle Hammond. I'm honored to meet you, Enverin. She strode into the flickering firelight, confidently introducing herself with an outstretched hand, only to be brought up short as the elf turned his milky gaze her way. A human? Enverin scowled, peering closer as if he didn't trust his magical senses. His voice was scratchy and unpleasant to the ears. Ugh. What is it doing here? Yikes. Timothy muttered under his breath. Michelle glanced to Lillian for help but she should have known better. The vampire was trying to contain laughter, her shoulders shaking silently. She, Relias said a little pointedly, is here to help us find the best way to clean up your students' mess. Moreover, she's the dragon's familiar. Michelle got a better look at the elf as he made a few throaty, indignant sounds and proceeded to sink back in his chair without reply. She hadn't seen that many, but for an elf, he looked ancient. Hell, he actually had a wrinkle or two and his eyes were obviously next to useless, clouded over and white. More shocking, his entire neck was a mangle of twisted, shrunken scar tissue. What, in this magical world of healing spells, magic blood, and restorative drafts, could have caused that sort of permanent damage? What's going on? Michelle asked hesitantly. Yes. Well, there has been another incident with Roddick, in Argentina no less. This time, as you humans like to say, we've really screwed the pooch. Michelle waited for someone to elaborate, and it looked as if Rayla was about to when Michelle's phone began the piercing chime that cut through her volume settings day or night. Only a few people ever called her from that number. Rayla's eyebrow arched as the offending phone was retrieved. Sorry. Michelle looked around the room. I sort of have to take this. Any chance it's related? I'd bet my firstborn. Arville shook his head, apparently amused by the timing. You're not likely to have one with skin like that, cousin. Rayla teased the half-breed elf as the phone continued to ring. Enverin snorted his agreement. Take it, take it. Rayla waved as Michelle retreated to the back of the room. Half the reason you're here is to help us see how they'll react. Mr. President... Michelle answered, frowning as the head of state started straight in about a video that was sweeping through the internet like the pox. He seemed quite upset. Taken at close range on a high-end smartphone, it apparently showed the grisly details of a magical street fight between first Roddick and a few soldiers, then Roddick and an elf with an enormous crossbow, then a huge wolf, and finally some sort of some abominable creature. Sir, I'm sorry, but can I call you back? I just walked into a meeting with Lady Nalakis and her people. I think they're just as concerned about this as you are. They'd goddamn better be. Robert Falconer growled down the line. What am I supposed to do, Michelle? Play dumb for now, there's nothing superficial to link us to the incident. My initial advice is to tell the Argentinian government to say nothing. Get the tech heads to give you an assessment on how viable it is to hush this up and take the video down. If it's too far gone for that, we'll just have to spin it some way or another. Spin it? Spin it? The president groaned disbelievingly. I'll send you the file, but even I can tell it's authentic. I just watched a man's hand get blown to pieces when he tried to shoot Radek point-blank in the temple. It was the look on his face that did it for me. Exact same look as this poor Iraqi back in the Gulf who managed to crawl out of his trench and surrender, as we started burying his buddies alive in there with our tank's mine plows. I'm sorry you had to relive that, sir. Michelle spoke quietly into the phone. She'd known the President was a veteran of Desert Storm, but she'd never heard him talk about it. Don't be sorry for me. He sighed. He tried to pull a knife on Roddick, but the bastard somehow broke off the guy's arm and beat him to death with it while the girl filming screened herself hoarse. Jesus Christ. Michelle swore. And it's spreading on the net? Like a bloody Mongol horde. Get back to your meeting, Michelle. See if you can come up with a solution for us all. Thank you, sir. The line went dead, and she met the eyes of each of the assembled beings in turn, assuming by their pregnant stares that they picked up the conversation. I repeat, what the fuck is going on? It appears that your friend Roddick is a demon. Rayla said matter-of-factly. I'm sorry. Michelle cocked her head toward dark-skinned elf in disbelief. One more time? A demon. By the time Michelle received the complete picture of the developing mess, a dull throb of pain was growing against the back of her eyes. She stood pinching the bridge of her nose, a habit she'd had some success with back when she'd worn glasses. Arville, Lillian, and Timothy had borrowed her tablet and were rewatching the footage for what seemed like the tenth time as she considered their options. Why now? She wondered helplessly. Hmm? Why what? Rayla spoke softly at her side, startling Michelle into a resentful scowl with her unexpected proximity. For one, why the hell didn't you tell me Radek was a demon? She hissed back, not bothering to hide her betrayal. She and Rayla had been working closely for months now they managed to nurture a mutual respect and level of trust that bordered as close to friendship as the elf was likely to allow. And two, why is the existence of demons only now coming to light? You know what this will do to the revelation, don't you? People will say you've been negotiating in bad faith. I didn't tell you because it would put you in an untenable position with your superiors. Rayla explained with uncharacteristic calm. The human had stood firm in the face of her own temper enough times that she had earned some respite in a time like this. I have been trying to help prepare you and your agency as best I could at least. Besides, none of us really knew if he was or not until your team went down to Brazil. You can't just jump up and down crying demon without evidence. It's dangerous to stir up the weaker beings like that. As for the other thing, we haven't really hidden their existence. We just didn't explicitly tell you about it. It wouldn't be a problem at all if Roddick weren't causing so much mayhem. I don't think that's unreasonable given how humans are likely to perceive us anyway. Okay. Michelle drew a calming breath as her mind raced through screeds of disastrous possibilities. They needed to come up with a plan of action as quickly as possible. I can at least see your reasoning, not that I agree with it. What will Radek do now? How do we prepare? I don't know. Rayla admitted. He managed to get here through the barrier without being detected. That hasn't happened before, as far as I know. The barrier nexi are an obvious target, but they're incredibly well protected. I think this is something new, should look to his past actions for clues. He tried to make us fight each other openly. The demon will retaliate. Enverin croaked his prediction, stumbling into the conversation. They are petty, cruel, and cunning to be sure, but single-minded and entrenched to their orders. To be wounded so, revenge will burn hot in his soul. You say he has sown discord between human and being? Expect more of the same. Who is this guy again? Michelle whispered, glancing quickly to Rayla at her side. Enverin is a retired demon hunter of quite legendary repute. Rayla explained. Long before my time, he slew the leader of a hellhound pack that managed to breach the barrier. Demonic incursions were much more regular back then, and they've long since given up on that bullheaded strategy of throwing themselves to their own destruction. I think I was born sometime around then actually, not quite sure. He trained the elf you saw attacking Rodak in the video. Okay, but... Michelle paused, not wanting to offend the grizzled elf. Do we take anything he says to heart? Rayla surprised Michelle by actually reaching to cup her ear and whisper her words directly against her skin, eliciting a shiver of goose flesh at the contact of her warm lips. Half the time I think he's senile, but I'm not deaf, girl. Enverin barked, startling the conspiring pair. Only blind. But... Rayla turned her flashing gray eyes on the ancient elf and continued. He is the foremost expert on demons we're likely to find, and we should listen to his advice. Where is the dragon, by the way? I assumed you'd bring him along. Michelle watched Enverin warily, but he seemed contented enough to drop the issue. He's off with Haley today, probably blowing something up with one of his orbs. They're up to something. No doubt. Rayla's voice was thick with innuendo. We will have to come up with a solution without his input then. The Synod has asked me to probe the waters and see if you think the governments will be open to a temporary lifting on the Memory Charm moratorium. Despite her failure to kill Roddick, the Huntress was able to round up the surviving human witnesses and cordon off the area. The synod is in possession of over fifty terrified humans, children amongst them. Don't be so quick to dismiss Stemmerai's efforts. Enverin chided from his seat. Whatever kind of demon that was, it is clearly powerful. She almost had him for a moment. Lillian decided to weigh in then, as Timothy and Arvo continued their blow-by-blow commentary of the Bunyip's slow, messy defeat. The hunters had bled it to death in the end, inflicting as many small wounds as they could until it was weakened enough to land a sure, killing strike with one of the elf's long blades. I'm sure Rayla doesn't doubt your student's skill or tenacity. She spoke as she slipped down into Rayla's comfortable seat across from the old elf. Rather, she regrets the situation we are now faced with. Of course. Rayla nodded with false calm. Beneath an icy exterior, her temper simmering at the vampire's boldness to goad her at a time like this. She reeked of him, and her magical aura was practically on fire with the sort of satisfaction that left no doubt what they'd done together last night. What do you think, Michelle? No. Just like that? This could all go away, you know. No, it can't go away. Michelle reached to massage the bridge of her nose again but stopped herself short as the beginning of a plan began to form. The video is probably being viewed by thousands of people as we speak. Will you tamper with their minds too? No, your omission of the existence of demons will do enough damage to the Synod's relationship with the world's governments by itself. Don't even suggest the memory charm. What we need is a conventional cover-up, a boatload of bribe money, and to control the media angle on this. And you need to pull out every magical stop you have to help me. Is there a way to disguise someone's appearance? Make them look exactly like another person? Of course said Rayla. They don't stand up to magical scrutiny, but I suspect that's not what you want them for. Good, let's go then. Michelle snatched her tablet back from the bemused elemental and turned to walk out of the room. Lillian rose and nudged past Rayla as she followed, grinning wide at the elf's confusion. Go? Go where? Rayla spluttered indignantly. Argentina, of course. Time is of the essence. Michelle spoke over her shoulder, phone already in hand and dialing. She was out the door and striding briskly away, Sam and Lisa falling into step behind Lillian without a word. I don't simply go to other counties at the drop of a hat. Rayla burst out of her study, her anger swelling as the four women ignored her, bent to the will of their leader. Only the caramel-skinned one, Samantha, looked back with an apologetic smile and beckoned her to come along. Sir, you're not going to believe this, but I'll explain everything as we get underway. What do you need, Michelle? The relief in the president's tone was palpable. Robert Falconer had been impressed with the calm competence of this woman ever since her file had crossed his desk. She'd only proven herself further since then, and she was tenacious once she sank her teeth into something. He'd have considered attempting to court her if he wasn't already happily married and in about the most public office there was. First, we pushed the video to the media. Michelle was almost at the main reception of the compound now, and the occupants of the huge underground room stilled as their entourage burst from the corridor. Get a video expert to put some very minimal traces of alteration in there, stuff that makes it look like it's been worked on. I'm talking tiny, undetectable without video forensics. We want Peter Jackson getting instant wood when he sees this. Rayla had thankfully composed herself by then, and apparently decided to join them without further outburst. Timothy was attentively receiving instructions for running the place in her absence. Okay, what then? Robert was intrigued now. Give it to the media but don't tell them shit. Let them run it however they want with as much confusion and panic-mongering as they like. Surely not. The president leaned back in the Oval Office, rocking the reclining function of his plush leather chair back and forth in apprehension. I hope that's not the end of your plan. What do we say when we're asked to comment? What is the Argentinian government going to do? How am I supposed to get them to toe the line? Hell, what is the line? You tell them to keep their damn mouths shut until I get down there. Michelle snapped, pausing as Lisa mouthed to her that Kat and Pamela were going to meet them at the airport. Sorry, sir, I'm a little wound up, and this has to go off without a hitch. You're fine, Agent Hammond. He chuckled nervously. Get us out of this mess before the UN summit, and you can be as pert as you please. I've already put off a call from the German counselor because I hadn't come up with a strategy. I'll certainly try, sir. Argentina has been struggling for a while. Perhaps you can dangle some sort of economic carrot to keep them to the lines we supply. If not, I'm sure you can think of a suitable stick. In the meantime, I need a camera crew we can trust. Also, the prettiest, dumbest South American news correspondent your people can find on short notice. They were inside the compound garage now, and Lillian blurred on ahead to prepare one of the large SUVs that would carry them to the airport. She glanced at Sam's hurry tapping on her tablet, and was pleased to see she was in communication with one of their pilots already. We'll need a healthy slush fund for bribes too. I want some people to disappear for a while, so my teams will start gathering information on everyone associated with the incident. If you could work out a contact for us in the SID and smooth the way for us to go down there hot, it would be a great help. Where are you going with this, Michelle? This is starting to sound very bold. The president spoke in her ear. It'll work. I've got magic on my side, remember? Okay, I trust you to give it your best shot. He agreed cautiously. Tell me the broad strokes at least. We have to control the narrative, sir. While I'm down there coming up with a cover, we'll very quietly replace as many original copies of the video as we can find with our own slightly edited version. Not everyone will be convinced. But if we give the public a plausible explanation, enough of them will go along with it to tip the scales in our favor. At least I hope it works that way. Rayla said that the Synod has offered to use the memory charm on the survivors but I told her that's about the worst thing they could do. Michelle paused. Lisa was patiently holding the back door of the vehicle open for her but she needed a moment to prepare for what came next. Where the fuck was Chris? He could back her up with that wolf puppy charisma at a time like this. Because sir? Yes? Radek is a demon. I don't want you to jump like that anymore. Haley's worry was clear in her tone. Half a note higher now after his latest teleportation. We have to start slowing down soon. Well, I could just tell the orb to stop moving and, and oh. She cried, beating her fists against the tiny scales of his forewing. Without gravity to ground her, the effort almost sent her tumbling off around the orb. Only a snatched grip on the wing she'd been pummeling saved her the indignity. Do you want us to go splat? Don't you remember what I told you about momentum? He chuckled. Of course he remembered. The moon loomed in front of them now, beginning to reveal detail even a powerful telescope would miss from Earth. Asshole. She muttered, floating down to the relative safety of his coiled body by gripping the tiny gaps and edges between his larger scales. I should have known better than to fly off into space on a crazy adventure with a half-cocked dragon. Half-cocked? He rumbled mischievously, taking his eyes off the gray and black surface ahead. He couldn't help himself when presented with an opportunity like that. But in consolation, he lent his head down to nuzzle against her. You're the fucking worst. Worse than dad by far. She guffawed, pushing at his snout as he wormed his great big head against her tummy. And you're a little worry wart. He replied. I never have thought you of all people would be so antsy. Look up at the stars, Haley. Isn't this amazing? Of course it is. She exhaled, looking back over his purple haunches at the earth because the stars were becoming harder to see in the reflected light from the moon. Their home planet seemed not much more than a colorful basketball held at arm's length now. Dimmed through the filtering effect he'd put on their absurd spacecraft, she could still make out green and brown continents amongst the swirls of blue and white, but not much more. It was sobering to think that all it took to make everything she'd known in her life seem entirely insignificant was a little distance. Perhaps that's what had her so wound up. What's wrong? He asked, his voice so deep she felt it through her entire body. I don't know, Chris. We're so much smaller than I'd ever imagine. I mean, I knew that already, but that didn't prepare me at all for the reality. And orbital mechanics are no joke, by the way. NASA spends years and years working stuff out and quintuple-checking every calculation, but you're literally flying by the seat of your pants. She had a point. Discouraged by the refusal of the moon to grow any larger in his view, he tried to phase-jump them closer. After all... He could jump to places he could see or remember well, couldn't he? Well, he could see every one of the hundreds of thousands of miles between them and their destination. There shouldn't even be anything in the way to crashing to, and the orb might protect them in that event regardless.it was rash, but it had indeed worked. Another leap of capability to tick off for the day. He didn't know what it was, but as soon as he reasoned out these crazy ideas, he was confident his magic was up to the task. That wasn't to say he didn't have limitations or respect Haley's caution. It was like he'd woken up that morning and already known that today was the day he had his first crack at fusion we're not actually going that fast. He reassured her. Remember when we accelerated after our little break in orbit? The g-force wasn't that uncomfortable, maybe 2g? And it was probably half an hour before I got fed up with that and did the first of five jumps. So, we're going roughly 20 meters by 60 seconds by 30 minutes. That's, um, 36,000 meters per second. Damn, that's pretty quick. Their mood sobered instantly, and Haley did some of her own mental arithmetic, to unsettling result. You big idiot, sustained acceleration is very powerful. That's 36 kilometers per second. It wouldn't even take three hours to get from the surface of Earth to the moon at that speed, and you jumped us most of the way there. As one, they turned back toward the looming moon. It seemed much bigger than it had barely minutes before. It no longer gave the impression of a flat, splotchy circle surrounded by inky blackness. Enticingly, she was showing them her curves, as well as every impact, valley, and mountain on her scared surface. Coming in that fast, they were about to make a mark of their own. Shit. Shit, shit, shit. The dragon cursed. Hold on, Haley. He tightened the coil of his tail around her. Bracing his wings, head, and hind legs against the sides of the orb Feeling for it in the ether Carefully pushed the order to resist their momentum I in the first fraction of a second He knew he'd royally fucked up It felt like Lillian had sucker punched him in the kidney Only across every inch of his body and multiplied by ten Barely, he resisted collapsing into the forward surface of the orb It would have crushed Haley under his draconian bulk His entire body fought that overwhelming weight Squishing him from behind And he could barely even lift a claw Unfortunately, his head was pointed toward their deceleration Blood pounded in his ears reddening his vision dangerously as it drained from the rest of his tissues. His head felt like it might split in two and birth a sci-fi monstrosity. He'd heard about this effect somewhere. Perhaps a video game. Although he didn't know if dragons could suffer hemorrhagic stroke, now wasn't the time to find out. TT. Omurich. Haley groaned with the last of the breath forced from her lungs. She'd been thrown against the thick curve of his tail and pinned, body bent helplessly into AC shape. Outstretched and impossible to move under their weight, her hands swelled red with pooling blood in her trapped, fading vision. She couldn't breathe and her arms felt like they were about to snap off and float away. Her bulging eyes wanted to elope with them, straining to get out of her sockets. That would have almost been welcome given the amount of pain she was in. Something in the back of her mind screamed silently that she had only moments left to live. Then she felt nothing, and it was bliss. Chris fought to gather enough focus to reach for his sense of the orb. When he did, his mistake was evident and amateur. He'd thought himself smart, even conservative, to envision such a low coefficient for their deceleration. The plan had been to start gently and ramp up until they couldn't tolerate the G-force. After all, they had an urgent need to not become just another crater on the surface below. But he'd stupidly been thinking of a percentage, not a solid measurement. Even shaving 0.25% of their astronomical speed had almost killed them. With what little mental fortitude he could summon, he eased the push to a comparatively mild 30 meters per second. They both collapsed, slumping limply into the forward curve of the uncaring orb. You okay? He panted uncomfortably, still mightily heavy under his three times increased relative weight. Through one eye, he could again see the pock surface rushing upward indomitably. But Haley didn't reply. It was the funniest thing to his addled mind. His whole life he'd assumed the moon was dull and flat, but that wasn't true at all. They were about to be swallowed into an enormous crater, the sides of which must have been almost five miles high. With the return of more normalized blood flow to his brain came his sense of urgency, and a rising panic. They were going to go splat in very short order if he didn't do something. He tried to right his massive body, straining against leaden limbs. It reminded him of being fascinated by the astounding weight of gold compared to other metals. He was made of gold now for sure, not even able to roll onto his belly. ST. Stay on your back. His salvation spoke with a labored gasp from somewhere underneath his pinned left wing. You have to—on my eyes. Chris, slow us down faster. Haley! He roared, trying to move his sinuous neck to find her. Do it now. She croaked under the strain of working her lungs that he did as he was told, and more weight crashed down on them. The powerful body his dragon had almost considered invincible got uncaringly squished by the unrelenting laws of physics. He couldn't move at all now, pinned play like a dying frog under a director's microscope. This orientation of his body was far more bearable however, and they were shedding speed nicely. Hick. Hick. More. Hick. She struggled to even move her tongue, to tense her diaphragm and keep air in her lungs for more than a second. She tensed every muscle group she could in an attempt to maintain enough blood pressure to stay conscious. Chris knew it wasn't going to be enough. With eyes spaced on either side of his head, a dragon's field of view was near complete. Out of the tinted event horizon of the orb, the bright, gray surface charged at him. Innumerable tiny craters showed themselves now, along with individual rocks and the streaking trails created by flying debris in the dusty regolith. With his last seconds, he searched for a way out. The orb was the problem. It was their lifeline and their death trap. Without it, he could slip them into the ether, but they would soon suffocate in the cold vacuum. With it, and the protective properties he'd set, they would come to a jarring end, pulverizing their bodies to bloody mist. They were going much slower now, but it wasn't nearly enough. As the crater's edge seemed to come level with them, revealing a deeply shadowed slope kilometers tall, the solution seemed suddenly obvious. Haley cried out in wordless alarm as he eased them off to a gentle, single-earth gravity deceleration. No longer pinned, his serpentine head rose to look back up into the encompassing darkness above. With a desperate growl, jumped them a little way back into space. He lay still, focusing on the sound of his heaving flanks pumping air into his lungs to keep out the vision of the bottom of that colossal basin dashing up at him. I've changed my mind. He almost wept his relief. I hate space. Nudges alerted him to her predicament, and he carefully rolled onto his side so she could crawl out from under his wing on shaky arms. Her unsteady movement alarmed him. She reached tentatively with her hands before placing them down on the slick inner surface of the orb. Chris? Her voice sounded frightened and tiny, turning her head this way and that searchingly. What happened? I can't see. Oh my god! Haley, stay still. She looked up, drawn by the sound of his voice. Her eyes were almost entirely red, her blood vessels put under too much strain. A sweep of his frantic magical scenes told him that the superficial bleeding in her scara, while dramatic, was not the problem. Vesicles deeper in her eyes were ruptured, leaking blood into her vitreous, waylaying light as it traveled from the lens to the retina. Did we make it? She asked bravely, blinking around as if to help clear her vision. Oh, Haley. He rumbled soft and deep, taking her small body gently into his large forelimbs. I was so stupid, I'm sorry. Please, let me fix this. Tell me we aren't going to crash into the moon first. She murmured, resting her forehead against the creamy scales of his chest. We're not. I'm such a fool. I accidentally slowed us by a percentage of our speed. Only once we were moments away from hitting the surface, I realized that if I jumped us forward, I could do the same in reverse. We still inherited all our momentum, but I can keep hopping back as long as it takes to slow down safely. I'm so sorry, Haley. It's okay, Chris. She sniffled, her rotten nerves releasing as the adrenaline began to fade in her bloodstream. I'm just glad we made it. I was so frightened. I think we both lost our heads when we realized how fast we were going. It's a fucking wake-up call. We're kids with big heads in a magic bubble, not invincible. Next time we'll remember that. Will there be a next time? He wondered aloud. Of course. She sat up almost indignantly and gave him a bloody, sightless stare. Fix my eyes with your saliva and get us down there. I didn't go through all that for nothing. It might have been comical if his heart wasn't breaking for his brave little space cadet. Petra shifted restlessly in her seat for what must have been the tenth time in as many minutes. Yet another free zone of worry ran up her spine. She was supposed to be allocating next week's refilled gemstones and crystals between the thirty-seven purchase requests she'd received in the last two days. It was a good thing Chris came like a stallion and had the stamina to bed Claire, Susan, and herself almost daily. It allowed her a pleasant, leisurely transition back into motherhood, while still turning a healthy prophet. Try calling him mom, her daughter suggested without even looking up from the thick medical textbook in front of her on the Oaken dining room table. I don't want to be that sort of partner, the mature blonde admitted. Petra put her tablet aside and rose to do some pacing. She wasn't getting any work done anyway, sometimes it helped. With a faithful black scrunchie she'd had for years now, she collected her long silvery tresses into a ponytail that fell far down her back. Besides, last time I called, it said not in service. That got Claire's attention. What do you mean? She frowned, sitting back in her chair. It's Maginette, that's impossible. Try it yourself. Petra paced, her hand unconsciously caressing the little swell of her pregnant belly through her loose green blouse. Her precious son, whose father was experiencing some sort of distress, according to her uncanny intuition, Claire did just that, snatching up her ruby-encrusted phone to dial him. She waited with growing dread for the familiar ringing to begin. All she got was a long pause followed by two beeps she'd never heard before, and finally, an insincere female voice apologizing that the device wasn't in service. The phone landed roughly on her textbook. At this very second, her mother was no doubt racing to the worst possible explanation. Best that she think logically about this. The problem was, she'd never heard of a Maginette phone being out of service. If Chris simply had it turned off while on his adventure with Haley, it should go to voicemail, at least. That led her to try the young Weberson's number for the same troubling result try as she might, she couldn't explain it, and started when she found herself absently petting her own little bump. What they needed was a distraction she decided. Chris was probably just doing something crazy with his magic. Who knew what one of those damn orbs of his might do to a Maginette phone? Okay, no point stressing all afternoon. I'm not going to be able to concentrate with you wearing down the carpet like that anyway. Let's go talk to the Japanese guy who admins the system for Rayla. Maybe he can tell us what it means, I'm starting to get curious actually. What's his name? Tosh, I think. Petra frowned, reluctant to get drawn into her daughter's distraction. Come on, mom, don't be like that. Claire coaxed. You know he can take care of himself. I'm sure you're right, dear. It's just that after your father I don't know if I can... Sure. Claire bustled around the table to embrace her mother. Don't do that to yourself. Chris would fucking shred any hunter who tried to take him. He's just done something silly. I'd bet my sweet left it he'll be back in time for dinner with that stupidly adorable look on his face, and then we'll both feel like clucky fools. Ah uh, ha ha. I can just see it. The silver-haired dragoness breathed, pecking her daughter's refined cheekbone. Thank you, Claire Bear. No problem, Mom. Let's go see Tosh. I could use a walk, actually. And this is probably one of the nicest days we'll have before spring. You're, ah, you're not starting to get nesty, are you? I certainly hope not, dear. Just your mom being over-emotional. Though I guess it won't be too long now. Come on, then. With this talk of nesting, I'm starting to get a craving for some ice cream. The dragonesses made a stunning pair in their warm, flannel-lined jeans. Petra's blouse was loose in a way that teased her figure while Claire's gray, fine-spun sweater hugged every curve deliciously. They carried windbreakers under their arms as they traversed the hotel and made their way down into the compound. It took some getting used to the minor celebrity that had sprung up around them in the local community. Their pregnancies, Chris' remarkable magic and heroic deeds, as well as the flood of magical crystals they pumped out to the being craftsfolk, folk all sort of simmered down to a reverent notoriety either woman had experienced before. Beings nodded respectfully and smiled at them as they passed. The boldest socialites even stopped to fuss saccharin about their remarkable joint pregnancy. Between themselves, Claire and Petra joked that most people must wonder if Chris had just lined them up side by side and given them both the business in one marathon session. He was undoubtedly growing the reputation for it after planting his seed in the local hard-ass vampires, too. In reality, they were a couple of days apart, but most people just saw the exact same size of their growing tummies and started to whisper and smile knowingly. As far as the norm of dragon fertility went, he may as well have bred simultaneously. It was unheard of, and that fueled the gossip. They had to inquire at main reception where to find the Maginette administrator— and that was when they first heard about the unusual departure of Rayla, along with Michelle, Lillian, and the angels. Where did they go? Petra asked the slightly frazzled receptionist, who had just been dealing with an irate bunch of visiting Chinese syndicate members. They'd had their appointment with the lady unceremoniously dropped until further notice. I don't know. The middle-aged witch wrung her hands. She hasn't left the territory in decades. Oh, what am I to do? Claire was just happy that the Oriental beings across the lobby were too upset to recognize them, the source of the crystals they were so tenaciously negotiating for bulk purchase. Rayla had been kind enough to fly through that flaxstorm on their behalf. Neither mother or daughter had any interest in supplying these middlemen, who no doubt planned to resell their magic at an extreme markup. So, the elf was generously slapping down exorbitant tariffs on their export, and generally negotiating like a petulant child. The local artisans were just beginning to flourish under their patronage after all. Prosperity was already trickling back into what had been considered an almost dreary, backwater hub for many decades. There was even a rumor floating around that a representative of one of the major dwarven clans had been scouting property in the area last week. The territory hadn't had a proper smithy since the gold rush over a century and a half ago. Thankfully, Timothy Garrel spotted them at that point and took them aside into an empty meeting room to explain the situation. He'd actually been meaning to get on his way to find them and pass on Samantha's last-minute request. Her daughter needed to be picked up from school and cared for while they were down in Argentina. Both women were shocked and worried at the discovery of Roddick's true origin, but promised to keep the information strictly to their brood. Petra quickly voiced her concern that Chris was out of contact, and she had been having troublesome premonitions all afternoon. Claire was surprised when the Elemental nodded gravely and urged them to seek Tasha at his home address immediately for a trace on Chris and Haley's whereabouts. She'd been expecting a polite dismissal of her mother's worries as nothing more than a pregnant foible. But the powerful Elemental was apparently in touch with some of the more, illogical capabilities of magical connections. He wasn't about to discount any lead, especially given the seriousness of what was going on in South America. His own orders involved protecting the three dragons at all costs in Rayla's absence. Mother and daughter ended up taking a human taxi across town to Tasha's address rather than sign out a vehicle from the pool. While the driver congratulated himself on landing such an attractive fare, Claire mused that Roddick's activities had one silver lining. Their afternoon was turning into a veritable adventure. Once they took charge of Amy, Petra was going to be perfectly distracted for the rest of the day. By mutual agreement, they decided not to worry Annabelle, Amy, or Susan just yet, in case Tosh had a simple explanation. He's an arachnid, isn't he? Claire confirmed as they double-checked the address, and swung open the ornate wooden gate protecting the pathway up to the house. I believe so. Petra said quietly as they walked past the beautifully manicured rock garden on one side of the compact yard and a large glass greenhouse on the other. Rare. Claire murmured as they approached the front door. I remember his daughter from the night of the club shooting. What a butt. Don't be rude. Her mother hissed, followed by a warning pinch on Claire's own well-formed rear end. A brief outbreak of playful, silent retaliation ensued, stalling them on the landing. They took another moment to compose themselves afterwards. With a final sideways glance to her daughter, Petra pushed the doorbell button beside an intercom system. An unusual, multi-tone melody echoed inside for several seconds. Without even the warning of approaching footfalls, Masatoshi himself answered the door. He bowed, mildly confused at the arrival of such unexpected and indeed, prestigious guests at his residence thought he was a handsome man, Claire thought. His short black hair seemed perfectly aligned, right down to the individual strand. Chris could stand to adopt some of that fastidiousness. The arachnid being had a lean, wiry build and an economic, smooth way of moving. She wasn't quite sure how they aged, but he seemed young, perhaps in his mid-thirties. There was a brief moment of awkwardness where either party knew who should speak first before Tosh remembered the hospitality his mother had drilled into him as a boy and invited them inside with a broad, genuine smile. Petra, Claire, welcome. Please come in. The young dragoness thought the way he slightly fumbled the R sound in her mother's name and the L sound in her own was just too cute. Thank you, Tosh. Petra gave him a small bow in return for his own and got her first look at the interior of his remarkable home. Oh my. While the exterior of the house might have looked like any other in the neighborhood, the interior had obviously been painstakingly transformed into a replica of traditional Japanese styles. Authentic rice straw tadama floors, dark wooden joinery, and sliding panels of paper and wood combined to stunning effect. A stumpy-legged table even sat in the large room adjacent to the entranceway. What had caught her eye, though, was the exquisite tapestry. It depicted a pair of dancing cranes locked in step on a frozen lake beneath a snowy, conifer-blanketed mountain. Hanging opposite the lowered area of the doorway, the colors were so vivid, and the birds so skillfully portrayed that they looked ready to leap off the silk and continue their courtship around the house. It belonged in a gallery, one of the really prestigious ones. Hanada's work. Tosh radiated fatherly pride. She is in her chamber, as we speak. It's wonderful. Claire started forward to get a closer look, but her mother caught her arm before she stepped up onto the carpet. Shoes, dear. Petra drew attention to the neat pairs of discarded shoes lined up against the sunken alcove walling off the exterior doorway. Claire followed her mom's lead and put on a pair of strange green slippers Tosh laid out for her before they all moved to admire the tapestry. Up close, the workmanship became even more impressive. The threads were so fine, so precisely woven. It must have taken thousands of hours to make such a beautiful piece of artwork, a masterpiece of fabric. Your daughter is an incredible artist. Claire said in wonder, holding back her desire to touch the soft, cool cloth. She just knew that as beautiful as it looked, it would feel even better to squeeze the fabric between her fingers and run it across her sensitive skin. Thank you. Tosh bowed slightly again. She weaves more practical items most of the time, but once every few years, she finds inspiration. I do not mean to be rude, ladies, an unexpected visit from ones such as yourselves can only brighten one's day. May I inquire why you have come? Perhaps it was his politeness, or maybe Petra remembered something she'd heard long ago about Japanese customs. She reached into her purse and pulled out a large, brimming chalcedony crystal, presenting it to their host. Please accept this gift for you, or your daughter, in exchange for your welcome and the privilege of seeing such a stunning example of your race's craft. She spoke slowly. Formally as the man hesitantly accepted the gift, his dark eyes widened at his first touch of the creamy stone, sensing the magic thrumming inside. He placed it reverently on top of a nearby wooden cabinet. My daughter will be flattered by your praise and delighted by your gift. Thank you. You're welcome. We came because we're worried something may have happened to our mate. His Maginette phone is unreachable. Not in service. Nanny? The man's alarm was instant and jarring as he slipped into his native tongue. Claire even took a small step backwards, surprised by his gruff tone before he shook himself and continued. "'Sorry, sorry. Tell me what has happened, please.' He already had his own phone out as Petra recounted as much of their strange afternoon as she could without breaking the shocking news about Roddick. He tried calling both Chris and Haley himself, shaking his head as he heard the tone in the woman's voice. "'It should not be possible.' He mused, sparking a series of worried glances between the dragonesses. "'They're not—oh hell, they're not dead, are they?' Claire wrapped her arm around her mother's waist and pulled herself close in an attempt to brace them both for the worst. "'I don't know.' He turned and slid aside a wooden door panel, beckoning them to follow him. Come, we will access the system directly. I have authority to trace their last position in an emergency. They stepped inside a dark, spartan room. Apparently, this was his workspace because three huge monitors glowed brightly from a short table in the middle of the room and behind them, a powerful desktop hummed away quietly. Beside the desktop, and connected by what appeared to be a standardized cable, sat a goblin-crafted Maginette node, complete with quivering antenna. The room held nothing else. Either woman had seen a node up close before. As Tosh knelt on a cushion to begin his work, they craned their necks to get a better look at the device that was the backbone of their magical communication system. It seemed harmless enough, essentially a cuboid box of heavy-looking, darkened metal. It had a few interesting features though, namely, the pair of footlong, continually oscillating golden antennas sticking from the top. A small hopper full of tiny gemstones stuck out from one side, providing magical fuel for the ingenious near-instantaneous communication device. A series of cable ports ran along the lip of the opposite side near the top, and only one was occupied, connecting to Tosh's computer. There was no electricity involved in keeping it going then. I heard, the goblin who came up with the idea put a piece of his bone in each node. Claire whispered to her mother as Tosh logged in and began entering something in a program. That's how the spell knows to find all the nodes at the same time. Wrong. The administrator rolled his R a little as he worked. It was a piece of his brain, kept alive in each one. The spell connects them all so he can talk. That's fucking creepy. Claire gasped. Oh, sorry, Tosh. I didn't mean to cuss. Um, Michelle would kill to get her hands on one of these. She has already begged me. He chuckled. Look, I've found them. The two breathed a combined sigh of relief, moving to kneel on either side of him as he brought up some sort of mapping software on the central screen. They weren't kidding about the desert. Petra said as satellite images of a rocky, dry canyon in southern Arizona quickly loaded into focus. Two blue dots orbited each other randomly in the creek. Wow, this is sort of scary accurate. Can you trace us like this all the time? Only if I consider it an emergency, or I'm ordered to buy Rayla in pursuit of a criminal. I have to get screened by a psyker every six months to check my morality you know. I didn't mean it like that. Sorry Tosh. It's fine. This is interesting, watch. They were here in this valley for several hours this morning, then suddenly, they shoot off to the east and vanish. That is the last data available. He pulled his cursor across a progress bar, slowing and zooming out as the dots began to rapidly track across New Mexico, vanishing altogether somewhere in eastern Texas. They must have been going very fast, but it's strange. The phones send a signal instantly if they're damaged or tampered, but no signal was received. Shutdown sends a similar message and forwards to voicemail. They just disappear. I have never heard of an active phone doing such a thing. Claire frowned. There was something about the way they moved. So precise and with a gentle southward curve. Can we see the altitude? Ah. My genius girl. Petra bubbled. They're flying, of course. It took a few minutes, but Tosh eventually found a way to meaningfully portray the starbound trajectory Chris and Haley had taken a few hours before. They all scratched their heads for a while, trying to make sense of the data. Petra as an experienced and enthusiastic flyer, knew that they'd flown too fast and much too high for any sane dragon. Tosh, though, came up with a new hypothesis for how the Maginet network worked, realizing that their data cut out just after 100 kilometers above the Earth, the edge of the atmosphere. It was as he was searching the human internet for these figures that Claire put it all together. He's taken the little nerd to space. She realized. What? How? Petra wondered. They don't have any suits, and she can't ride him in space. In one of the damn bubbles they're always practicing with. It has to be. While the thought of their mate galvanting around in the void didn't exactly engender calm in A the Dragoness, it was at least good to know that he wasn't outright dead. They could also safely rule out the possibility of demonic involvement. i. in the end, they thanked Tosh for his assistance, and called a cab to get them back across town in time to collect Amy from school. On the way, they put their heads together with single-minded focus toward busting his balls when he returned. Fine. Powdery dust billowed softly out from underneath the perfectly curved surface of the orb as they touched down with the It was a bit more of an impact than Chris had expected. The speed of their descent was hard for his dragon's flight instincts to judge in the light, alien gravity. The magic that assisted his ungainly body in the skies could still propel him through the void, but without wind flowing under his wings, it felt unnatural and disorientating. He wondered how Petra would fare. She was a peerless flyer, or so he'd heard anyway. He must do something about that oversight before her pregnancy got too far along. Magnificent desolation. Haley parroted those famous words nervously flexing up on her toes beside his enormous form. In the moon's weak grasp, her movement magnified to a small hop, and she scrabbled for a firmer grip on his foreleg. Eek. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. I heard somewhere that California actually claims it as a park, we could get in trouble. The dragon swiveled his neck through a complete panorama near the dome of their sphere. He took in everything, the bright, barren surface scattered with rocks and divots, the brutal sun beating down. He dared not look up into the darkness of space, because it hurt his eyes to look back down at the lunar surface afterwards through widened pupils. It was that bright. The ground rose behind them to the edge of a small impact crater, shallow and maybe 100 feet across. The real kicker and the reason they were here was dead ahead. You think I give a fuck about the state of California? He rumbled protectively. If you want a souvenir, we'll get you a souvenir. You deserve it. They both looked out through the dimming effect of the orb at the decent stage left behind by Apollo 11, still wrapped in gaudy, golden-red insulation foil that was only slightly dusty despite decades of abandonment. It's that box over there by the module, right? He confirmed with a nod to the item in question. It rested on the footprint-disturbed dust at the base of the lander, surrounded by a haphazard pile of what could only be called moon junk. All the stuff the astronauts had thrown out of their craft to make weight for as many samples as they could lift off the surface. Chris thought he even saw a dirty boot sticking out from behind a blocky white object with the NASA logo on it. I'm not sure, honestly. She admitted. That could be astronaut poop. Wonderful. He snorted out he undertook a final check the orb's parameters. The last thing he needed was it rolling away with Haley trapped inside. The protective flight membrane closed over his eyes, and he contracted the muscles around the ear slits at the base of his smallest backward slanted horns. A series of slow deep breaths followed, which he held with lungs empty. Finally, let himself be allowed through that ether barrier once again, and made the first new footprint the moon had seen in over forty years. He sank much deeper in the powdery dust than he'd expected, but forged onward with the limited oxygen he had stored in his blood and tissues. The unrestrained sun struck his scales with palpable force, refracting dazzlingly and sending a quiver up his flanks as an undeniable heat began to build. This was not the happy, gentle light that had greeted his mornings on the farm. It was a naked nuclear furnace. Perhaps it somehow knew what he planned. He squinted, closing his scaled eyelids to slits.i in contrast to the scorching heat. Anything not touched by fusion light was deathly cold, like he'd dunked in Rayla's shade frost. He was incredibly grateful of his dragon's internal genitalia, for he dreaded to think what might have befallen a pair of underslung jewels. Chris couldn't hear a sound as he took his first steps, but an uncomfortable sensation grew all throughout his body, especially his joints. Magical regeneration kicked into high gear fighting the effects of degassing in his thick blood. There was no nitrogen left in his system though, so it appeared would be okay for a little while longer. Haley clung to the tip of his purple tail as it finally slipped away, but he didn't look back. She could see his huge paw prints in the surface just outside, an eternal testament to his willingness to risk naked space for the sake of her little trinkets. She felt suddenly childish, yet warmed by his devotion. A desire to immortalize the moment sprung to life in her heart. Her backpack almost bounced in the low gravity but she quickly found her Maginette phone and began filming the historic event despite the angry red symbol flashing in the notification bar. Chris's vision was perfect as he hopped forward gingerly in the light gravity. Each step sent him sailing, and his eyes darting to judge where his feet would land next among the small rocks. Dragon instinct told him to raise his wings for stability in this strange quasi-flight, but he knew they would only get in the way. It might be fun to bounce around creating little puffy clouds as he went but he didn't have the luxury to explore. it barely took more than 15 seconds to reach the discarded module. He was about to nudge aside what must have been a space suit life-support system and wade into the small field of debris when his prize made itself known very clearly to his dragon's greedy sonar. It wasn't the box, which probably was poop after all. There was something gold in the bleached, half-buried pouch behind the astronaut's discarded space shoe he snatched it up between two claws and prepared to depart. That presented a small challenge, and he was about to try leaping backwards, so his tail didn't accidentally knock over the lander when something caught his eye in the soil on the other side. He snaked his way gingerly around the glittering decent stage. Becoming conscious now that his empty lungs were beginning to protest, that a thin metal pole lay in the dust, surrounded by the astronaut's footprints, curiosity demanded he give it a gentle tug, revealing a bleached, tattered scrap of fabric attached to one end by a shorter, perpendicular rod. It took a moment for him to recognize the disintegrating remnants of the mission's flag. It had laid there for decades, half buried in the lunar soil. The sun had almost cooked it away to nothing. That wouldn't do at all. Magic surged up out of his core. His sentiment might have been brought on by lack of oxygen, or maybe he was just more patriotic than he'd imagined. Either way, he stood the now vibrant, spangled nylon back up, taking care to push the aluminium rod deep in the regolith and tamp down around its base with his big mitts. The dragon thought it a fitting atonement for his pilferage of the historic site. Unbeknownst to him, Haley caught the entire episode in digital memory, including the respectful little bob of his head before he started loping back to her. Even as a massive purple dragon, she thought he was just fucking adorable. Re-entry to the orb stripped him clean of the clingy dust, but his sensitive snout still picked up the hint of a burned smell, almost like the lingering scent in the B.I.A. firing range. Huffing proudly, he dropped their loot next to Haley's hiking boots. Beaming lovingly, her intent to launch up in the low gravity and hug his neck was clear. Don't, he warned in his deep dragon rumble. My scales are burning hot. He shook his entire body like a wet dog, trying to rid himself of the maddening tingle. Truthfully, he was very relieved to be back inside their orb. The dichotomy of extreme temperatures he'd endured was at the limit of even a dragon's fortitude. Half of him felt pan-fried, while the other half wanted to jump into the damn pan to warm up. His breath was still coming fast and hard. Holding one's lungs empty was not so easy as holding them full, but it was preferable to them exploding in vacuum. Holy cow, you got it! Her exclamation drew his attention away from the shivering of his recovering body. Look! It's the Goodwill disc and the Apollo 1 patches. Is that good? He wondered at the little black disc lined with silver that she'd shaken into the folds of her jacket. It didn't seem so extraordinary, either did the colorful fabric patches that landed beside them. Show some respect. She scowled at his lack of reverence and shook the satchel out. If I'm right, this will get your attention. Something bright and reflective fell out. That's more like it. The dragon bent his nose to sniff at the golden, prickly-looking replica of a leafy stick. A few military medals lay beside it, and he peered at her for clarification. It's supposed to be an olive branch. She shook her head at his cocked expression. You know, a piece simple. Well, the craftsmanship leaves a bit wanting, don't you think? What about these? The medals of two heroic cosmonauts, given to the crew of Apollo 11 by their families. Komarav and Gagarin, I think. They would have loved to make it here. Her admiration was evident as she straightened the gold and red metal ribbons into a neat row and placed the patches beside them. Fallen heroes of two great nations, their spirits rested here together, united by their courage and a fierce dedication to pushing the boundaries of exploration. "'Shouldn't we leave them here then?' he asked. "'No. they are proof. I think they'd be happy to contribute to what we're doing. Besides, we can always return them, can't we?' Haley folded her jacket around the items that held more than a little significance for her and bundled them into her backpack, along with the dirty satchel in which they'd lain. "'Okay.' we'd better move off a little way if you still want to try this. He did. After a brief rendezvous with their reserve supply of air, they did just that. Chris floated them upward a few hundred feet and used his dragon's flight magic almost exclusively to soar slowly across the battered landscape. With the orb slave to maintain its position around him, it was easy to pretend that it wasn't there. Haley took little encouragement to climb aboard his back and participate in the illusion of flight, calling out objects of interest to circle or skim low over. It was exhilarating, and they both enjoyed a half hour of joyful bonding in the fulfillment of her fantasy. She could have happily stayed with him like that forever. Astride the base of his sinuous neck, anything seemed possible as they floated effortlessly past ancient volcanoes and across the darkened sea of long-cooled molten rock. Given time, she would have loved to sail her dragon to the craters of the South Pole and search for frozen water, trapped there in the eternal darkness. It would have to wait for another day. She leaned forward to kiss his resplendent purple scales and cement the moment in her memory with his spicy, smoky, cinnamon-infused scent. She'd easily recognized the Sea of Tranquility and used it to guide them to the Apollo 11 landing site. They soared northward after their departure, skirting the time irregular mountains that pronounced the edge of the lunar highlands. She marveled at the satellite's violent geographic history, and the absence of atmosphere, water, and life to soothe the scars. A.T. her direction, they set down again at the edge of a vast crater bowl near the side of the mountains. She could clearly make out the base of those boulder-strewn slopes. The jagged ridgelines towered some miles above them. Out on the mare plain below, she wondered at the parallel lines of rills, skunked inward by some ancient seismic event. Amongst those massive, uniform formations she spotted an irregular, Gouge-like disturbance in the plain. It was a feature scientists were still trying to explain back home. Some claimed the last throes of volcanism formed them before the mantle cooled. Others said it was impossible. Here she was looking at it from not much more than sixty miles away. Turning to peek over the smooth lip of the crater, she recoiled at the complete darkness of the shadow reaching out across the hollow smooth floor. It looked intent on swallowing the uprising of defined rock at the center of the old impact site. Distance was so deceiving up here without trees or grass or anything to take as reference. Rocks and boulders were almost useless. Her eyes tried to tell her that a brief scramble down the dark slope and an enjoyable bound across a mile or so would put her at the base of that cute geographic formation well before the shadow arrived. The reality was that she would probably tumble for an hour down the crater's bowl, cartwheeling uncontrollably across several kilometers of deceptively steep, rock-strewn slope. If she did manage to get to the bottom unharmed, a trek of more than a day would await her to reach the mountain at the crater's locus. From up here, what looked like tiny pebbles strewn about on that flat plain below were no doubt the few dark boulders much larger than she. False interpretation of her senses in the alien, low-gravity environment would be far too easy. Even with the best space suit, she would exhaust herself and perish trying to struggle back up to the crater's edge. The fine lunar dust would sink and slip treacherously beneath her feet. She would mire, or tumble back down to the flat to die of thirst or more likely suffocation. She shuddered at the thought and squeezed the dragon close. What's wrong? he asked, low and comforting as he raked a pickup-sized black orb back and forth across the moon's reflective gray sands. Nothing, just thinking up worst-case scenarios for fun. That's my brilliant, freaky little bison. He chuckled, disregarding his efforts in order to distract her with hot snuffles and a few affectionate, reptilian licks. That incredible mind of yours is easily as sexy as the rest of you, but try turning it to something brighter. For instance, remember that you're the first woman on the moon. She batted his pestering pink organ away playfully and hugged his broad, adalike snout. I'm not really on the moon. I'm in a bubble. Thank you, though. A technicality, and I'll fight anyone who tries to deny you the honor. His chivalry was somewhat ruined by his draconic affection. Rubbing his nostrils over the denim hiding her ripening womanhood. He just couldn't get enough of her small, bronze body. Best boyfriend in the solar system. She sighed happily, scratching behind the curve of his mighty jaw. I made chichicharmmmbbb. He almost nickered in pleasure, his hind legs twitching in reflex as she discovered a dragon soft spot. Wait. The solar system? That's a downgrade. Take me to dinner and to bed on the International Space Station like you promised, and I'll consider you for a promotion. She teased impishly before patting his huge head and sitting back. Okay, back to work big guy. That hydrogen isn't going to fuse by itself. Tell that to the sun. He quipped, stumping her as he resummoned his concentration. But that's... Nope, gotcha. Shut up. She giggled. I suppose that's what I get for helping you learn all that stuff. This initial collection of material was easy compared to the painstaking preparation of the protective shell they occupied. All he had to do was gobble up moon dust, then provide heat and pressure until the sturdy silicate regolith began to melt and dissociate into atoms. The plan was for him to then spew everything except hydrogen back out onto the airless rock. However, it turned out the moon’s soil was remarkably hydrogen-poor. It also required far more magic than he would have liked to heat the resistant stuff. Ratcheting down the dimensions of the orb to compress the substrate only helped so much. He suspected this was because it was already so cold and stable in the form of his starting material. Before he was ready to begin venting the first waste elements, he'd cursed himself for not merely dragging a 50-gallon drum of water along for the ride from Earth. Deuterium would have been nice, but it almost seemed too easy to test his abilities on the dream fusion fuel. They were here for the Holy Grail, to steal the sun's fire. When he thought the contents of the orb were good and molten, he altered the orb's barrier to allow oxygen out. It escaped as a rush of superheated gas, barely visible to his eyes more from the heat it carried than any property of the element. Afterwards came the metals and other elements, glowing plumes of molten iron, silicon, calcium, and magnesium. He didn't need to do it one by one that way, but it was fun. After seeing the first long, brilliant streak shoot off under pressure and the low gravity to lie gleaming and cooling on the barren soil, he was hooked the phallic comparison brought a stupid, toothy grin to his face. I, in the end, he was left with a pitiful amount of what was supposed to be the most abundant element in the universe, and he was forced to repeat the process. Haley argued that they didn't need much for a test run, but he wanted to be confident that his magic was up to the task of containing a reaction that was worth the effort of harvesting. The slope near the crater's lip was littered with brilliant metallic trails and splatters when he was finally ready to start. Haley hoped that NASA's lunar reconnaissance orbiter wouldn't be able to resolve the strange details of the reflective surface he'd created but there was a real risk that its instruments might pick up the release of so much free oxygen. There was no guidebook they could consult on starting up a tiny star, and this was undoubtedly the only shot they would get today. But based on what she knew of the conditions required for fusion, and what she'd seen of Chris' abilities, Haley gave him the best advice she could. They discussed at length the steps he would have to monitor, and the conditions he would need to maintain. She couldn't help pointing out that a healthy dose of her muons might simply start the reaction right there, and then if he hadn't somehow decided it was cheating. The ten or so kilograms of hydrogen he'd collected had been allowed to cool to remove any final impurities. Ready to begin, he let the impenetrable black bubble expand to a size only slightly smaller than that of their own, and started to pour in energy. The little atom duets of hydrogen gas vibrated angrily, crashing into each other, and rebounding off the walls of their prison. Faster and faster they careened as the temperature inside skyrocketed at the expense of the dragon's vast magic. Before long, the molecules had too much energy to remain paired, breaking into single atoms of podium. Battling through substantial drain on his reserves, Chris continued his magical barrage, imparting as much kinetic energy as he could to everything inside that zone in the ether. His senses were focused entirely on that region now, and he felt the abstract tipping point when electron and proton began to dissociate. He had his plasma, his ion soup, and that was the first vital step. Where the first few atoms went, the teeming multitude soon followed like bleeding sheep. It was a fitting analogy actually, those proton sheep shedding their electron fleece and mass in the dragon's flames. He switched focus from heating to compressing. With all his might, he forced that controlled zone of ether to shrink. Inside, zillions of zipping charged particles screamed their protest, fighting back against his containment. He'd given them energy, and now they used it to push against his slowly restricting cage. His mastery of the ether was not so easily challenged, though. He snarled, frightening Haley from her awestruck observation of the steadily shrinking black sphere. She patted his trembling flank reassuringly, but he didn't respond, too focused on exerting his will. The orb, once big enough to engulf a small cottage, now dwindled to the size of a medicine ball and showed no sign of stopping. There was nothing diminished about the contents though, they were just forced to occupy less space, to become incredibly dense. Those unimaginably small particles hated to come near one another. But before long, they had no choice. They were going so fast now, and there was so little room to slide by each other with their naturally repulsive forces. In the end, it was just a game of numbers. Colliding head-on, protons struck proton in a subatomic thunderclap of minuscule proportion but momentous import. A diproton staggered away, limping and shivering and finally breaking back into two protons. Nothing of true import had happened yet protons don't really get along after all, so it was no wonder they didn't stay stuck together that often. Chris was still waiting, but now, the same collision was starting to occur many millions of times per second. The more it happened, the higher his chances of success, so he shrank the orb further, approaching the size of a baseball. Eventually, one drunken proton jumped the queue by a billion-odd years. This time, something new and very improbable happened deep, deep inside one of the conjoined protons. An elementary particle, a quark, changed allegiances. That he saw it. No, he more felt it abstractly. They probably defied direct observation after all. Still, it was what he'd been struggling to experience. To capture Dot-I in that momentous fraction of an instant, a positron was born. Infinite antimatter, squalling, red-faced, and ready to blow the world to hell. Inside the now two-inch span of cosmos he owned, he worked his magic. It had happened once, therefore, it could happen again. He coaxed with his powerful intention, whispering to the other quarks that such a thing might not be so bad. Very gently, he stacked the deck so that the odds of such a fundamentally improbable thing occurring again shifted just a whisker to the favorable. Even in the moment of that first positron's creation, the tiny speck of positive antimatter annihilated. It was the antithesis of electrons, and it was in a target-rich environment. From the resulting miniature explosion, two burly photons scattered, the nasty-looking sort you'd cross the street to avoid. They fled away from the scene, leaving the surviving proton to clutch the husk of its erstwhile partner. The proton soon realized that something had changed. Its buddy seemed different, no longer a hyped-up asshole like itself and they would get along just fine. But sadly, it was not to be. Holding that brand-spanking neutron close, the isotope deuterium had only a few seconds left. Another lone proton crashed in from the side, sparking an explosion of released atomic-binding energy far greater than even the positron had managed with its own destruction. Chris probing magic sensed helium-3, and he'd officially made a star. Chris drew his awareness back slowly as the interior of the orb flickered like a hesitant light bulb in his mind's eye. Still deathly black on the outside, the churning purple he just started getting used to in the ether pulsed with new, white-hot brilliance that he thought those atoms trapped inside had been fast, hot, and angry before, but he'd had no idea. More diprotons began to decay, unleashing heat, gamma photons, and occasionally something more exotic. More deuterium formed and in turn fused into helium three, releasing an incredible amount of heat. The resulting rise in temperature forced the swirling stars inside his orb to burn even faster. The light bulb flicked on, shedding a blinding but distinctly lifeless radiance. It drowned out all trace of the purple from his orb, almost blinding him to its presence. It painfully saturated his very magical senses and bathed the already barren ether in pure, hot, dead, light. Grinning as toothily as a mad shark, his awareness crashed back into his tired body with a draconian trill of victory. The reaction wasn't complete yet. In the sun, it might take several centuries for that Helium-3 to become Helium-4 but he'd overcome the true hurdle and proven the efficacy of his magic. You did it! Haley launched high into their low-pressure oxygen, rejoicing with the dragon. We did it, Haley! The dragon laughed deep and joyous, catching her playfully in his paws. She joined his laughter as he coiled his body into a dragon cocoon around her. It was so subtle, but I felt the quark change into a down. It's incredible. I never would have thought something so tiny could do something so huge. Heck, I never would have understood what a quark is without your help. I'm still not entirely sure either of us understands that model. She teased good-naturedly. Almost skipping in her excitement, she set upon his exposed, creamy belly for a vigorous petting. You must have felt something you recognized or understood in there if you made it work. Chris, this is huge. Just think about it. I've been doing some research, and I might have found the perfect place for our anti-desertification idea. Hold your horses, my high-spirited heifer. He laughed at her enthusiasm, nudging at her to continue his reward. He was definitely going to spend more time as a dragon if he could get pampered like this. Ha! I'm jumping a few steps, aren't I? Maybe one or two. We've got to harness the reaction first, and I can't believe how much energy is in those little bastards. He admitted. At least now that the parameters on that orb are set, it's no hassle to maintain. It looked tough when you started shrinking the volume. It must be close to the density of the sun's core, in there you know. Really? He swiveled his neck to regard the two-inch onyx orb hovering out above the lunar dust. Against the background of space, it was near impossible to spot. It didn't seem probable that he could achieve that sort of compaction. I did the math. She confirmed and clambered up onto her his back once again. I don't mean to ruin the party. But if it's working, we should get home before people start worrying. Okay, let me just—oh, crap. What? Her tone sobered instantly. After one close call that day the last thing they needed was a problem now dot he ran his senses toward the orb but had to shy away from the nuclear fire within. The energy bottled inside had increased by several orders of magnitude. I didn't think about what happens to all that energy if it's kept bottled up. The dragon's tail flicked nervously around their orb as he considered his rebellious creation. Not even the sun does that. No, it certainly doesn't, but stay calm. She spoke, keeping her voice level and petting his neck as she tried to think through to a solution. I should have thought of this. In the generation scenarios, we were planning on harvesting at least heat and neutrons. Has it really become such a problem in a few minutes? Well, it's painful to even glance at magically. We should definitely do something before it gets worse. I'll try turning the cork balance and the protons back to normal, okay? Do it. No more new fuel will at least slow it down. Haley nodded gravely. They could salvage the situation, and if anything, this upset just proved that his incredible orbs could withstand almost anything. If they were trying to build a fusion power plant, they would let some of that heat and radiation escape to be collected rather than cook off like a pressure furnace. Chris had to grope blindly in the ether for his orb. His purple energy was utterly invisible, washed out by the barrage of so many high-energy particles trapped in a tight space. He bumped into by accident, catching a clumsy, tenuous grip. His first order of business was to do precisely as he promised, cutting off the magical catalyst for further fusion. The quarks would resume their usual aloofness. The problem was the deuterium, heat, hard radiation, and other more exotic particles that had already been created in those few minutes of celebration. The enormous heat released in those nuclear fusions had been completely trapped. Every particle inside was vibrating faster. Colliding harder and more frequently. It was a hungry feedback loop that promised to burn so bright he would lose any chance of exercising control. Already it seared his senses, and the deuterium alone was quite happy to continue reacting for minutes to come. More concerning was that the helium created was finding it much easier to take the next step up the periodic table than he'd assumed. It wasn't going to stop. He lost his grip on it, his magic retreating from the elemental rage. Feeling half cooked by the effort, he spent several agonizing seconds swimming in that scorching light before he caught it once more. There was really only one thing he could think to do before it evaded him once more. He knew he wouldn't have the strength to master it again, so he put it to an abrupt end. A scintillating lance burst into the dark void. A vivid momentary tear angled low across the lunar horizon. Space itself seemed to rupture and recoil from the unprovoked savagery. Around them, there was nothing but pure, untamed light. It was a terrible thing. The violence of a coronal mass ejection miniaturized, enslaved, and finally set loose. Dust exploded in every direction, fleeing whoever had been foolish enough to try taming that power. In front of the tiny orb, the very surface of the moon shattered. Rock and dust crumbling to constituent atoms, turned to gas by even the proximity to the beam's path. It would leave behind a glowing scar almost two hundred feet long. Haley screamed wordless terror, as she clung to him for dear life. Her eyes were squeezed shut but it was still so bright that it hurt. Even though their orb stood firm, blocking a portion of it, it felt like the photons bypassed her eyes entirely, burrowing directly into her brain. Sheltering behind him, she prayed the larger globe held, that it only let in the comparatively gentle. Visible wavelength photons rather than the invisible ones that would tear them to shreds on a microscopic level. The moon shuddered beneath them, silent, but clearly protesting their intrusion. She was supposed to be retired, her wild youth was long behind her now. Yet this coruscating intrusion almost lopped a mountain off her face and tugged jarringly at the leash, keeping her bound to her larger, more beautiful sister. It ended as suddenly as it had begun. No more than three seconds had passed, and the cold, boundless forgiveness of darkness rushed back to comfort the shaken moon. The sun seemed to brighten once again, answering the short lived challenge to its supremacy. It's done! Chris rumbled defeatedly, watching dust start to settle across the moon's new scar. Empty now, the little black orb was still hanging there. Not visible from their vantage, a pinprick-sized section on the far side still glowed softly as the last of the trapped particles escaped. Once again, I apologize. It seems today is a day to be both awed and humbled by the universe. You didn't—was it anywhere near Earth? She blinked, her sight still scarred by the afterimage of that initial razor's slice of brilliance. No. I aimed it away as best I could before I lost my connection to it. Perhaps I should have just left it be, but it was so strong, it wouldn't have stopped on its own. Please take me home, she whispered, pulling herself closer against his trunk-like neck. Chris awoke to the patter of small bare feet on the wooden floor. The hushed voices of his dragonesses floated nebulously in the background, making his lips twitch toward a sleepy smile. Haley's warmth pressed satisfyingly down on his chest, short hair tickling his chin. The pattering approached rapidly. With a soft groan, he braced for Amy's not-so-insubstantial weight to descend abruptly. Instead, the footsteps became delicate, and someone small leaned on the end of the couch they'd collapsed onto last night. He's still asleep. Amy loud whispered in an attempt to both appear innocent, and rouse him up at the same time. I'm up. He grumbled, pulling his hands out from under their light blanket to swipe away a fleck of crusty sleep and stretch his protesting muscles. He needed so much more rest. Amy scampered away, leaving him to consider his almost drunken recollection of how he'd ended up there. They'd arrived back much later than he'd planned last night, wholly shattered from their excursion and emotionally drained to boot. The lingering presence of the sun during their moon excursion had bestowed a false sense of time's passage. Back in his human form, with solid ground beneath his feet, he tiredly believed that his phone's empty message bank put him in the clear. But Annabelle was waiting up, launching into his arms even as he tried to half carry Haley inside. She took one look at his face and somehow knew he'd had a hellish day. Perhaps it was the fierceness with which he embraced her, or the thickness in his voice as he apologized for her worry. She decided to spare him the haranguing she'd almost memorized. There had been plenty of time to practice in the hours spent wondering if he was going to make it home. Faced with the forlorn state they returned in, she was just relieved to have him back at all. His first propped them up at the kitchen bar as she reheated leftover stew. Their exhausted recount of the lunar expedition bottled belief. She had to admit she didn't understand half of the technical points Haley added to his retelling with her head resting on her arms. It all sounded too far fetched, even as Bartholomew helped her perfectly melt the grated cheese on their servings with a careless wave of her hand. She didn't tell them about Roddick, about Michelle and the others working through the night. If she did, she knew he would feel obligated to walk back out the door, to help despite his obvious exhaustion. So, she fed them and got them ready for bed, loaning Haley one of his old t-shirts from before his growth spurt. It was well past midnight when she slipped naked into her own bed and pulled Amy close, listening to her shallow, peaceful breathing he would slept with Haley on the couch. Of course, they both needed that. Good morning. Petra's voice sounded distinctly cooler than usual, containing a hint of mockery as her face appeared above him. You two missed out on yesterday's drama, and there's something new I think you might be interested to see. Scotch, lazy bones. Damn, he had some serious ass kissing groveling, massaging, and general slavery to do. There was nothing for it, but his consolation wasn't insubstantial. Petra's curvaceous bottom was tailor-made for kissing, and the rest of her deserved just as much attention. Sleep. Haley protested grumpily as he slowly sat up. Still exhausted from their ordeal, she didn't bother to do much more than turn her head so the other side of his chest could be drooled on too. He wrapped the blanket tighter around them and padded the freed spot for Petra to occupy. She was wearing a magenta night robe which flounced around her figure, and her beautiful silver hair still had that sexy morning look about it. The sheepskin of boots warming her feet did something for him too, perhaps it was the number of times they'd rested on his shoulders. All warmed up. He summoned as much tired enthusiasm as he could, half expecting her to give him the cold shoulder and sit on a recliner instead. She didn't, and he pulled her close against him his side, scenting her neck and free-flowing locks with a tender sigh. I'm truly sorry, my love. I claim stupidity as my defense. That's a start. She snuggled closer under his arm. Claire and Amy joined them soon with bowls of cereal that made his stomach start to churn ominously. They still had on their pajamas as well. He wondered how early it was that Annabelle wasn't yet up and working on breakfast. That thought sounded incredibly entitled, even for a dragon, but he'd been conditioned like a Pavlovian hound. Damn it. Samantha's daughter boldly took up position on his other side, resigning his amused redhead mate to the end seat. Good morning, Munchkin. He spoke to Claire but returned the raven-haired girl's inquisitive gaze, employing his most winning smile. And a very good morning to you too, Amy. Silly. Amy chimed as Claire pretended not to have almost choked on her granola at his little joke. Her dark, curious eyes were clearly fascinated by the mess of short blonde hair on his chest and the petite woman it belonged to. Who's that? Did she stay up all night worrying about you too? aye aye." He was lost, her innocent words smiting directly to the core of his guilt. He found his throat thickening painfully as he searched for words. Petra only snorted her approval when he turned to her for assistance. The clap of their high-five jolted him from guilty paralysis, and he discovered the conspirators grinning wickedly at him over their cereal. He shook his head in defeat, still struggling to overcome that sudden upwelling. Perfect delivery! Claire congratulated her tiny accomplice. That's exactly the look we wanted to see on his silly face. Thanks. The cute bundle of mischief beamed, eager for praise. Claire was fun and gorgeous, and she didn't treat her like a kid the whole time, so Amy was happy to help prank Chris. She hoped he might become a friend too, she'd already learned the advantage of big friends at her previous school. He was really kind and handsome, but there was something strange about these babysitters. She didn't know quite what yet, but she was going to get to the bottom of it. They would all be better friends once she understood what was going on. That's enough teasing for now. Petra only just kept her chuckle under control but gave his thick bicep a reassuring, much-appreciated squeeze. It's must be almost 8am over there, put the news on. Chris wasn't a fan of news shows before he found out he was a dragon. Now they just seemed utterly trite. He wondered if the overenthusiastic droning of the anchors wasn't really another punishment cooked up by his mates. Sleep deprivation was technically torture after all that he zoned out, missing the details of the absurd scandal some senator found himself embroiled in. That was the most important news today, was it? Not the looming collapse of global ecosystems, rampant inequality in their justice system or even the fact that no one had traveled to or from Indonesia for more than a month now. His head lolling back onto the leather headrest, and he lazily supposed that the omission of that last one was probably a good thing. Haley's warmth and weight felt nice. He'd very nearly dozed off when Petra nudged him. The bubbly female anchor beamed at the camera. You've probably already seen the chilling viral video that swept through social media yesterday sparking confusion and speculation. She said it as if their own station hadn't mundered the exact same rumors all night. That's right, Penny. The handsome male lead confirmed in a gratingly cliché cadence. We've heard all sorts of theories about the origin of the clip, which appeared to show what has been labeled a supernatural event. Chris was wide awake now. However, the predictions of several experts have been proven correct this morning, and we're proud to announce our exclusive update on this compelling story. The woman didn't miss a beat, and Chris couldn't help drawing a comparison between her and a skillfully piloted marionette. In a moment, we'll cross over to a live report from our correspondent in Argentina which promises to explain it all. I just can't believe it. Argentina. And Claudia Hampson is actually on the movie set the actors who took the world by storm yesterday in a shocking, and what some are calling irresponsible publicity stunt, are preparing for another incredible day of filming as we speak. I tell you what, Penny, they say the studio job is a good gig, but today, I want to be down there watching the magic happen. The blonde anchor laughed, and at least it seemed she found some genuine humor in his comment. Folks, would you believe that yesterday, our very own Jim Henderson was actually questioning if the clip was somehow real? Now, now. He chuckled back. I only pointed out that the quality of the special effects seemed much better than what we've seen out of Hollywood recently. In case the viewers at home haven't seen this incredible piece of cinema yet, we'll play it for you in a moment. We caution that viewer discretion is advised. Penny's tone waxed serious. The segment contains graphic violence that some may find offensive or disturbing. We can now assure you that the events you're about to see were staged by professionals for the purposes of entertainment, but they may not be suitable for small children or sensitive individuals. I've already seen it. Amy preempted Chris as he opened his mouth. It's awesome. The stronger protest he'd been crafting anyway died between his brain and his lips as he watched Roddick step out of the bus into the unsteady frame. Jesus! Chris leapt from the sofa as the carnage began, dumping Haley unceremoniously in his place. For the first time since he was a kid, he sat on the floor, glued to the TV, so it filled his whole vision. He barely even noticed when Annabelle sank down beside him in a black slip and tiny khaki shorts, her hand running soothingly up and down the tense muscles of his lower back. He was still recovering from the shock of it all when the correspondent's live cross began. The distracting brunette was flawlessly made up against the early morning backdrop of dry prairie. She wore a thin, form-fitting white dress with blue trim and an enormous belt snug around her tapered waist. The dress had an off-shoulder neckline, display an eye-catching amount of sumptuous, bronze bounty. It was practical, of course, no doubt such a garment would help her stay cool on what was shaping up to be a scorching day. Penny, behind me, you might recognize the stretch of road that will be cordoned off for a second day as the cast and crew of this ambitious project rushed to complete their filming of this critical action scene. Sure enough, there was the bus around which the battle had raged. There were no bullet holes or blood splatters, and a team of riggers could be seen hauling cables and lighting equipment into position. It's called shaky cam, and although you might have seen it before in the movie theater, you've never seen it quite like this. At that exact moment, Roddick walked behind the woman, briefcase, suit, and all. He paused briefly in shot to wave happily at the camera and winked just like he had in the previous film. It was chilling. As the woman continued to talk, answering the anchor's inane questions as best she could, they rolled some prepared footage. A somewhat cross-looking elf sat in a trailer before a mirror surrounded by little lights. Two women dabbed brushes artfully at her face as she fidgeted in her dark leather costume. Those ears, though, he might have sworn one of them flicked in annoyance. The shot panned to the man who Chris had watched brutally killed just minutes before. He was getting the finishing touches done on his mangled, bloody stump of a hand. He turned animatedly to the camera and waved it around in mock, exaggerated agony before laughing heartily and giving it back to the scowling makeup artist who began scolding him in Spanish. Next, he saw two sweaty men in bodysuits standing in front of the deflated form of their dank-haired, monstrous costume. They nodded along as a curly-topped quintessential director type, acted out the exact sequence of movements he required from them with exaggerated sweeps of imagined tail and claw. In the background, he caught a flash of a tall, dark-skinned woman, out of focus but suspiciously beautiful nonetheless. Finally, there was the almost furtive interview with the lead effects artist, through an interpreter of course. The untanned, grad student-looking dude spoke of some proprietary video editing software that he and his team at the University of Buenos Aires were developing. They backed up the claim with a few tantalizing snippets of how they modeled and imposed the wolf to battle with the hideous swamp creature based on documentary footage. What the fuck? He breathed. It was almost believable. But I, Jim, the most incredible part is that the whole project will be filmed exclusively on the latest smartphones. The correspondent beamed winningly at the camera. I've been told by the producer that the unstable footage and handheld perspective helps trick our eyes to miss the subtle traces left behind in special effects. Not only that, they're saving the budget hundreds of thousands of dollars on expensive camera equipment. When the cell phone manufacturer heard about the project, they sent the crew an entire palette of their latest devices which film in 4K resolution. That's incredible, Claudia. Are you having fun down there? Hogwash. Absolute BS. No shit, it's incredible. It's fucking unbelievable. Chris scoffed. His eyes narrowed, and he turned to his first. Where's Michelle? I didn't want to worry you last night. Annabelle kissed his jaw apologetically. You were so tired, and I knew you'd go running off down there. Oh my god. You guys know then, he's a dem, about Radek? He looked around at Petra and Claire who nodded gravely. And I was missing. Haley was frowning. Still waking up and not comprehending the full picture without that critical information on Roddick's nature. We were worried sick. Claire pouted, cradling her pregnant tummy defensively. Ha! Susan emerged from her bedroom, taking in the situation at a glance. Don't let these two harlots fool you, honey. They knew you weren't involved by about three in the afternoon, and they'd been plotting ever since. I wouldn't call what he was up to exactly safe, Susan. Petra countered, only mildly peeved that their ball-busting was exposed. There would be plenty of time to continue in the privacy of her bed. They'll be reporting on that next if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Chris murmured, turning his attention back to the last of the report. Had he thought what they'd done would go unnoticed? He hadn't really had a chance to consider it yet, but he doubted anyone could point a finger specifically at him. Claire sat back against the leather, regarding their young, ever-attentive charge. The conversation was sloppy and unlikely to get better. However, ejecting the girl from the room without a choice wouldn't engender trust. She would have hated that at a young age. Amy, remember what I said last time you stayed over? She asked the young girl. About not telling anyone the stuff I hear when I stay over, except to mom? That's exactly right. We probably shouldn't be having a grown-up talk like this while you're around, but you're very mature, and I think you can handle it. What do you say? We can go get a hot chocolate, or something if you'd prefer? I haven't heard anything. Amy wriggled, blinking innocently. We can get a hot chocolate later, can not we? That's my girl. The morning show cut back to the studio, the anchors volleying a few comments and speculations to fill the time, as was customary in the longer time slots. Our next story might not seem quite so dramatic, but we've been told it's a big deal. John spoke out of the big flat screen as Chris Hart began to race. That's right folks, get your tinfoil hats ready for this one. Penny effervesced obnoxiously. Amateur astronomers across half the globe have reported a bright flash of light on the moon. Some are even saying it was visible with the naked eye during the middle of the day. It happened last night at around 10.16pm here on the East Coast, but most of the country wasn't aligned to observe the incredible event. I guess they're not just lucky with the weather in Hawaii, Jim. The blonde joked. They're calling it the most significant lunar observation in modern history, and the conspiracies are already flying. It certainly didn't help that North Korea claimed it was a test of their latest missile, but China, Russia, and our own government were quick to point out that they were decades away from any such capability. The theory gathering the most momentum is that the light was from the impact of a large meteorite. Our research team tells us that the moon is regularly hit by such meteorites because it doesn't have a protective atmosphere. These space rocks travel at speeds of 40,000 miles per hour and faster, creating brilliant explosions when they hit. No wonder it looks like Swiss cheese. Oh, Penny. Jim chuckled, shaking his head. NASA has been tight-lipped so far we're about to go our sister channel's coverage of a press conference getting underway at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland. Haley squeaked from the couch, pulling the blanket up to hide her head. On screen, a lean, graying man approached a podium proudly displaying NASA's heraldry. Cameras began clicking rapidly, flashing at the man who by his posture alone wasn't happy about his role in this. He clutched a paper coffee cup in one hand, and his brown suit jacket was slung carelessly over his other shoulder. His tie was loosened, and he squinted resentfully out at the bright lights shining on him from above the small sea of expectant reporters. The darkness under his eyes and carefree dishevelment suggested hadn't gotten any sleep the previous night. Let me be clear. He started firmly, adjusting the microphone to the correct distance, as the room quieted. I am not here to speculate or fuel conjecture. If I can't answer your questions or you don't like my answers, that's too bad. It hasn't even been twelve hours since the event, and we are still gathering the data, let alone assessing it. He paused, leaning away to take an unmistakably satisfying gulp of hot caffeine. The reporters looked on with bated breath. Very well. At 22.17 local time, a high-intensity energy burst was recorded from the surface of the moon. Multiple observatories, as well as enthusiasts armed with sophisticated equipment, have sent us their observations, and we're once again humbled by the cooperation of the global space science community. We're confident the event originated very near or inside Sausagenes Crater, a relatively unremarkable formation near the northwestern edge of the Mare Tranquilitatis. We're still analyzing, but the initial consensus is that this event is inconsistent with a typical meteorite impact. He held up a warning finger as several hands shot into the air and a few cameras started flashing again. I'll answer what I can at the end. He sighed, looking down at his meager array of talking points. Corresponding to the event, we experienced interference in several of our orbital solar monitoring assets. More specifically, our venerable Ressi satellite reported an intense influx of photons in the X and gamma spectra. Unfortunately, Integral wasn't in position to confirm these readings. However, both Van Allen probes are starting to report small, I repeat small, perturbations in the outer radiation belt. I don't have any more detail than that at this time. Deputy Director! One reporter stood, desperate to be the first to voice a polarizing headline. Will you reply to the statement by retired cosmonaut Andre Corettin that the recorded light spectra were consistent with that of a thermonuclear detonation and that if this were the case, the yield of the device would have been well over 100 megatons? Director, that's more than twice the size of the largest bomb test carried out by the former USSR at the height of the Cold War. It's in the ballpark. The man admitted reluctantly. But I'll repeat it. We don't know what happens so until we gather some more data. It's all just useless speculation. Chris winced, the man didn't seem to realize that was like dipping a bloody toe into piran infested waters in the middle of the dry season. He was about to get eaten alive. Worse, the world's militaries were probably on high alert, Dixon hand for a good swinging contest. The situation was unlikely to fade quietly without him weighing in. Best to fess, that was one of Jeffrey's lessons. I think I'd better go own up before someone gets twitchy with the nuclear football. Damn, the Senate is going to be pissed too. Was it really necessary, honey? Susan tuted. Well, no, he answered truthfully. But it was probably worth it. He's got to flex his. Annabelle glanced meaningfully at Amy. The girls seemed to have shrunk inward and attempt to remain inconspicuous. He needs to flex the new muscles we all found out about recently. It might be even more important after what we learned yesterday. That drew a speculative look from the Dragonesses. They were not as averse to conflict as Susan tended to be. I can't believe I thought it was a good idea. Haley peeked from behind the blanket as the NASA representative shot something back at another reporter. We're in so much trouble. There's a treaty about nonsense. And it still is a good idea. Chris reassured everyone in the room, meeting their eyes one by one. Even better that we tried it on the moon first time around. Go grab a shower and get freshened up. You're going to have to be the brains to my brawn when we talk to the president. Me? Chimip. He shuffled to the base of the couch on his knees and pulled her into his arms. Her hair was soft against his lips as he whispered to her. You are brilliant, Haley. I might have done the heavy lifting, but you did the heavy thinking. As far as I'm concerned, we're equals in what we accomplished yesterday. Okay? She shook her head against him. Absolutely. He chuckled, setting her on her feet and starting her toward the main bathroom with a playful sweat. I was probably supposed to be helping your dad today. I think he'll understand if I'm off shoving your foot in the door at your dream job. I'll start breakfast, but don't push too hard with her. Annabelle advised, rising with an affectionate ruffle of his messy hair as Haley took a final terrified glance at the devolving press conference and disappeared into the bathroom. You should get a shower too, babe. And say hi to our little blue friend while you're at it. She was probably the most worried out of all of us. I will, I will he assured, unable to help his morbid fascination at the spectacle still playing out on screen. She had a point, though. Amy couldn't come out while Amy was around. That would be driving her crazy. With a grunt of protest at his complaining muscles, he clambered to his feet and left it to the ladies to tell him how the train wreck ended. Back on screen, the deputy director was starting to get buried under increasingly outlandish questions. No, I don't think it was an alien species. He snorted in disgust. Why would anything capable of traveling between stars bother with such a thing? Don't be ridiculous. How are you going to prevent something like this happening in the future? Asked some other journalist. Prevent? He shot a disgruntled look at someone off screen. Mason, where are you finding these heathens? Don't we bother vetting anymore? Budget cuts, sir, it's not the 60s. Mason's disembodied voice only barely got picked up by the microphone, but his delivery was flawlessly dry. The deputy director snorted, then began laughing almost maniacally. He was wiping tears from the corners of his tired eyes, and the reporters just gobbled it up. Eventually, he sobered enough to address them again. Look, people. This is space we're talking about, there is no preventing. All we can do is ret the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter for a series of flyovers in the coming months and do our best to capture some pictures. If that's not enough for you, write to Congress. Claire picked up the remote and flicked the power off. A silence followed as everyone just sat, listening to Annabelle humming to herself in the kitchen. So, Munchkin. She paused, drumming out a nervous tattoo on the thighs. How about that hot chocolate, huh? Did he blow up the moon? Amy's little mouth hung open for a moment before she clapped both hands over it. Only a mortified squeak escaped, her eyes wide and apparently appalled by her tongue's betrayal. He only blew it up a little bit, dear. Susan reached over the couch to put her hand on her shoulder. The moon will be just fine. And it was for a good cause. Petra assured. This story is continued in the next part. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allow members to request future stories and themes. Links are in the description. Thank you for listening.